Hello again, friends, and Happy New Year, and welcome to another 605 Super Podcast Holiday Star Wars Spectacular New Year Star Wars, our annual New Year special where we have various people on the line to talk over one another and uh, make a mess here on the air. And joining me to start the show, our most popular co-host, the humorist, the noted humorist, Scott Cornish. And Scott, welcome back to the show. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. It's it, it's up to me to start the mess, you're saying. Yes. <laughs> you're a good mess starter. I am. Yeah, that that's my designation now. Not conversation starter, mess starter. <laughs> well, we'll see who cleans up the mess. There may, may be a few of them here <laughs> on the show here today. But uh, Happy New Year to you. Any New Year's resolutions? Yes, I've resolved. Actually, I, I want to go over my New Year's resolution from last year. I made it through the entire year without ever saying during a conversation, you got to remember, this was before cell phones. <laughs> yeah, you do hear that a lot sometimes, depending Not on who you're dealing you with. Not for me, you don't. Not for me. But, the, but my resolution for the 2019, and I want other people to uh, to consider this, is I am absolutely done apologizing for when I accidentally call the WWE the WWF. I'm not going to correct myself anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, I always do everyone, that. Everyone in wrestling, everyone on podcasts, everyone, you see Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, <laughs> he'll accidentally say WWF and then correct himself, you know, <laughs> they get enough of my money. I can call that shit anything I want. <laughs> well, that's a good way to look at it. I do the same thing. WWF is a better name. So it's easier to yeah. go back to that name. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior a few years ago brought it up, and you can hear Swami in the background. This is Star Wars. That means we are a little more unprofessional than usual. Minimal editing. And dogs barking because someone downstairs isn't walking him at this moment. But <laughs> uh, the Ultimate Warrior, when he got inducted into their Hall of Fame, he did a speech and he accidentally called it the WWF. And then he stopped and he goes, I can't believe Jerry McDivitt lost the lawsuit to those wildlife people. And they edited it off the repeat showings or, you know, the network <laughs> showings of it. They were so embarrassed. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's still a sore point with them. <laughs> What do you think about like the controversy as it as it comes up every year when they do the Hall of Fame with the Warrior Award and Dana Warrior comes out there with a little Hasbro figure and puts it on the podium and they induct someone to be the Warrior recipient of the year, even though it had nothing to do with what he said he wanted to do. And if you yeah. actually look into him and his life, uh, he may not be someone you want to honor at that level. I, I think the idea and everyone that they've honored are certainly uh, it, it's a very it's a feel good moment. It shines a light on on uh, some of the good stuff that they do for whatever reason that they do it, whatever cynical reason. It's going to sound wrong because I, I, I you can't have anything but sympathy for uh, for Dana Warrior. <laughs> that name, um, Dana Warrior. Um, you can't have anything but sympathy for her and those those two young girls uh, that that lost their father at such an age. But that guy was just a, a bum, just a awful type of a person, especially in uh, the the latter years. And it's not to say he should be trashed or that even that he shouldn't be honored. But I don't know. The award doesn't uh, bother me. Not even the fact that it's not quite what he intended. It's not like everything he said has to be followed to the letter. Um, but I find her to be really annoying. <laughs> and that's terrible considering the fact that she's almost always uh tied into that award and a lot of the good work that they try to do uh charity wise but it's it's very heavy handed uh 
the way that she carries on at that thing every year. I don't know why it has to be her, I guess. Even if it's called the Warrior Award, I don't know why it has to revolve around her. I don't know what her personal deal is, if she does a lot of charity work uh, or if she's got, uh, you know, medical issues or, or close ties to uh, to certain organizations like a cancer uh, organization or whatnot. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of hers. <laughs> she's doing good work, good for her, great sympathy toward uh, – toward their loss even quite a few years later but um, yeah something weird about the whole thing that i just don't care for can you imagine a warrior gives a speech and he says it's one of the nice things he did at the end he goes i think that the wwe should honor the people behind the scenes who do so much work and make all of this possible and they're never in front of the camera and they never get their names mentioned but we know who they are and we know what they do and the wwe said no we don't like that idea we're going to use this instead for public relations purposes, and we're going to get your wife out here every year to give it to just random people who do things or are involved with things or kids who are sick or Joan London. It's just, it's so yeah. random now. I guess so. But again, it's hard to point a finger or complain about uh, the people that they've chosen for whatever reason. Um, I know that the person specifically that he mentioned, I don't know if you should even bring his name up, um, was, I met him briefly, the, the, person specifically that warrior was talking about why can't we bring his name up you have a bad story about him no i don't have a bad story about i in fact i want to say that the guy was as far as i know a great guy i met him a few times at uh house shows along the way and uh, when he would be here in utica again i had dinner with him once and um he was a he was a terrific guy and absolutely somebody like that should be remembered uh i'll I don't really want to go into specifics about why I don't want to tie it into uh, the warrior who, um, let's just say, was on the record in recent years with some really nasty homophobic slurs. Oh, gotcha. And, uh, gotcha. and so forth. Uh, and I'll just go beyond that. I believe he was sincere in showing appreciation and, and, and honor and respect to that person. Uh, but it, it flies in the face of his public statements. You know, speaking of homophobic slurs, I uh, <laughs> oh, I, find it, I find it detestable when people, you know, judge someone based on race, creed, color, religion, whatever it may be. Intelligence, I think you can judge people on. If someone's <laughs> ignorant or stupid, you should call them out on it and you should bash them over the head with it until they read a book or do something to fix themselves. Right. But, you know, we've been playing these Dominic Valente. We call him up on the show. We play his hotline. Right. And then it's recently come to my attention. A couple of people sent me this that. A few years ago, he went on this homophobic rant on his show. Have you heard this? Yeah, somebody posted it the other day, and uh, I didn't hear it, but I heard about it. It would be, if anyone else said it, it would be really disturbing and bothersome. I can't take him seriously. First of all, it's so ridiculous. And again, you know, you're listening to his intelligence as he's doing this. You're like, oh boy, oh, you know, this isn't good. And then I remember talking to Dominic back in the day. He was a Grand Wizard fan. So I'm like listening to what he had to say. Maybe we'll play it later on in the show because it's so ridiculous that I think even even if you're hypersensitive to the insults like that, you'll be like, this is just the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. But he was a fan of homosexuals in the wrestling business. So, I mean, it's just it, it makes no sense. Don't judge people on anything other than intelligence. That's about it. That's the one thing I think everyone should be judged on. Is there intelligence? All, what? No, I'm also a little bit. Uh skittish about me being judged by my intelligence you're skittish <laughs> about that really? 
I don't want people judging me by on my intelligence. <laughs> There's always somebody out there that's smarter than you, and you go, "Oh my god, <laughs> I can't even talk to that person. I'm so, so dumb." <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, let me add someone here who is a fairly intelligent person, and he's got a lot on his mind, and I wanted him on the last Star Wars, but unfortunately, due to the time that we recorded it, it was impossible for him to be on, but uh, he's got a lot to say. You've heard him on the show many times. Let me add him right now. I believe we are calling him. This would be a bad time to play the Dominic tape. Uh, yeah, not yet. <laughs> is our guest on the line? I am here. How are you doing, guys? Ladies and gentlemen, it's not Big Daddy here on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Big Daddy. No, I'm not going to bust out my... Or oh, not Big Daddy's not here tonight, unfortunately. But uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Who am I on with? Alan Blackstock, welcome to Super Podcast Holiday Star Wars. We're just getting things going. You're on with the popular wrestling humorist, Scott Cornish. Amazing. And- pleased, pleased to meet you, Scott. Pleased to meet you, Alan. Great to hear from you. Have you guys Thank never you, spoken right. before on the air? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think we've had the pleasure. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, go. Alan, I was just saying before you got on the line that you're an intelligent guy and you always have a lot to say. You always have so much on your mind. So before we even talk about anything that we have to say here and before we add anyone else, what is on your mind right now as we start? Well, what's on my mind? Let's have a think. I got the Tim Hornbaker book today. So I, I get oh. it. You know, it's, it's a good book. Read the first few chapters. And just before I read the first few chapters, I'm looking through who's acknowledged and thanked. And there he is, Dr. Mike Lano. Kind of spoiled at me from the outset that he's, he's involved with that project or was. <laughs> well, I don't know how involved he was. I think Tim's smart enough to know that. Uh, you know, see, see, here's the thing with Lano I- Lano does have some institutional knowledge of wrestling just from all the things he was around i mean there's a lot that's institutionalized about dr Maglano, but <laughs> you have to really fact check everything he says especially if he's in the middle of the story if it's like you know oh i was hanging out with moondog maine and this is what you have to really check that but there are things he could say in, in terms of finding out little details and getting clues of other people to talk to and places to look he could be valuable i'm not gonna take that away from him there's other things i would but i won't take that away from him I'll no, but I'm looking forward to reading the book. That, uh, in his way, he did have a lot to do with the death of the territories. <laughs> I guess so. Maybe that's why he's involved. So, Perhaps. You, how, how many pages are you in so far, Alan? Ah, oh, just the first chapter. But even so, th- through that, it's uh, tied a few loose ends in my mind up about kind of the, the makeup of uh, the territory system throughout from the 30s onwards. So it it looks like it's a really good book. So if anyone's listening to this is uh, heard of this book, it's 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 fantastic. I think anyway from the outset. So uh, I would I would recommend it anyway. But other thoughts, like what popped in my mind today, guys, and I don't know what you think about this. Is um, I was going through Sabu's career uh, earlier, and I thought to myself, if he if the young books are going to be on the Hall of Fame ballot in 2021, why shouldn't Sabu be back on? He's got a really strong argument from an influence point of view and even from a drawing point of view to, to be included again. It's interesting. I hadn't even thought about the fact that the young bucks will be on the ballot in 2021. I don't see them as Hall of Famers right now, but if obviously a lot could happen in the next couple of years. Sabu's a really interesting one because his influence from 93 to 95, especially 93 and 94, but his influence for that, that period of time was through the roof. You know, I mean, I remember him getting mad because Public Enemy started using tables. I mean, it sounds crazy now to go back to it because he was the table guy. He was the guy that would use tables, not even to throw his opponents through. After the match, he would moonsault himself through the tables. 93, when you were tape trading, he was the guy. Everything sure. he did, you wanted. Uh, him against the Lightning Kid for Dennis Carluzzo in Minnesota. 
That was a big match. Him against Terry Funk when they started working against each other in ECW. I want to say their first match may have been the end of 93 in Philly, uh, for ECW at least. Uh, although I'm not certain about that because he didn't start until after Paul started as Booker. Paul, his first TV taping, I think, would have been October and Sabu started right around then. But to me, ECW was built on Sabu and Terry Funk. Those are the two must-see guys. And then eventually for a little while, Shane Douglas. But, you know, when you go back now and you look at it, I think a lot of the stuff with Shane was people had always wanted, well, I shouldn't say wanted, people always expected Shane to, at least I did, after a certain point, after the dudes, when he showed up in the WWF in 91, when he showed up back in WCW in 92, he looked like he was on the road to doing something with his career. He looked like he really could get pushed, could be in a good position somehow. Um, and then he shows up in ECW, and for the first time we get to see him as a heel. He cuts his hair, and it's a completely different character. It takes the franchise from, of course, the franchise of the New York Mets, Tom Seaver. And it was the cursing that was the thing that really stood out. It was when all of a sudden he started doing promos. I remember the night the line was crossed when that match and that, that tape came out of that night. You know, that was the thing. It was the promo after the match in the hotel where he starts cursing and he calls Terry Funk a piece of shit or whatever. It was so unique at that time to hear cursing on a wrestling show that, you know, Shane kind of got elevated to that point for a while. But it was really, it was Terry Funk and Sabu. And then they ran off Terry Funk when they, when, when Shane and Paul decided to tarnish the NWA title in what, September uh, or August of uh, 94. That caused Terry Funk to say, like, I'm going to not be back for a while. And he didn't. But to me, Sabu and Terry Funk get the credit for getting a lot of people interested in ECW. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And another another thing with Sabu, though, which was interesting, we never had any U.S. indie stars brought over to the U.K. in the 90s. just wasn't a thing. But Sabu was brought over in 1995, uh, and he uh, headlined a show in Walthamstow in London. It only drew about 200, 250 people. But I remember at the time I was 13, and I begged begged my dad if, to take me to that show. Would not take me, the bastard. Um, so, unfortunately, <laughs> I I didn't go to the show, but yeah, it, it was that much of a draw that, you know, you'd, you use him as a fly-in to a show that's only going to draw 200 people in 95 in the UK. So he, he was in demand all over the world. And, you know, he had that, that big deal with New Japan in 95, got a big contract there. And then that all didn't work out, went back to ECW and uh, remained there. And I think Sabu kind of tapered off for me as much as ECW did. You know, the whole, we, we, you've spoken about this, Brian, uh, barely legal 97, that's the end of ECW. And to me, Sabu really didn't have much to offer for, after that, really. I mean... He tagged with Rob Van Dam, had that dream match with Hayabusa in uh, Hakushi at uh, Heatwave 98. But I, I don't really have anything after that that really stands out to me, apart from his fun little ECW run in uh, the WWF a few years later. When he went over to England, did he bring Pee Wee Moore? I'm not sure who brought with him. Um, I would imagine he would have had a handler. He, he, he wouldn't have come on his own. So I can find out, but I'm not sure off the top of my head. Yeah, you know, remember, he... He did the New Japan tour, and apparently he was double booked, and that's when Paul went in the ring and had all those fans who were just, you know, <laughs> they were in love with Sabu. They would have done anything for Sabu, and then Heyman went in there and had them all turn on him, and it just showed how fickle the, <laughs> the hardcore ECW fans yeah. were. And they still watched all of his matches. They still loved Sabu, and when he came back, they still liked him. So it just showed how fickle they were. I was at the ECW arena the night he came back from that debacle, and they turn the lights off and turn the lights on. Wow, that place went nuts. <laughs> of course. My least favorite thing that ECW did was to turn the lights off, turn the lights on, poof, someone's <laughs> in the ring. And they're in cahoots with the lighting guy. I mean, it just, it made no sense. But right. remember, he did New Japan. Then he started working for Dennis again. And he had some good matches there. He worked with Devin Storm. That was an excellent match. I know I just recently talked about it on the show. 
And then he was, you know, early days of Nitro. He was on uh, some of the early night. I remember him and the Sheik showed up uh, on Nitro. And then, of course, that, really? didn't, that didn't last too long. And then he was back. Sheik threw fireballs around, um, not allowed to do that. And he did it anyway. <laughs> yeah, Out of his mind. Who's going to stop the Sheik? And then he went back and they turned the lights off and they turned the lights on. And I think he was pointing to the ceiling and everyone, they forgot that they hated him. And they just started cheering again. But uh, it's just very fickle. Very, very fickle fans there. Um, Alan, you know, you bring that up, and when you think of, uh, when I think of 1990s British indie wrestling, or at least mid to late 90s, whatever happened to the Dirt Bike Kid? Oh, Dirt Bike Kid, Jason Harrison. Um, he was a goofball. He went over and did the Mass Tag League tournament in 95 for Michinoku Pro, and uh, fell out with Suzuki, basically the first match on the tour, got the shit kicked out of him in the ring, and then was sent packing. Wasn't seen after that. He just had a mouth on him. I remember once he was wrestling um, a guy, I've forgotten his name now, and uh, he did a dive out uh, outside the ring, wasn't caught on purpose, splat. That's on YouTube somewhere. The guy was a, an absolute dickhead by all accounts and um, stiffed a lot of people when he promoted shows. I remember he was brought over to ECW as well, wasn't he? And he was given the, the European title that Mikey Whitbrook uh, won off him. I think it was like Ultra Chaos 96 for ECW. I actually didn't even remember that. I remember that Evan yeah. Ginsberg was a big fan of his and was really pushing him to anyone Evan knew. And he put him in his newsletter on the front page of his newsletter. And I hadn't thought about him in years. And we were talking about the, you know, the British scene. And I was like, wow, whatever happened, you know, it's like, uh, and I'm not comparing one to the other, but Reckless Youth is a guy you always hear people talk about. And he was, you know, he was done before the big indie boom, but he was like the guy in New Jersey from like 96 until whatever, 99, 2000. Talking to Northeast guys that are back on the scene now, do you remember from early Ring of Honor days, Slim J? Um, no. He's one of those little goofball uh, high flyers. Well, he's, he's, he's back now uh, so many years later, and he's still only 32. So he was uh, like 17 at the time, God, hanging around with Feinstein. That's a worrying thought. Yeah, that is a worrying thought. <laughs> That's for sure. But Alan, before we move on, I do have to ask you about something because uh, I think people will demand it. Big Daddy, not getting into the Hall of Fame this year. Can you sum up your thoughts and uh, I'm sure your disappointments as uh, the oh, came yeah. Yeah, d- disappointed. Um, built it up quite uh, quite big on Twitter, making it out that I thought it was already in, building up a bit of uh, suspense. And then I thought, I've got an out here. I thought, I'm going to say Big Daddy's got in the Hall of Fame. And this is what I found out already. And I thought my out was, well, I think JYD's going to get in. So I'm just going to say, oh, it was Big Daddy Ritter. That's what I meant all along. Well, that didn't work out either because he didn't get in. <laughs> but um, yeah, Big Daddy stayed on 35%. So that's two years in a row he stayed on that number. Um, I've got no real reason why he stayed, not grown, not dropped. I think I'm, I'm going to have to accept, I think, to a degree that he's not likely going to get in unless we get some of the older voters, which is happening now, dropping off uh, and not voting anymore. And some, some newer guys, new reporters, uh, new historians, whomever, getting get a vote. And uh, I think that's the only way we're going to see him getting in now. So, yeah, uh, it, disappointed, but uh, kind of accepted now the, uh, the fate of Big Daddy. Do you in any way accept any of the critiques of him that people who either don't vote for him or talk about why they don't think People should vote for him have, you know, obviously you've heard Dave Meltzer, Uh, Adrian Street. I don't know if he's a voter, but he's been vocal about his thoughts about Big Daddy. And I don't know if that swayed people or not, but he's been very, very vocal. Any interview he ever does, he just destroys Big Daddy. And, you know, it, it doesn't seem like he's making progress on the ballot. I voted for him this year for the first time. What do you think? I mean, when you hear the critiques, do you think it's fair at all? 
I think some of them are fair. I think, you know, um, I can discount already the argument that he was shit in the ring. I, I, not discount it, agree with it and just move it aside because there's no argument there for, for me to say that is a reason I vote for him. Um, the main reason is he's, he's kind of star power, that he was a draw. Um, the UK wasn't laid out and I've said this before like like the US where we had bigger arenas it was town halls a lot of the time um, places that would seat 1,000 2,000 max and yeah he, he was up and down the country all over in demand a hell of a lot for a long long time and he was in the public eye the one thing that really disappointed me that I really should have done this year I was lucky enough to go out for dinner with Dave uh, Meltzer um, his son and uh, a few other guys uh, when Dave was over in the UK and we're walking through Manchester and um, I said to myself a few years ago if I ever had Dave with me I'd just stop people in the street and say name a UK wrestler and I would be convinced that everyone would say Big Daddy Big Daddy and I'd just say there you go Dave and there I am walking through this place and I completely forget and then I kick myself when I'm coming home um, from from the meal but yeah I think that would have made Dave realise a little bit more that Big Daddy isn't just uh, a a, a wrestler he's a special case and I think there was a discussion um, that someone had that there's no one really that you can make an argument that he's similar to in a case Um, he He's a unique character in his own in, in terms of his merits and also why, why he was bad. I mean, he did stay on top too long, but who would he have put there? I've not had one person say, oh, it should have been Mark Rocco. It should have been such and such. It was still the main guys were the heavyweights. And there wasn't that many heavyweights who could really hold a candle to Big Daddy in terms of his popularity and his drawing. So this argument, that, oh, he should have stepped down and should have stepped down. Yeah, he was shit in the ring, but he was still over. And there was no one else there really to replace him and the advent of the WWF it just that took UK wrestling down the glitz to glamour they could buy a WWF tape show it on ITV show it on Sky a lot cheaper than they could British wrestling and producing it uh, because if you remember well if you, if you didn't know British wrestling was produced not by the promotion itself it was produced by the TV company produced by ITV so if they can get something in that's uh, you know a lot cheaper and it looks a lot better look, looks a lot more high tech and in the UK in the 80s we had this hard on for the US and the US culture um, not as much nowadays uh, but anything that was bigger bold um, guys on steroids uh, it, it was just it, it just appealed more um, and that was the reason really that uh, you WWF was kind of took over UK wrestling also why Big Daddy was just declined he was he was in his 50s at that point uh, in the in the early 90s and I think there was no one there to replace him um, WWF took over like every other territory around and I think that was that was the end of UK wrestling for a long time, and um, that that argument for Big Daddy just doesn't wash for me. So that that is the main one, and also the amount of arenas and uh, and places like that. Um, but yeah, I think I think I've just got to resign myself to it, Brian. Unfortunately, but uh, I'll still hold a candle to him. Do you think Margaret Thatcher deserves any of the blame? <laughs> she believes she 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 deserves all the blame for everything that is wrong with this country. <laughs> Which horrible lady, horrible lady. Well, yeah. Scott, have you ever Alan? seen? Have you ever seen much British wrestling or much Big Daddy? And then you could ask Alan whatever you're going to ask. No, I certainly had seen some some Big Daddy. Not a lot of British wrestling. Not as much as I'd I'd like to. But uh, was was he a crossover star in England? Was he popular beyond wrestling? Was he on variety shows? Did he have any other outlet that he was known known for? Yeah, well, he, he had that comic. Remember, Dan Leonard said in Australia he was getting Big Daddy comics out of England. Wow. Yeah, there was Big Daddy Comics. He was on a, a show called This Is Your Life when it was only the major celebrities uh, were kind of surprised was this, this kind of guy would come on with a big red book and it would symbolize their life story. And they would surprise oh, yeah. him and then they would take him to the TV studio. I don't know if he had a US version of that, but yeah, he, yeah. 
yeah so it, it was on that and that was uh kind of mainstream popularity that was uh kind of um big tv it was on a lot of tv you know like tv guide covers a, a lot a lot of the time on talk shows um doing a lot of charity work always in the press for doing charity work at certain times of the year um yeah it, it was a real real crossover star um scott i, I can't underestimate if, if you, anyone if you ever speak to a brit there's over let's say 40 um and, and say name a uk wrestler they'll say big daddy giant haystacks will be number one and number two most likely was he ever good <laughs> was he ever good um if yeah. he was i i, I never saw it okay. um yeah, it, it, it worked as a kind of a guy called the guardsman early on in his career in the 60s he was uh you know like the guys that stand outside buckingham palace with the big black uh big black hats on and the, and the red suit so he did that sort of gimmick in the 60s before he uh he, he was given the big daddy gimmick in the in the mid 70s where he was first a heel uh for the first few years and then uh he caught fire as a baby face um uk wrestling in the late 70s was on the ropes in terms of or in the mid 70s on the ropes in terms of tv ratings and interest and big daddy really kept tv kept kept tv interest on the product and arguably if it wasn't for that it wouldn't have lasted into the 80s so that's another reason for for big daddy's candidacy in my eyes uh, but yeah he, he was he was huge in the uk and uh, i don't want to kind of bore the listeners with it but yeah he was as big in the uk uh i wouldn't say as big as ricky dozen um or el santos el santos sorry but it was he was bigger than hulk hogan definitely Alan, do you think the Young Bucks should be in the Hall of Fame if they continue on the trajectory they're on right now and they get on the ballot in 2021? What do you think? Not currently for what they have now. It'll be interesting over the next few years. They've got the... They're going to have an announcement in the next week or two, I think, um, about AWE. Uh, they signed with Tony Khan, I think he's called. He's uh, got some ties with Fulham FC in the UK, one of the English Premier League soccer teams, as well as a few US sports teams. So oh, yeah, some he's things- loaded. He's loaded. Yeah, he's it is loaded, so they've got that back in. But it remains to be seen what they're going to do in the next few years. But if they just stay as wrestlers, what they're doing at the moment, I don't think they've got a strong enough case. If you kind of compare them, we, sh- we shouldn't say, oh, it's, it's different now. We shouldn't hold them to the same kind of levels as previous guys. But, you know, I can't vote for a Young Bucks if people like JYD aren't in the Hall of Fame. And it was really kind of sad for me to see Mr. Yeah. Wrestling 2 drop off the ballot this year. Well, um, don't be too sad. I, well, no, I just think he was, he was huge in Georgia. Absolutely huge. He was, uh, he was, but there may be some other factors that wouldn't make you so sad he dropped off the ballot. I, I'm not going to go into detail right now, but I used to vote for, I, I voted for Mr. Wrestling 2 the first year, and then I found out some shit, and I, I won't vote for him again. I'll just leave it at that for now. God. Yeah. Oh, well, fair, fair, fair enough. Uh, talking about um, shit, we, I, <laughs> just to move on to se- se- separate sub- subject, is uh, you were discussing with Bix, is there any kind of things you can drop about this Vince and Linda living arrangements that maybe Bix is going to talk about more in an article? Hold on, <laughs> hold on, let me add Bix. Uh, <laughs> let's see if Bix is around. Uh, he's not on here. Let me add Bixie. Here we go. And he should be getting added right now. Let's see. It shows that it's ringing him. He should be there. I like how you narrate this uh, scintillating portion of the show. I believe he's on the line. Bix! Uh, I'm not on the line. I'm sorry. Hey, see, that came out of the wrong place. <laughs> I wanted that to come out of the microphone. What the hell did I just do here? Let's see. What do you uh, mean come out of the microphone? That came out of my speakers as opposed to, uh, let's see. <laughs> there we go. Okay, I thought it sounded weird. Yeah, it did sound weird. Well, Bix, welcome to the show. On the line with you right now is Scott Cornish and someone who just requested information. And I said, this is the perfect time to add Bix. Alan Blackstock on the line from England. Hello, Bix. How are you? 
Hey, Alan. I'm doing okay. Hello. Hello, Bix. I'll try to do that impression too. I need to know something, Bix. Can you uh, elaborate on this Vince and Linda living arrangements things that you and Brian discussed on the last uh, podcast? If she lives in DC and he doesn't. And how, <laughs> I mean, how long it. has that been for? How long has that been for? I presume it's been since she's taken the cabinet post. Oh, so oh, well, that's understandable, um, I guess, in a way. Uh, but I guess they did not see each other anymore. Who knows? I don't know how much sure. they saw each other before then, to be quite honest with you. Well, that's for off there. <laughs> you see, you see, there's more information here as we get going. Bix, uh, real quick, I don't want to go too deep into the Hall of Fame stuff, but we were just discussing with Alan. The Young Bucks are going to be on the ballot in 2021, which is something I hadn't thought about until he brought up, brought it up, I should say. What do you think? Do you think that if they continue the trajectory they're on, that they are Hall of Famers? Is the fact that people like JYD, Big Daddy, Sergeant Slaughter, whoever, are they not, you know, the fact that they're not in, do you think that, you know, stops that? Well, let me think about this for a second. So 2021 ballot, so not for, uh, so they'd be awards that would be coming out in about three years and voting a few months before that. It's tricky because they've clearly carved out a very interesting place for themselves. And even if a lot more of it is maybe even arguably going directly to them than the promotions using them, they are clearly drawing money from their fan base. Hmm. I, I mean, well, I think we'll know a lot more by 2021, though. We will know a lot more really soon. But Alan and I were just talking about my theory that ECW peaked with Barely Legal. After that, it was a different company. It wasn't enjoyable anymore. It wasn't the ECW. It really, ECW stopped being good even a few months before Barely Legal just because, you know, the delays mm-hmm. waiting for the pay-per-view. They thought the pay-per-view was going to be earlier. All the problems happened. They had to push everything back. But Barely Legal is like that point where you could say, okay, this is where things got not so good after this point. I actually think they peaked with All In because I have to admit, I was never a big fan of theirs, but I was always intrigued. And now I'm just completely bored by the whole lot of them. I just think it's just boring to the nth degree right now. And I mean, I'm sure they can come out and say, hey, we got a promotion. And, you know, all of a sudden, I don't know who they're going to sign <laughs> you know, other than themselves and their friends. But I just I think it's it's for me, at least in terms of my interest business wise, I'm bored with the whole thing now. Well, I think one thing you got to keep in mind, though, is that they knew that all elite was happening when all in happened. So it's not like ROH was going to be building up big programs with them for the rest of the year. Right. Their programs never interested me because I thought they were lame. But you get what I'm saying, though. It's not like they were going to be doing big, new, exciting things for the rest of the year. I just don't know how much more they could do that's exciting at all. I mean, again, I'm not their target audience. I don't think that their Being the Elite show is good at all. And I recognize that there is a significant audience that does. For me, I, I've, I've tried, and I just sure. think it's awful. And I'm not a fan of their in-ring work style. I just think it's, you know, hokey facial expressions, flips for no reason, guys standing around waiting to catch each other. I think the Meltzer driver never looks good to me. I think just a regular stuffed pile driver would actually look better than, you know, flipping near the stuffed pile driver. Uh, spike, are you a, so you're a stuffed pile, pile driver guy or a spike pile driver You know, guy? I was, as I was saying that, I was about to correct myself and say spike pile driver. Who just, who, someone recently said stuffed and it made me think of it. Uh, and I don't know who it was, but I don't know. I just, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, and you know, that one guy's got the hair jumping out of his head faster by the day. He's got that bandana like Brett Michaels is going to be covering his well, forehead in a few. They're heavyweights now, and 
they have to do certain things to become heavyweights, I guess. What do you mean they're heavyweights now? Are you they? didn't know that? No. Yeah, they've been the heavyweight tag champions for on and off for much of the year. For what company? New Japan. Yeah, but I, I just figured New Japan gave up on, you know, like weighing people for the. No, they still have the. No, they they gained weight and they're now they're heavyweights. Is Black that why, Osprey as well? Is that why that you think that? Uh, and, and I could be wrong. You obviously are. You and Alan will both be more up on this than me and Scott. Is that why they've been bitten a little bit more by the injury bug lately? You think is the weight gain just in terms um, of the impact on their joints and the the knees? Oh, you're being literal weight gain. You're not using it as euphemism. Okay. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm being literal with my question. I'm asking a legitimate question. Maybe, but I don't even know how much is a legit injury and in, like the back injury. I don't know how much of that is legit versus storyline. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they've worked some of the back injury spots well into the matches that they've done over the last year or so. It, 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 they've stopped a little bit now with it, um, but it wasn't so bad. I mean, me and the Young Bucks, in terms of what I like about them, is that they do they tick the boxes for their fans, and I don't think there's ever a problem with that in terms of wrestling. Um, they always give you know 100% in the ring, um, and you know the fans go home happy. So I can't really knock them too much, but then they're not 100% for me. But I don't really dislike them. I just think Brian, what What's your opinion like Will Ospreay now? He's now a heavyweight or he's going to be a heavyweight in New Japan. I haven't watched much of his stuff in a while and I feel bad because a few people, Jeff Baldrin told me I should watch that match with him and Walter, I think. And I just, I, I haven't had a chance. Yeah, you so should. I, haven't, I haven't watched him in a while, but I think he's incredibly talented at points. I don't like when things look overly rehearsed. You know, we just had a discussion on the mothership page. Another person, I mean, it keeps happening. People see the match. I think it was Ian Totten, the author who said he saw, uh, Tony Charles and Billy Robinson from Memphis. And they did all those Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko false finish spots, you know, where I don't know how to describe them, where, you know, with a pinfall, you roll over, the other guy does it. And it looked so much more natural. And it looked like they were really struggling with each other as it happened, as opposed to the synchronized swimming version of wrestling. One, two, one, yeah. two. And one, that's what two. I don't like. I, I really don't like that about Osprey when I see him do that stuff. You know, the stuff with Ricochet. You know, it's 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 a gift machine. I get that, but it's just not for me. I guess, you know, in, in general, I just don't like, and I think it's detrimental to the business. I think someone like the Young Bucks or Kenny Omega or even to an extent that Jericho, who's kind of part of the previous generation, they have the ability. Now, everyone has this ability now, but these guys have actually proven that they're able to really mobilize it. You have the ability to have a niche fan base or a super niche fan base and just cater to them and survive and profit and make things work. You never had that before. But to me, I've thought about it a lot lately. I'm just not as big a fan of everything being judged on work rate as it is now. I feel like this is the culmination of just everything is work rate, work rate, work rate, and there's no emotion. I've seen some stuff yeah. recently where someone sent me clips and there was... Stuff going on and people are just sitting on their hands, like an entire, entire bleacher section, just sitting there watching shit go down and no one's flinching, no one's moving and everyone's white and everyone's in a t-shirt and it just- You know who actually agrees with you about this? No. Your buddy Lance Storm. Well, he's an idiot. So, I mean, that almost makes me question <laughs> my entire argument. Uh, and by the way, until he admits he was on steroids, everyone should dismiss anything oh, dear. that clown says. Everything that clown says until he can come out and say, yes, I've been embarrassed. I didn't want to admit it to my family or anyone else, but it's impossible to keep the physique I had and be on the road with the WWE and do all these things. There's no way. That's the thing. Until he admits that, he has no credibility whatsoever. Alan? Uh, no, I'm Brian. 
<laughs> I'm trying to wedge in a word, uh, you know. <laughs> Go ahead, Scott. I thought you were at the end of that thing. But I did want to ask all of you, uh, Bix, Alan, how long do you think the their large growing fan base will continue to support and be into the Bucks on top uh, of every show they do? Main event going over every a couple more years if they stay healthy or yeah they've got they've got a shelf life they've got to have a shelf life i mean one one thing that i think they were discussing doing um or what they've been doing successfully is running kind of shows that have been the elite shows uh with them on top with another promotion where they're taking a cut the profits of the whole whole show rather than taking a booking fee um and i think that's an interesting way where they can get more interest uh across the world but i think it's going to have to stop at some point. There is, you know, a shelf life for everybody. Once you've seen, you know, a, a good act once or twice, even if it's a good musical act, a good uh, stand-up comedian, whatever, unless they are, you know, the best and they change their act all the time, you're going to stop going eventually. And I think the books, they haven't evolved. They've been very, very stagnant now in terms of what they are and what they're doing in the ring. Uh, I think a change of pace would suit them. And I think that may give them an extra boost of, a, you know, a couple of years. But I think the way they are at the moment, I can only see it you know, another two or three years. Well, let me just say two things here and then I'll let you guys jump in. But one, uh, to my previous point about everything being work rate driven and how I think that's actually a net negative for the wrestling business and you can't grow an audience like that. I've said this before, but when it came to tape trading, I was as interested in the angles and the interviews as I was the five-star matches. You know, for every New Japan Junior Heavyweight match, I was really into finding really cool angles from Georgia or Florida, or whatever, where people cared, and it was a cool angle, and you hadn't seen anything like it, and it felt kind of real, and then really great promos. And wrestling's lost that. And now everything is just, you know, every one of these guys is capable of a five-star match on a given night. And I don't know if that's a good thing. I know it sounds crazy, but everything being work-rate-driven, I think, doesn't grow an audience. And uh, Bix, I'm going to open this up to you, and we'll get back to classic wrestling in a moment, everyone out there wondering and worried about what's going on with the show right now, but Bix and Allen, let me get your opinions. Let's say All Elite starts up in the next month. Let's say they get this big financial backer. Where are they getting talent? Because Ring of Honor is trying to lock people up. WWE is trying to lock up anyone that they think Ring of Honor or anyone else is going to want a piece of. Where are they going to get talent to work for them? I mean, first of all, there are a lot of people that aren't signing specifically because they know WWE is just trying to lock up people so they don't get signed elsewhere. Are there a lot of people not signing because of that? I mean... I did an article that talked to a few people, and there have been other people who have been open about it publicly. But there are, you know, a lot of the people who would be. Yeah, but is that enough to build a promotion around? Well, they don't all need to be exclusive at the beginning, but also, I mean, here, here's part of it, too. A lot of WWE guys have contracts going up, going up in 2019. I mean, coming up. Yeah. Of, I, I could say a lot of WWE guys want releases. Uh, if I could be frank, uh, from what I know without going into too much detail, there's a lot yeah. of people, you know, even without all elite, there are people unhappy there. And also there are people who feel like they're, they're either lost in the shuffle or they're about to be because there's so many guys they've signed and there's so many guys in NXT and you can only keep a guy in NXT for so long if the whole goal of NXT is to bring people up anyway. So I think it's going to be a really interesting period of time, but with all elite, it could be a number of things. It could be a viable promotion. Although again, it comes down to talent. And it comes down to TV. I, I won't even go that far. 
Because I think if a promotion did it right and promoted it right, you don't need TV. You could do YouTube. I, I firmly believe that. Um, I mean, the scuttlebutt is, though, that they are in very good talk with legit major cable networks. So. Okay, well, then it comes down to talent and also programming. And how's your programming going to differentiate itself from all the other shitty shows out there who have the same talent and the same matches and the same commentators and the same kind of commentators and everyone's doing stupid shit? How do you differentiate yourself from that? But the other thing is it could end up being the first version of UWF. Sayama and Maeda and Takata and Fujiwara, they leave. And they got a lot of buzz, and everyone in Tokyo can't wait, and no one else gave a shit. And within a year and a half, they had to go back. They had no other choice. They weren't going to survive. Now, obviously, if they have a big financial backer, and, and the cons are a serious family when it comes to money. And they're not Yakuza. And they're not Yakuza that we know of. You never know. You know? Yeah, we know. Have you yeah. seen tattoos? We don't know. But the point is, it could end up being that, where, yeah, we're going to do this, but it may not work. And we also don't know... And no one could know this until they try it. We don't know how something like the Young Bucks or a Kenny Omega or whoever else will be involved with that will cross over to fans that aren't already on board with them. Do you know what the key to all this is as well, I think, to me? To make some of the WWE guys jump over is, are they going to offer health benefits? Are they going to be employees? I mean, Cody Rhodes has uh, talked about this quite a lot, how people should unionize, this, that, and the other, but... Are they going to go through with that? And I think that's going to be an interesting thing in a bargaining chip that maybe they can use to get some of the guys that are on the fence in WWE to move over. That's a very good point. It is a good point. But again, also, what's the long-term viability? You know, that's the, that's the one thing I would be concerned with. And also, is the idea of All Elite that these guys are going to be running the creative, Cody and the Bucks? That's the... That's some of the Because I'd be worried I get, about that. But, I'd be worried but, about that, and not necessarily just because of what they're doing now, but just because what happens in a year or 18 months when their ideas run out or their ideas aren't connecting to that level anymore. If you own a piece of the company, it's going to be tough to remove yourself from that position of being the person in charge of the creative. Well, even though I get the vibe that they will be, the thing is, though, and Meltzer's talked about this, and I'm sure this is true because Tony Khan is such a big fan of watching old Memphis and Mid-South tapes and stuff. Dave says the idea is that the TV and stuff will be modeled after old Mid-South TV. How you pull that off with your shows being anchored around the Young Bucks, I don't really know, but yeah. that's the idea. You need the talent. And if it's just Cody, the Bucks, and Kenny Omega, they need talent. That's not enough. And again, I, I think it could end up being the first version of UWF where they have their fans, but they're going to have a very difficult time growing beyond that. And also, you know, as soon as that announcement's made, look, it's already started. I don't have to wait for the announcement. The WWE is going to do everything they can to fuck with them and crush them. You know that's going to happen. So, I mean, that's where it's going to get interesting, too. Are they going to have a relationship going forward with Ring of Honor, even though they're not going to be working there? Are they going to try to have a business relationship so they can open the door to share talent? I mean, there's a lot of interesting things going on. Is Ring of Honor going to see them as competition? Because then you're going to have to worry about Sinclair. I mean, there's a lot of interesting little things here. Well, part of the vibe, not necessarily that this is why Cody and the Bucks are doing it, but I think lately it feels like there's been a lot more fan backlash towards the idea of supporting Sinclair. And I wonder if that helps the Bucks and Cody in terms of getting away from ROH and makes a promotion away from ROH more viable. 
I think that's an in the bubble thing. I think if you get out the bubble and just an average guy that watches Ring of Honor on the street hasn't got a clue, really, issues with Sinclair, it fought, sure, to the point where they care. Sure, off of the bubble fan, so... Yeah, I just think it's, yeah. it's it's not. I think the point isn't isn't great at the moment for that uh, to be an issue. To, for, in my opinion, anyway. Let me tell you something. When Arcadian Vanguard Championship Wrestling starts up, <laughs> I will crush all these suckers one by one, and my street team will be promoting it all over the place. But anyway, let's uh, let's add someone to the call, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this person, I believe, is standing by. He said he's on standby. He's become very popular here on this show. I'm adding him right now. Are you Alvarez now? This person here. No, please don't <laughs> compare me to Brian Alvarez. Uh, adding him right now. Uh, should be being picking up. Let's see. Should be picking up any moment. <laughs> there he is. La da dee da da. No, that's Scott. Are you there? How are you? There we go. It's the <laughs> booming voice of the popular Lou Kippelman. Lou, welcome to New Year's Star Wars. And uh, that's a good Dominic. I gotta give you <laughs> give you a pat on the back for that. And, but, uh, a, a, actually, I was trying to go for Bobby Bittman. But, oh, I thought it know, was Dominic. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take what I can get. Oh, How's it on. going, wrestling fans? Do your Bobby Bittman again. How are you? <laughs> I thought you were doing Dominic. <laughs> well, Lou, you're on the line with Scott Cornish, David Vixenspan, and Alan Blackstock. Welcome to Holiday Star Wars. Ah, and a wow, it, was, it felt like yesterday we were doing this. It, we're doing it again. It almost was. <laughs> it almost was. But uh, Lou, welcome to the show. Any New Year's resolutions? Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> just, uh, uh, I don't know, keep myself out of trouble. It's um, a, a good one to start with. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, I don't know. Just, yeah, keep my nose clean and... And uh, keep writing your coattails. Oh, well, let's not say that, but keep your nose clean. That's a good one. Jake Roberts, hope you're listening. Keep your I nose clean. You say- I, I, I would. I guess I don't have to now. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. Well, ladies and gentlemen, David Dixon Span, formerly a dead spin, soon to be uh, <laughs> entangled in lawsuits nationwide. No. No. Brian, Brian, guys, I've got a question for you all. Yeah. Um, if you had a time machine, like Quantum Leap style, when in wrestling would you go back to and who would you be? Who would I be? Well, see, that now you, you threw me for a loop there. Where I would go back to is one thing. Who would I be? I get to be someone in the business or I get to be just yeah, someone in the business is Quantum Leap. But no, you don't get to choose on Quantum Leap. Though. No, you don't. But let's just say for this argument, you do. I never watched Quantum Leap, so I wasn't <laughs> sure the rules of the Quantum Leapers. Um, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what's more incredible, the fact that I get to change my identity at will or that I can travel through time. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I got to think about that for a second. Uh, have you thought about this, Alan? Do you have an answer for yourself? Yeah, I would say I would be Lanny Poffo in 1998 because I would have a huge slong and I would uh, be getting paid 500 grand a year to do fuck all. So that, that would work. I guess it's better than being Lanny Poffo in 1978 where it's just blowjob city, but there's no one else in the room. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, oh, let's God. see. I, you know, I've thought about the idea of where would I want to go back to? And there's actually like no firm answer because I would love to be like 1984 Mid-South. I would love to be able to see some of those shows, but there are so many years in so many places. 
And it's really just, you know, at 74 Florida. I would love to be there for that. When Bruno first took off in New York, when Rocco was in New York, I'd love to be in the garden when that riot You happened. would take a time machine to watch WWF wrestling? What the fuck is wrong with you? I would take a time machine <laughs> to sit in the crowd at the garden and experience that. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because I, I think that's part of the enjoyment of wrestling, was the audience being into it. It may be easy to forget that now when everyone's sitting on their hands and looking at their wallet, but... I dig that. I, that's why I even can watch some of those old MSG cards. It's just because of the fans. I like the reaction of the fans. But uh, you, you also then do you a- don't go shitting on uh, Bobo Brazil versus John Stone anymore. Oh well, no, the fans were not paying much attention. Were the fans really into that match? That wasn't what I remember. Well, I mean, it is Philly, um, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think Philly fans are going to be into Bobo Brazil matches given the signs they started bringing about JYD a couple years later. Oh boy. Uh, who would I be in wrestling history? Uh, I wouldn't say anyone because everyone is dead or, you know, old now. So I, I think I would just want to be myself. Is there any way I can jump into this time machine as myself and be myself? Yeah, I can let you do that. So where would, where did you say you'd go? You'd go in, in the Northeast. You'd be. No, what, I wouldn't, no, no, no. That was just an example. Don't, don't follow Bix's lead on that. I'm not going to pick that. If I could pick one place to be in wrestling history, you know what? I'm going to pick. The Carolinas in the mid-70s, because not only was it really good, but also I'm within driving distance to Georgia. I can get to Tennessee if I really want to. Florida's not a crazy distance away. I, that's the thing I would want. If I, if I could go back in time and be the level of wrestling fan that I am, I would want to be able to travel to different places. Mm. All right. I killed the room, ladies and gentlemen. Another option <laughs> is uh, I'd like to be Dr. Mike Leno in 1966 shooting ringside in Los Angeles. Mix. <laughs> what about you where would you go back in time to hmm. you could be yourself you don't have to change uh forms okay so i don't have <laughs> i don't have to decide to be beulah in knoxville or anything to take in the wrestling okay um hmm i thought you were gonna say beulah in ecw when you first started no <laughs> beulah the knoxville fan the one, the one who, who has the thing with hogan in 97 i know bouncing beulah i thought the bouncing beulah is McGillicott. No, <laughs> I saw the Penthouse magazine. I remember when people would bring her around to ECW, and it was really awkward when they would want her to sign it. And eventually, she like refused. But there, <laughs> there were fans who would show up with it. It was always really cringy. <laughs> Why would you bring that to the show? I remember the one year we went to uh, Smoky Mountain Fan Week, and Cornette gets on the bus. <laughs> this was when ECW was really getting going and really hugely popular. He didn't want to know about any wrestlers. He didn't want to know about any uh, behind-the-scenes gossip or whatever. He turned to the guys from Philly and he said, who the hell is Beulah McGillicuddy? <laughs> That's the last fan week then. Yeah, that wasn't on the bus. That was at the Q&A because I remember who responded. Yeah, the person who responded, everyone laughed, and Greg Greenland jumped in very casually and just said, she's a fly-in, and then Jimmy lost it. <laughs> when he heard that they were flying her in for that. <laughs> and by the way, Greg Greenland, hopefully he'll be on the show uh, in the next few months. I got to get in touch with Greg. He's uh, one of the guests I really want to get on the show. He has a very interesting perspective of things because he saw a lot of things from a oh. very unique perspective, I guess is the best way to put it. So uh, if Greg's listening, hopefully uh, I'll get you back on, get you on the show for the first time in the next few months. Uh, good friend to Scott Cornish. That's right. Okay. I never answered. Uh, Am I not allowed to? Basically, pick your answer since that's a good one. Beulah, you can go wherever you want. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. <laughs> um, 
No, I, I would. Yeah, I would go with. I would go. Yeah, I would go with late seventies Knoxville. Yeah, that's a good pick. That's a, and, and, then, and then I would have proximity to other places, too. Yeah, you know what? That actually is a really good pick. Because actually, that's probably even better than Mid-Atlantic, because from Knoxville, you can hit Georgia, Mid-Atlantic, Alabama, uh, Western Tennessee, and then obviously Florida is not a crazy distance. That, that's probably a better pick than mine. Yeah. yeah. You're assuming that once you get there in your time machine, <laughs> then you have to drive. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's a good Well, point. it's a time machine. It's not a time and space machine. Oh, that's great. That's right. Scott, where would you go? <laughs> yeah, it's probably close to what Vic said. I, I'm thinking Memphis uh, because at a specific time, whenever, whenever whenever it was especially hot, yeah, I would have loved to have seen that Andy Kaufman stuff, and it wasn't the greatest thing that they ever did. Um, but uh, go back a few years earlier when you were, as you mentioned, close to when there was still stuff going on in uh, in uh, – Kingsport or, or Knoxville or, or wherever else in that area down into uh, down into Alabama and so forth. That just seemed like an amazing uh, time and area. I think you're all missing a trick here with, with, with these traveling. Why don't you all, in a way, you could just say, I'm going to go to Tokyo in 1981 or 79 and you just see a shitload of shows without traveling anywhere. That's a good point, too. <laughs> I'd love to see like an all Japan women's show in like the mid eighties. That looks like such a crazy scene to be a part of. Oh, and you'd be like, Meltzer was just like the only dude, much less white dude in the whole building. Yeah. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Him and uh, Kurt Brown and Jeff Baldron. Well, actually, I don't know if Kurt went to all Japan women. I know Jeff Baldron did. Well, that was in 90. Though. Jeff went with it. Well, that's the thing. By the time Kurt went, I don't remember if they went to all Japan women. It's a different promotion. And then. When Jeff went is when it's still, you know, crush gals and all that. Yeah. See, that's the stuff I'd want to see. When Shigosu was still cute. That's what I want, would, oh, what I would want to see. What? What did I say that's wrong? Oh, dear. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Lou, Lou, where would you go? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, Knoxville. Yeah. The more I, you know, hear about it on Ron Fuller's stud cast. Uh, you know, it just, it just sounds like a, uh, great territory in terms of, yeah, payoffs and, uh, road mileage and such. Yeah. Florida sounds great too. Uh, especially around the, yeah, early to mid seventies when it was really popping. Uh, you know, as far as me here on the West coast, you know, keeping in mind that the West Coast was, you know, you could definitely make shots here, go to Hawaii, go to Japan. I'd also, you know, one of the great kind of underappreciated territories would be Don Owen uh, in Portland. So, yeah, yeah, perhaps, you know, doing doing the homesteading in, in Portland or, you know, Portland, Seattle, uh, Vancouver, pre-Altomco, you know, stuff like that. Alan, I know you have to jump off the call soon because what what time is it right now in England? Quarter to midnight. Yeah, I know you got to jump off the <laughs> off the call pretty oh, soon. That's nothing. <laughs> well, Alan, uh, before you go, and I'd like you to say some final words to the listeners. But where would you go, and and who would you be? 
Oh, where, where would I go really? Where, who would I be? I, w- I, I would probably, just because I'm a lover of Memphis, Memphis in 1982, um, like other people said, he can travel around as well. But I just think seeing Memphis just with the Mid-South Coliseum sold out uh, week in, week out for a, a stretch at that time, I just think it would have been an awesome time to be a wrestling fan and be in that city. Uh, just how famous the wrestlers were on TV as well and how f- famous they were in the local community had been really cool to see. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely where I'd go. And uh, one final thought before, leave you know i discussed uh i think it was late last year or early this year brian i was on 605 and overrated i said uh dean malenko was probably one of the most overrated wrestlers i've ever seen i remember yeah well i'm going to upgrade it now it's finn balor um he's he's just he malenko is a wrestling god compared to finn balor i think he's the most overrated wrestler i have ever seen he's i can't think of one match that stands out to me apart from maybe one or two nxt matches that were all right uh for not great four stars maybe but yeah nothing more i think he's totally overrated i agree with you i actually completely agree with you on this one i don't see it with him i don't get it so no, that's, but that's I, I me. Don't. That's me, and I like old school wrestling. So what the fuck do I know? Well, Loki, uh, big hog, though. I'm sorry. Never mind. Oh, bigs. Well, on that note, guys. Yeah, yeah well, I'm going to say wish you a happy new year. Yeah. Anything you want to say to the six oh fivers? Yeah, six oh fivers. You guys on the Facebook pages, you support Brian and all the Arcadian Vanguard shows, and Scott does a lot for six oh five as well. And Lou's been brought in now this year. It's great to hear you on the shows, Lou. Uh, I think you're doing a great job, everybody, and I hope uh, successful 2019. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Alan, and happy New Year to you and your family. And uh, we'll be talking soon. We'll do the Hall of Fame special soon, and you get to rant about all this one more time. Awesome. Adios, guys. Adios. All right, not Big Daddy. Not Big Daddy is leaving the call, and uh, there he goes, Alan Blackstock, great friend of the show, and he has left the call, and we're going to add someone in a moment. Question is, do I call Dominic first, or do I add this person? Oh, God. Well, <laughs> I brought oh, it up. Actually, can I ask you a technical question, Brian? You may. Have you had any issues lately with trying to add Dominic's hotline to calls, and then the recorder stopped recording? I haven't, although, you know, um, obviously the only time I added him recently was the Star Wars, and then we did the Easter egg for the anniversary show. I didn't have a problem with either time. Uh, it's not like I'm calling him every day. <laughs> you know, I've had that happen where the all of a sudden, that's, that's why I, I've had to stop doing that before I let you in on that uh, whole thing, that it just would, the recorder would stop when I added him, so it just would kill the whole thing. So. Okay, hold on. Before uh, before we add the next person, let's try Dominic. Let's see if let's see if it works now. Let me get it. And phone. then you're gonna ruin the whole show. Okay. Well, <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> let me get. As soon as it's time to tap out, I'm gonna tap out on this. All right. But let's uh, let's add Dominic, or as some people give call the phone him. number in case anyone wants to call. Two one two six two nine one nine zero zero. The wrestling hot seat which for 20-plus years has been in operation, although, oh, with, di- although with, different f- years. with different phone numbers at, at different times. Mm. So let's uh, add him here. Usually you get one ring and then a deep breath, and then, hey, it's Dom. <phone rings> Recorder's still going, Bix. Hey, you doing, wrestling fans? It's Sunday, December 30th, here on the Wrestling Hot Seat. This is Dominic. It's a 10 bell salute for our podcast. What is he doing? Jesus.
There's all, all right, the 10 bells with today's report. Within the course of less than a week, we lost two of, they say, Pittsburgh's legendary wrestlers. They say. Died two weeks. Wait a minute, let me see what I wrote here. Died two <laughs> weeks apart from each other. Frank Durso and Hurricane Bobby Hunt. I remember seeing those guys on TV, and they really didn't travel out of Pittsburgh because I think both of them had regular jobs. They called them WWE enhancement guys. Frank Durso died. He was 81 years old on December 7th. Um, health issues with an ongoing incident. And Hurricane Bobby Hunt died on December 27th. With an ongoing incident? They didn't incident. say the cause of death of Hurricane Bobby Hunt, but I remember both of those guys. Frank Derso, Frank Holtz, Hurricane Bobby Hunt, Jumpin' Johnny DeFazio. Wait, what? They never traveled out of the Pittsburgh area because they had uh, other jobs. All right. Okay, let's see. Today's wrestler's birthday is PCO from MLW. <laughs> Not anymore. Pierre Carl Ouellette. Uh We got Eddie Edwards, um, Bill Kazmaier, Tigress, one of the Nitro girls, Don Montoya, Nobukazu Harai, referee Fred Richards, Curtis Slamdog, Jack and Elvin, the Soul Brothers, um, and a guy called Ice Cream. <laughs> and I remember him. It was a masked guy, and his head yeah, and his face looked like an ice cream cone. <laughs> Celebrities. Yeah. A lot of legends here. Um, Jack Lord, Hawaii Five-0. Ah, Legendary oh, baseball yeah. pitcher, Sandy Koufax. Yeah. Tiger mm. Woods, LeBron James, actor Joe Bologna, Davy Jones, uh, Mike Nesmith, David Jones and, and Mike Nesbitt are the same birthday? A long-time caller of mine from back in the day, Val in Michigan. I don't know if she's still out there, Val. Happy birthday. And according to Captain Lenny, what he saw her on Saturday was a Mickey Mouse <laughs> special. And Mickey Mouse is 90 years old. All right, thank wow, you, Captain Lenny. Old, old for a mouse. I guess she got, never got caught in any traps. So... Oh. December 29th was Mickey Mouse's birthday. He turned 90. And the day in wrestling history. December 30th, 1972. The Bounty Hunters, David and Jerry Novak. They were in WWF as enhancement guys. Um, with manager Jimmy Kent. Defeated Jerry Jarrett and Tojo Yamamoto in Chattanooga, Tennessee, to win for the third time the uh, Tag Team Championship, the Southern version, the Southern Tag Team titles. And it's a gimmick just like yours. Well, Pete and Bergen got part of it, and so did Alpha Midland Beach get part of it. It did have to do with J.R., I'm Patrick actually hanging out for something it. specific I All heard right. that he, he uh, may mention. Jerry Lawler. So a few people said Jerry Lawler or JR or anybody like that. You all got credit for it. <laughs> Jerry Lawler. Because Jerry Lawler said to Jim Ross, why do you always wear that cowboy hat? And Jim Ross says, it's a gimmick, King, just like your crown. 
Okay. okay. Now, the quote for today, who used to say this? <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you probably forgot his name. That's why I'm giving it, because he ain't been around recently. <laughs> All right. Very sad. My new hotline it. number. Oh. 773-572-6398. All right. That'll start probably January the 1st. Whoa. Tournament match. Brett the Hitman Hart, the winner over Larry. All right. I can't anymore. I, uh, wow. I, I hung on right? that long because someone actually messaged me and said Dominic's going to have a new hotline number. So I wanted to see if he mentioned it. I didn't realize we'd have to go hey, through yeah. all that history there. But oh, Brian. Yeah. That guy whose birthday it is today, Ice Cream. <laughs> yes. I have his theme song. I used to love it. You want to hear it? Sure. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> Was there really a wrestler named Ice Cream? Yes, in AAA. And by him? Ice Cream. <laughs> <laughs> Send you the Blue Jubilee page. Oh my. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me add and someone here to the call. Uh, had a great tag team with Mr. Softy. That's right. <laughs> oh, ha- uh, Scott, turn that off now. Scott. <laughs> now I want to hear you narrate the uh, adding the next call. I kept running to the window the more you kept playing that music. <laughs> Speaking of terrible things, by the way, Brian, did you get the new package from ECW Press? Uh, I haven't been to the P.O. Oh. Box in a couple days. Okay. They've sent out a five months in advance pre-release version of the Al Snow book. Oh, I won't be doing anything about that book on this show. I'll tell you that. Okay. Yeah. I so I started hunting for just at the I got earlier for if there was anything interesting in the OVW area. If he said maybe anything bad about anyone, mm-hmm. um, and he talked about how it was bad that CM Punk cut a promo on a girl at the convenience store who told a Mexican-American wrestler that her family is big in the Ku Klux Klan because they turned out to be involved with the local building and they canceled canceled the OVW days. Al Snow said in the book that he thought it was wrong that CM Punk cut a promo on a girl after she said her family was in the Klan? Said it to a, after asking another, a wrestler who was with Punk, oh, what are, where are your parents? Are you Mexican? And then being like, yeah, 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 my my dad's big with the local KKK here. And then Punk naturally cuts a promo on her. But this led to a building not wanting to rent to them anymore because the Klansman was involved with it. All and right. Al, Snow, Al Snow said Punk apologized, which who knows if that happened, but that's the important lesson. Did he say I that guess. there were people wrong on both sides? Did he say that? (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, joining the conversation right now, a very, very, very popular man here in the Super Podcast world, and that is, some call him Howard Brown, but it is in fact Howard Baum (laughs) joining the show right now. Howard, welcome to Holiday Star Wars. And lastly, a very Merry Christmas to Abdullah Tamba Jr., (laughs) Miss Millie Burke, and Mr. Brian Huff. So... Happy Christmas, everybody, and I look forward to the big New Year's Star Wars. See you next week, everybody. <laughs> Bye-bye. Well, uh, well, Howard, you know Howard. what, actually? Kurt, Kurt Baum over there mentioning uh, Millie Burke reminds me that I got a new Lano email. <laughs> what, what did Lano have As to say? As always, now? I am honored and esteemed to be among oh. this amazing panel. Mm-hmm. Very chuffed to be here tonight. On Looking the line with you right now, it. Howard, is Scott Cornish, David Bixenspan, Luke Hippelman and myself. Ah, tremendous. Let me so, go to my Lano like, email folder. 
Four Jews Sounds and like a Gentile. Quite a minion. Wow. <laughs> Quite a minion. Speaking of of Leno, I have my own Leno story, believe it or not, but it's not that interesting. I want to hear Bix's uh, email. Uh, This isn't that interesting either. Uh, Comic Harry Shearer, this is all the subject line, on his NPR show just called Nancy Pelosi, one word with no space but the P capitalized, a quote, WWE heel... Uh, in his Trump impression voice, kidding around. His Le Show every Sunday, this is the actual body of the email, is always an outstanding comedic take on the week's news, politics. He's a, he's the very famous comic who does many of the voices, like Mr. Burns, Smithers, etc., on, and then he made sure to put in italics, The Simpsons. That's the subject line? All right, the mic no, the, news. No, the second part was the thing, yeah. I know they've gotten less funny lately. No, but it's just it's the whole idea. But someone else just—I'm uh, not going to say who, but someone—I uh, don't—I don't want to give any clues. Someone recently <laughs> wrote to me, and uh, not, they said, uh, "Leno just sent me an email." I said, "Oh, you know, congratulations, <laughs> welcome to the club." And it, <laughs> does he usually put everything in the subject line? I was like, "Yeah, that that tends to happen." <laughs> I, I don't understand. Uh, why. But uh, so, Lou, what is your uh, story? Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. You, I thought you were done with no, the email, no. Bix. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying also, uh, Dave Prezak found that the photo of Dennis with Todd Gordon and Stately Way Manor that was discussed on the last Star Wars yeah. was on the cover of an issue of Lano's Wrestling Reality. Well, there you go. Which he had actually tweeted at both of us a few years ago. It was the sixth issue. Let me read what it says. Huh. Uh, Philly's brotherly love wanes as Stately teaches Dennis and Todd, parenthesis, going, going, manners. Is there someone out there that really likes his style? Is there someone out there that's like, man, Leno is just so hip and like so cool and he's got these funny little puns. Is there like a fan of this shit? I think it's a throwback to the Rex Reed, Rona Barrett days. I think it's a breath of fresh air. When our critics had some style and panache, your jeans shallots. Oh my God, you know? this is even better. So of the little other parts that show up here, um, something about all the news that's fit to download. Judge Ito says, S-E-Z, at, I think he means it best, sheet italicized news, is only allegation and rumor. But then Judge Ito means little judge in Espanol. So holy molar, Batman. <laughs> Les, L-E-Z, gets <laughs> shooting from the lip. Issue six. See, does he write this easily uh, or does he like sit down and craft it? That's the thing we don't know. Is it something I just like, right. it's just one, two, three, and he wrote it and there it is? Or is it like, how could I make, how could I touch this up? To really well, because like when you message it. with him online, like more informally, he doesn't talk like that. Right, right. Mm. You would think uh, you would think at first glance that it's easier to write like that, but now that you say that, it might be ten times as hard to write like that. Yeah, it takes work to be that inscrutable. I think. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me of a of a neighbor I have. She's always on Facebook, and in real life, she's like. A 67-year-old hobbled-over woman trying to cling to the last vestiges of youth so she can get over at the next wine mixer and release herself from this hell. 
So she's, she has like the brittle bone disease and she like, I watch her out my window, like getting out of the car. It's a half hour process. But on Facebook, it's like a picture of her toes with the sunlight in the back. And she always tries to act like she's hip, like with the Whippet South Beach crowd. And she's like, spent the day in Fort Lauderdale today, toasting the old tostadas. And I'm like, oh, man, if all her zero followers could see her real life out my window, it's like the saddest <laughs> David Bowie song come to life. <laughs> so I, I propose that it's harder to write in that jovial style, that jaunty, well, I heard my uh, second toe is going to be amputated today, the old amputato. You know, it's harder to put a spin on it than... <laughs> we should do a Mike Leno writing stuff. contest. Where oh, we have God. like a timed contest where you have to write a paragraph in Lanoese in you know, <laughs> a minute or less. I think he comes up on the show about as much as he deserves to come up, which is not that much. <laughs> <laughs> Lou, Lou, I'm dying to know what's your Lano story. So uh, it's so friggin' random. It starts with me back around, I want to say 94 or 90, 95 probably where I somehow I got like a, a, a four week free subscription to the wrestling torch. The pro Yeah. Well, the, Wade Keller's always been pretty aggressive in marketing and he's done like a lot of dollar deals and stuff. Yeah. And he had, he was the first newsletter guy that had like full page ads in the magazines. Like he's always been pretty good about giving people free samples, thinking that it'll get them hooked for a future subscription. Yeah. And so in that, in that short window where I got the torch, um, I got a phone call from him and he was like i i guess he was doing like a vox populi thing amongst his subscribers uh to to ask about the the Mac, uh, the mcmahon steroid trial which was going on at the time and so i said a little something and he you know did a pull quote for me um some period of time later i'm at work and uh one of my bosses says uh, Lou, there's a phone call for you. Oh, no. uh, somebody named Mike Lano. And I'm, I'm like, <laughs> okay. So like I end up, yeah, I end up. Now wait picking, a second. Did you know who yeah. he was? I, I, you know, I think I did have some idea. If from... he was getting the torch a little longer, he would have, because Bruce Mitchell and his year end poll would always have something about fanboy oddity. Oddity Mike, Mike <laughs> <laughs> Which Sean Arezzi yeah. still calls him oh. to this day because of that. You know, I think your own question because if who <laughs> knew who Mike Lano was, he would have uh, refused the call. <laughs> no, I, I I was then a naive, trusting soul, and I don't think I've completely shaken that by now. Um, <laughs> I I think I had heard Lano. I think I had heard Lano's name being bandied about on Usenet, rec.sport.pro-wrestling. Um, whether it was in a favorable or less than favorable light, I can't recall. So I get a, yeah. So I like take the call in a, in a, you know, some office in, in the building. And he just, just starts out, you know, talking to me like we've been buds for, you know, time since time immemorial. And I'm like, hmm. Okay, then. And he's going and he's talking and, and you know, he, he, in the back of my head, I didn't want to bring up the subject of, well, how did you get my work number? 
I don't know if he, you know, going back, I'm like stepping back. I'm like, okay, maybe he saw my name, uh, my, you know, my hometown at the time, uh, in Northern California. And then somehow he reverse engineered, found like, uh, my mom's phone number because I was freshly out of college and, uh, moved back home. Uh, and I can only imagine that he called my mom and, and she said, no, well, he's working. Here's the phone number. And then boom, there's that connection is made. So he, he ends up spending an hour, I think, talking my ear off about just everything, you know, kind of wrestling, wrestling, wrestling related Bay area, you know, um, indie related or whatever. And he was like wow. trying to drop, dropping some like insidery stuff, like talking about, uh, Herbo Turbo's, uh, tour, tour of Israel and, <laughs> and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm like, mm, okay, man. And then, you know, then he got my address and he sent me, oh God, he sent me like a, uh, a picture postcard from the Sabu fan club and, um, some, I forget what else he, he didn't send me the, uh, wrestling reality newsletter or oh, anything wait a second, like that. Wait a, second, wait a second though. The Sabu fan club. That was not, that wasn't his, that was Gabe Sapolsky's. It was Gabe's. Yeah. So he but... repurposed a Sabu <laughs> fan club card to you for no apparent reason. He just sent it to me. I mean, just as, <laughs> you know, what I, I, I <laughs> remember my story when I first started getting stuff from Leno, he would send me some wrestling things. And then one day, and I still have it. I just went through my Leno file the other day. I posted some stuff on the mothership page. Like when he sent me a coupon for a free dental visit and, uh, and when, uh, he, when he wrote out his resume and Scott wrote at the bottom, this is like a 98 <laughs> wrestlers pissed off since 1966, but he sent me, yeah. he sent no. <laughs> I have no memory of what that thing is or what I wrote on it or how I it ever came into my hands. <laughs> he sent me a photocopied page from the National Enquirer. It wasn't even the whole page. It was like crookedly photocopied and cut off. Yeah. And it was about Farrah Fawcett. And it just said, and I'm paraphrasing. I have to, I have the real thing here. Man, Brian, Farrah's really gone downhill. And I'm like, uh, I've I'm never awful. spoken with anyone about Farrah Fawcett. I don't. Give a shit. Like, why did he send this to me? And that's Leno. By the way, Lou, when you started your story, knowing that you live in the Bay Area, I thought you were going to go, well, one time in, like, 94, I had a cavity. And, you know, right. <laughs> thank, thank goodness. No, I, yeah, I found a different dentist. But then, yeah, and then eventually he just, you know, sent me a couple of emails here and there. And at the time, I was, you know, had a day job. I had graduated with a theater degree and I was doing like Shakespeare in the summertime. And he's like, Oh, give me the info. I'll plug it on my public access show. Yeah. I'm like, okay. You know, that's he, you know, I, I lived, I grew up in Marin County just over the golden gate bridge. So I had never seen canvas cavity and I guess he didn't have the uh, wherewithal to bicycle his tape from the East Bay up to the North Bay. So who who knows what the hell he did with that? But it's like, okay, okay, uh, media magnate, go go run wild. I got to say, too, just a little side story. 
I'm a big fan of the torch in like 91, but I think that may be the best work Wade Keller ever did was the steroid trial stuff in 94. Bix, mm-hmm. what do you think? Oh, I think that's the bar- Oh, at like from a reporting point of view. I mean, if nothing else, I mean that he he was did a phenomenal job for especially something he would not be used to doing, getting the meat of all that testimony down on paper. Yeah, no, that that's like if there was ever a period of time to get the torch. It was right there, in like spring of '94 to get that stuff. That that coverage was really really good. And uh, that was when I was getting it, too. So I remember all that. And that was when you had Mark Madden, Chris Zavisa, Bruce Mitchell. And uh, yeah, it was a good period of time to get it. Eric Kroll, Harley Gill. I don't remember them uh, at all. That must have been- I, don't ever, I don't think anyone remembers anything they wrote. <laughs> that must have been after that period of time, though, I was going to say. But listen, guys, I want to bring something up. Before everyone was on the line, when it was just me and Scott, and I don't even know if Alan was on the line yet. Alan Blackstock, of course, was on the show uh, a little earlier. We talked about Dominic Valente. And I brought up the fact that I find it reprehensible, anyone who discriminates based on anything other than intelligence. I really just, I find it awful. Yet there's this this recording that's come to my attention of Dominic on his show doing a rant against homosexuals. Now, on the surface, I was like, that's so wrong and so offensive. But I remember Dominic liked the Grand Wizard. Like, I'm sure Dominic was a fan of Pat Patterson. I used to talk to Dominic. So I find it, you know, ironic. It's always weird when anyone involved with or a fan of or near wrestling is homophobic. It just makes no sense whatsoever because this business has been filled with people like Jim Barnett and Pat Patterson who aren't just, you know, Pat Patterson wasn't just a great wrestler, but highly influential behind the scenes. So it's really just ridiculous to be homophobic and be a wrestling fan. But I listened to it and I got to admit, I couldn't get too upset because it's Dominic. And it's so ridiculous, and it's so ignorant. Has has everyone on this call heard this? Is this the thing that's on YouTube? I, yeah. I saw it a long time ago. No, I haven't. Scott, you I haven't, haven't either. Howard, have you? I have not. I'm going to play this right now. Let me first say the views expressed by the host of the Wrestling Hot Seat, <laughs> Dominic Valenti, do not necessarily <laughs> represent those of Arcadian Vanguard oh, or the 605 okay. Super Podcast. He he said this guy stalks him. I, it, I, he told me that once. I forget the context it came up in though. But uh, who said this is posted by Nick Nazi? Well, well, let me let me take a step. like a reliable source. Yeah. I don't see what the problem could be. Is, yeah, is I, Nick right. Nazi stalking Dominic, or Dominic said Nick Nazi stalks him? What were you? Dominic said that Nick Do- Nazi stalks him. All right, well, or something like that. Well. We'll play this tape. This is, uh, I'm looking at it right now. It is on the Nick Nazi <laughs> YouTube account. N-A-A-T-Z-E-E-S. Uh, one subscriber uh, to this account. But let me play this audio now. Once again, I apologize, but it's Dominic Valente. I don't think anyone can take it too seriously, but I have to play this. Also, I feel like we have to play this as a matter of full disclosure. We can't keep laughing at his show and, and everything on there without pointing out some of the things like this that are out there. And I wasn't too aware of this until recently, but let me... Play this now. Hey, you doing, wrestling fans? It's Tuesday, June 30th, here on the Wrestling Hot Seat. This is Dominic. Brad in Erie, Pennsylvania. My God, can it get any worse? Gay marriage in all different states. Well, there should be just one state for them to fucking live in. Not in any of the regular ones. Put them on some desert island and shit where there's a lot of crocodiles around. Or alligators. No, it's too close to Florida. I don't want to do that to Florida. Just put them on some fucking lonely island. That's it. 
All right. There are the incredibly okay. ignorant views of Dominic Valente. Instead of gay marriage being allowed in every state, we should put him on an island, not near Florida, keep him away from Florida, where uh-huh. there are crocodiles or potentially alligators that will eat them. Sure. Bix, any <sighs> thoughts? Um, now, now, you had heard this before, Bix. A lo- I don't know if I had heard this one. I had heard the one about Caitlyn Jenner. Oh, I didn't even... <laughs> hold on, now I have to find The that. guy's uploads... Uh, I, I can... Pl- I actually... Because I was just done podcast. I can play it. Okay, please. I just a minute. Okay, uh, well, wait a second. There's... Okay, yeah, here it is. Because there are three videos. One appears to be also about... Well, hold on, are they all on the Nick Nazi account? Yes. Okay, okay. Uh, oh, it's, I have it muted. Sorry. Nazi, this is Dominic. You know, I want to talk about a couple of things that are in the news... SJ gave me some news about the oldest woman on earth, 116 years old. Then I saw a commercial last night, I don't know, maybe during the Yankee game, for the ESPY Awards. And in the audience is Robin Roberts from Channel 7 here in New York. She is a noted lesbian, but she's very sexy. A noted lesbian. But who is getting an SB award? Caitlyn Jenner? Now, what kind of award can that thing get? Really? The um, Emotionally Confused Award? Maybe. I, I went from a guy to a chick award? Maybe. Well, I got an even a better one. I'm a lady, but I can still stand up to P award. You don't give something like that an award. That's a disgrace to humanity. I don't know. How about the Freak of Nature Award? The Chick with a Dick Award? <laughs> this world is all fucked up. It really is. There's more stuff wrong with it than there is stuff good with it. And now celebrity birthdays. Ah. Uh. Bruce Jenner. God. Wow. Well, I've got to say, God, God, I would man, like that's... I would like to receive all my news in the future uh, through Dom Valenti's voice. There should be like an app where you can like change CNN into Dom <laughs> Valenti vision. <laughs> President wow. Trump today waited on this bullshit. I I had not heard that one, Bix. I had not yeah. gone through this man's account and well, uh, seen his other well, videos, but that's pretty over the top. That's pretty... I, I, I gotta one. say that that's a that that's a rip roaring way to bring back the homophobia of the week segment. Uh, wow, I, I, this may have won yeah. the uh, the award for yeah. Jeez, Brian uh, was the one you played. Dominic bashes gays, or Dominic says God hates. I wasn't God hates because I think it, whatever one mentions alligators in the title, it was that. Okay, one. well then we've got one more. Well, wait, this is okay. God hates Caitlyn Jenner and is effing disgusting. I, I don't think we've heard that. How you doing, wrestling fans? It's Tuesday, July 14th. You're on a wrestling hot seat. This is Dominic. Kathy in Arizona, I agree with you a million percent. They want to cut out blood and violence in the WWE, yet they show Caitlyn Jenner, a commercial with her. I think that thing is going to get its own fucking TV show. I saw the commercial. The daughter says... Yeah, Dad, Mom has a dress just like that. And his thing is dressed like a woman, but the dick is still there. Huh? Really, that's fucking disgusting. God don't like shit like that. <laughs> I don't know why he puts up with it. 
All right. Thank you, Nick Nazi. Nick Na- is Nick Nazi mentioned in the Al Snow book? <laughs> All right. Well, listen. Uh, okay. Let me uh, add someone here because I told him we would add him around uh, 20 minutes ago, and I don't want him to uh, disappear. Dominic Valenti. Wow. Well, I don't know what to say about all that. That's pretty over the top. How about fuck you, Dominic? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's pretty wild. I I mean, it's just a level of ignorance (laughs) that I don't know if it can be fixed. God. Transphobia. Remember that? (laughs) <laughs> Captain Lenny called to tell me that Caitlyn Jenner was on a commercial last night. Remember Nick the Mambo teacher? <laughs> All right, let me uh, let me add this person. Well, it's not his well, fault. He doesn't work with the good news sites. Uh, it's not showing this person online, but I thought he was supposed to be. So we'll give it a shot, and if he doesn't pick up, uh, oh well. But uh, we'll see. We're trying him now. Uh, plenty of wrestling podcast guests accidentally set themselves to invisible. It's a time-honored tradition. And it's showed that he's not on the call, so I guess he's not here. So we'll continue for a while without him, and I'll see if he uh, responds back. But, Howard, any New Year's resolutions? Oh, resolutions. You always hit me with such an obtuse thing. I would have to say no, except to make a redoubled effort to get my stuff out there in the new year. It's been a year of false starts, trials, and tribulations, but I'm here for all my people, and there's going to be some cool stuff up. Not even going to plug it at this point, but very frustrating time. If one thing works, another thing is broken down, and i got to you know, replace that. So it's been a long road, but some cool stuff is coming. I do have an addendum to the Raul Mata story of last week, though. Oh. It, is not pronounced, it is pronounced Raul Mata as opposed to Raul Mata, which Buddy Colt would have had you believe during his uh, announcing heyday. What do you think of Buddy Colt? Want to clarify as an that? You know, my theory about Buddy Colt as an announcer is that he sounds like an alien trying to fit in on Earth, and he figures he would just pick a low-key profession. Like, well, nobody's paying that much attention to wrestling, so I'll just be a co-commentator. Coach John Heath is already robotic, so it's like he's like an alien trying to fit in as a wrestling announcer. I was trying to come up with a Buddy Colt impression. And it's really just impossible because he's like a hearing impaired zombie Frankenstein. <laughs> it's like it's here is a, it's like a it's like a foreign entity trying to describe a human activity with no <laughs> knowledge whatsoever preceding it. Scott McGee is in a wrestling ring. He has the wrist lock on Magnum TA now. And then you throw in the lisp, and it's anybody's ball game. But but how did they pick him to be the announcer is the is the real mystery. Well, you know, what I wanted to ask you is, if you go back and you look at, like, the first year of The Observer, every one of those early smart fans was killing Gordon Soley. They, Dave especially. They did not like Gordon Soley. They thought he was shot. They thought he was terrible. Was that the consensus that you were getting then in Florida, like, at that period of time, 82, 83? Well, nobody really compared notes, but I would say by 82, 83, he was fine. The first chinks in his armor that I noticed, first of all, everyone says he's like the the Walter Cronkite of wrestling. I think he's like the Jim McKay of professional wrestling. His delivery is like, you watch any of the Olympic stuff, I think there's a really fine parallel to be had between Jim McKay and Gordon Soley. Same hairdo, same smooth delivery, same yellow sports coat with the company insignia. But 
No, I think by 82, 83, he was fine. And even if he was a collection of cliches at that point, it was cliches that worked. And he still used all his time-honored stuff. I was just making a copy for a friend. And it's like if it's a guy who's long and tall with no muscle, a la young Barry Windham, Jake the Snake, it's um, the incredible tendon strength, etc. And I think he was fine until it became like the Crockett era. And then the chinks appeared, and maybe the drinking got worse. If you read some of the insider stuff, a lot of the people seem to say like, oh, no, he was great, but at a certain point, yeah, he was like really getting drunk. Like toward the mid to late 80s, I would guess, like the PWF era. Because by then, he was pissed. Because I know he told me personally. Well, what did that, you think of him though, when he worked for Ron Fuller, when he was working in Continental? I thought that kinda... I never saw any of that. I, I have to say, I've seen less of Continental than any promotion imaginable. Well, I was just going to so say that, though, that I think part of the reason his reputation doesn't bounce back in the mid-80s is that it's not like most of the newsletter and tape trader types were watching Continental. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, that, that promotion was always like a Memphis without what made Memphis Memphis. It was like everything I liked about Memphis without everything I liked about Memphis. <laughs> That's deep, man. <laughs> you, if, I mean, think about but, it. Like, okay, I mean, it's Yogi Berra. It, 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 it's the same. <laughs> uh, well, you know, last time I came to the show hot out of the gate, so this time I changed my medication up, so I decided to be a mellow fellow. So I'm just taking a nice, relaxed approach toward tonight's show. Uh, I'm trying not to give you the hopped-up version. But, no, I've seen very little Continental, but I have friends that swear by it. And um, to me, it's kind of like... Um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to diss any of the Arcadian Vanguard um, brethren, but I just, I, I, I haven't even seen enough of it, so that's enough of me talking. All right. But I tell you, yeah, Gordon Soley, one particular memory I have is him doing uh, Starcade 83 with Bob Cottle, and just a couple of really notable, you know, kind of slips, one about uh, the dog collar match saying it was for the U.S. title and him trying to sell that at the end and then having to backtrack and say, no, that was non-title. And then uh, the cage match main event where he calls Flair a three-time champion over and over when it was just the second time he won the belt. There were a lot of flubs around. Like That began the era of noticeable flubs because the old Gordon... The 70s stuff is impeccable. You watch those films, and if you think about it, when I was dubbing tapes, I thought to myself, what if somebody presented this to me and I had to do the voiceover in a room, you know? And then look at the genius that he came up with, incorporating the storyline and the physical action and the characters of the people involved and preserving the integrity and the credibility of the entire promotion. And he's describing a match with nothing. Try watching a match with nothing but crowd noise sometime and see how amazing it is to do what he actually did. I have some news I'm going to jump in with real quick, and I'm not going to reveal this uh, openly right now, but people who are part of the mothership will know, Lou will know, the person I wanted to play Andre the Giant in Pandemonium Theater has just agreed to play Andre the Giant in Pandemonium. Oh, no way. Yeah, so stay tuned. (laughs) If you're not in the mothership, you don't know who this is yet, but this this is a good person to play Andre. This is the right person. To play Andre the oh. So uh, he has just confirmed with me that he will indeed do it, and he's looking forward to it. Freezing Geeks, Jason Siegel? It is not Jason Siegel. It is someone who actually, I think, does a better Andre the Giant, potentially. 
and uh, certainly okay. a funnier one. And we'll have more news about that in the uh, weeks ahead uh, on Pandemonium Theater, hosted by the great Lou Kippelman. Uh, you could hear that the booming uh, voice of Lou Kippelman. Yes, Scott? I don't want to tell tales out of school, but I'm playing Frenchie Bernard. <laughs> uh, oh, oh I, I thought it was Frank Valois. <laughs> I'm going to do that in a different voice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Tim White as well. <laughs> My favorite uh, Soli gaff. it's probably one that's probably not even his fault. It's from Georgia TV from, it's from like late 84 or early 85, where they're showing the Harley uh, Flair match, the end of it from the All Japan Tour, where Flair gets the belt back from Kerry. Now remember, on TBS, they had never acknowledged that that title change happened, either of them. And I guess no one told Gordon that Harley wins the match. So he's treating it as Flair defending the title. And it's actually, he actually saves it real well. So Harley comes off the top rope, headbutts Flair, gets the pin. And then Soli's like, well, and there you see the reason for the disqualification because race came off the top rope and why the f- title went back to Flair. Something like that. So he actually recovers real well, but it's just very memorably um, out of sort. I have to say the Starcade 83 main event, the cage match is one of my least favorite matches of all time. I hate that match. Has, has there been anything you've said more on 605 or the Cornette experience than that? <laughs> have I said it that much? I, I, yes. really, I really hate that match. That's the worst match and one match at a Uni Observer, I don't think anyone saw it. The worst crossbody of well, Flair's well, life. Gene Kaniski's the worst referee this side of Bronco Lubitsch. Just oh, awful. really? I didn't know that part. You've never said that part either. Okay, Bix. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, but the, in fairness with the match of the year thing, for the first few years, wasn't the voting match best match that you saw and match you most wanted to see? Uh-huh. And hasn't some of that been lost to history? Oh, thanks. Real, <laughs> real creative. Don't drink the piss, Jake. There we go. Um, I don't remember if it was broken down like that in the 83. You know, you know, it's funny. Well, enough, I think the voting was broken down. I'm not sure if the results were broken. Down. Okay, OK, I got to go back and check. You know, I have the 1983 Observer Yearbook and I actually have Howard Baum's copy. Howard sold it to hmm. me in the, in the 1990s. So I wow, have it the here. Black market. Yeah, on the black market. Uh, I got an original copy. Wow. Yeah. It's now worth uh, interesting. 10 cents less than it used to be. <laughs> you ever notice <laughs> you know, on the uh, that, I don't you know Prince Warch's job. I don't know if I'm the only one who notices this, but do you ever realize how Gordon sounds like Krusty the Clown upon occasion? What do you mean? (laughs) Particularly when he's in a Kendo Nagasaki match. So Dusty was going to work Kendo Nagasaki, and he comes out dressed up like Kabuki, like he did in Georgia, but he also did it in Florida. So he comes out wearing the Kendo Nagasaki gimmick in like a kimono and like the Tojo shoes and everything. Oh, 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 Mr. Ishiban. Yeah, well, you just blew the fucking, uh, because I was saving it for, then he sounds like Krusty when he goes, and it's Mr. Ichiban, Mr. (laughs) Ichiban, (laughs) and it's also, (laughs) thanks for that, Bix, you got, (laughs) that's what I get for stealing your thunder last week, but he also does it in a Kendo Nagasaki match where it's like, Dusty is teaming with Dory and Terry or something. It's like one of the bunkhouse matches. And, you know, it's the signals are crossed and the heels turn on each other or something. And he's like, and Kendo Nagasaki and Nagasaki. And he just keeps saying Nagasaki, but it sounds exactly like Krusty. If you guys have that video. Well, 
if Bix didn't destroy my Ichiban story, I, that wouldn't have been necessary. Uh, well, so. I'm about to rescue you. <laughs> Mr. Ichiban. It's Mr. It's Mr. Ichiban. Let's see if we can get a look at him. Mr. Ichiban, obviously. <laughs> Wait a minute here. Mr. Ichiban steps into the ring. <laughs> right? And Mr. Ichiban. things must be held self-evident. I think we may... Wait a second. Wait a minute. What's happening here? And it is... Ooh! Wait a second! Okay. That was the end of Mr. Ishiban. All right, hold on. There you go. I'm trying to pull up something right now that I saw the other day, and I said, Lou, please pull me this, this audio. I need to play this. Has everyone seen this Kevin Von Erich commercial for... One-way flights yes. to Thailand. Yes. Let me play this for any <laughs> listeners who haven't heard. A video emerged. The video is so bizarre that you can't just judge it on the audio. You have to go back and watch this video. It is a commercial from Israel with Kevin Von Erich advertising one-way flights to Thailand. By the way, I don't know why anyone's getting <laughs> a one-way flight to Thailand. but I don't know why you would get a one-way flight to Thailand. I don't think I can Ken think of does. a couple of reasons. <laughs> well, yeah. here's, here's, uh, here's the uh, audio. Well done, I could do a screen share so everyone can see it. Are you? Oh, I just stopped it. Uh, it's, everyone has seen it, and it may be, make things difficult, so let me just play the audio. Okay. Hey, you there. Hey, you there. Hey, you there. The Israeli looking for an affordable <laughs> trip to Thailand? <laughs> well, I'm world heavyweight champion, retired Kevin Moneric. And when it comes to flying to Thailand, I'm the world champion at that, too. You see, I'm going to take my iron claw hand here and my finger, and I go to the Archaea website, and I can punch in... Three forty-nine dollar for a one-way trip to Thailand. Can you beat that? No way. That's a great deal. Take your iron claw hand and your finger and go punch into that dark arcade ah. website. You'll see. So that's the price of a victory. So mix me up that banana latte, that sweet banana latte, the way I like it. Oh, so sweet, like heaven's rainbows, because I'm coming to Thailand. <laughs> Start my music. <laughs> you gotta watch it to see it just how ridiculous it is with Stop. the graphics and everything but this is just bizarre i'm okay. also the world champion at flying to thailand <laughs> <laughs> so i have a rule of thumb I, I, I like it like it's a military title i'm world heavyweight champion retired, retired. <laughs> so if you're not a martial artist or a surfer generally i'm going to assume you have nefarious motivations for going to thailand yeah, either you're a martial artist, a surfer, or Gary Glitter. That's yeah. usually one of one of three things. That's why it's a that's why it's a one way flight. They're halfway expecting to get locked up when they're over there. <laughs> wow. I hope Kevin Van Eric does more commercials, I have to say. I really, really do. Just like I hope Enzo Amore keeps showing up at Monday Night Raw wherever he shows up. That's a and I hope Kevin <laughs> well, you it. I, hope, I was gonna say I hope Kevin recently. This is why it's great to have like 35 people on a Skype call at once. Hold on, Scott, one second. Bix, Bix, go ahead. I don't even remember what I was saying. Oh, no, I hope Kevin hears about this and starts DMing all of us about it. Oh, boy, it's been a while since I've gotten a DM from Kevin. Uh, Last time, it wasn't about kittens, for anyone wondering, but Scott, what were you going to say? Wait a second, did he DM you about the kittens? No, I said it wasn't about the kittens. Oh, I thought you meant that there was a previous time where he DM'd you about the kittens. He DM'd me angry about Glenn Goza, that... We shouldn't laugh about Glenn Goza because 
what he did for all the people in Texas after David died was really special. And, and then I, I forget where else it went, but I don't know anyone who's gotten a DM from Kevin. And I know a lot of people who've gotten DMs from Kevin who doesn't go, what the fuck is going on there? Yeah. But uh, you Scott, should mend the fences just be, you should mend the fences just so you can figure out what the fuck was going on in that commercial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but on, uh, on breaking kayfabe with, uh, with uh, Bowdrin and, and Barry, they were asking about people's favorite adult film star. And I had an idea in mind, but I, I think I just recently changed it to uh, my favorite from the 70s would be Sweet Banana Lottie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a, it just came to me. Is that a Taiwanese drink? Uh, where did that pop into the commercial all of a sudden? Like, oh, I can't wait to have that Sweet Banana Lottie. Oh. Uh. <laughs> Here's just Kim Von Erich, world champion, retired. <laughs> you're you're oh, oh sounds like a sound he makes while he's in thailand oh thailand gosh <laughs> when he says put your put your claw finger into the telephone <laughs> you, they still have, they still have rotary <laughs> dials on the island i guess <laughs> <laughs> oh man I love Kevin Von Eric. Uh, you know, he's another guy who has yeah. a lot of serious homophobic things he has said, but I still get such a kick out of him. Uh -huh. Such a kick out of him for all of these reasons. But, uh, yeah. But here's the thing. He, what, it, he said some very homophobic things, but they were the most outstandingly ridiculous homophobic things. See, that's, that was my thought with Dominic until I heard all the Caitlyn Jenner stuff was, how do you take a guy seriously who likes professional wrestling and then says that there should be a special island away from Florida? Where there's alligators and crocodiles to eat homosexual, like I couldn't take it seriously. But then I hear the Caitlyn Jenner thing, and that's just that's just hatred. That's just hate. Right, right. Ignorance. Kevin just thinks they control the media. <laughs> it's, well, hold on. With us, <laughs> well, oh. he has a problem. He thinks the Jew. Well, no, he, he likes the Jews because he likes Israel. Yes. That's Plus, true. if anyone's a hardcore right. Christian, usually they understand we're the chosen people. You got to be cool yeah. with us. Um, sure. But yeah, no, yeah. in that thing from that St. Louis newspaper that was in the Observer in 92, he says, it's like, oh, it's not like the media wants you to think. You're in, I, 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 I talk to real America. Who is he talking to? I used to know someone who owned a strip club in Dallas, and he told me that Kevin used to come in there and he was doing lines in the back. And then he would turn around and start like lecturing all the rest of the people in the back partying about like the Bible and how they're bad Christians and everything. And they all just watched oh. him like fucking blow out a bunch of lines. So yeah, nothing like getting a, getting a lap dance after a couple of rails and going, you're filth. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Hey, listen, I want to, uh, speaking of filth, I want to bring something up. Uh, Jerry Gray was going to be on this show originally today and he's not able Being to. Being a filth? Well, well, you'll see where I'm going. Okay. Uh, he's not able to. He has really, he's been having a rough time for a while, but the last week has been especially rough. Jerry got taken to the hospital the other day uh, in an ambulance. And again, things are just really, really rough on top of all the monetary issues. And of course, we've always told you all about, uh, I'll say it again, tinyurl.com slash GoFundGoldenBoy if you want to contribute and help out Jerry during this time. He could really use the help right now. And I got so pissed the other day when, he got taken to the hospital. So I'm thinking the same day someone sent me a link of Jake Roberts giving a speech to prisoners. And I'm like, you know what? This fucking piece of shit, Jake Roberts, owes Jerry Gray thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. I think Jerry said on the air it's 2000 It's actually more than that. 
there's, there's more to the story, and Jake owes him more than that. And I mentioned it the other day. I was so pissed about it. I was so pissed because here's Jerry struggling to survive, and there's Jake pretending to be a good person and giving speeches to people. And I put something on Twitter, and boy, the horror stories just started rolling in. And I'm not talking about the old days, because everyone has horror stories from the old days. I went to an autograph signing he did in 1993 at LNS Comics that was a fucking disaster. And then I ma- was there, too. And then he made the owner take him to the wine dance and get fucking crack. I mean, I remember all of that. I know how he tortured John Arezzi. You know, I talked to John. John's a good friend of mine. He tortured John Arezzi when John booked him. I've heard from Ron Scholar horror stories about him. I saw what he did when he was pretending to be religious, and that was all a fucking work. I saw it when he walked out on Jim Cornette. I was down there during that period of time. I know lots of other people who have had incidents. Someone wrote to me the other day, and this story, I was like, wow, I'm going to retweet this one. They said he gave, he was at some comedy show, because obviously, you know, he's just a barrel of fucking laughs. And he was giving his show, and he said, if anyone, if anyone has any, uh, if anyone here is um, battling addiction, come talk to me at the end. And some guy went up to him at the end. He goes, hey, Jake, you know, uh, I really enjoyed your show. I'm 12 days sober. And Jake said, well, if you're not going to buy a T-shirt, get your sober ass out of here. And it's like I've heard a few other stories where Jake was a complete cock to people recently. And I just want to point something out to people. Jake owes Jerry Gray a lot of money. And anyone who goes to any of his appearances in Memphis, his upcoming convention appearance in New Jersey, wherever it is, should fucking hammer him about that, that piss-drinking dirtbag. And here's what I want to point out, because I think a few people missed the point, because I've heard from a few people. I know people who have battled addiction. I know people, and I'm close with people, who are in recovery. Jake Roberts, his problem isn't addiction. His problem is he's a fucking asshole. You can't blame Grizzly Smith for everything forever, and you can't blame everything on addiction. If Jake is sober or Jake is fucked up, he's the same guy. He's a liar, he's a manipulator, he's a cheater. He has murdered multiple snakes, as Jerry detailed previously here on the show in his segment. I think he killed three of Jerry's snakes, and that's just Jerry's snake. He, of course, killed that snake in England. There have been all sorts of issues. And I just want to bring this up, and I want people to remember that. Just because Jake's sober now, allegedly, doesn't mean he's a good person. And just because he was fucked up for a number of years, doesn't mean he did stuff just because he was fucked up. It's much deeper than that. He's a bad guy. And he owes Jerry Gray a lot of money. And quite frankly, he should fucking pay up and be a man. But I don't expect Jake Roberts to all of a sudden become a man. I don't. So I just wanted to say that I'm really pissed about that. When I see like Jerry going through what he's going through. And he's a great guy. I don't know. Howard, you are actually someone who's been around the Florida independent scene for a long time. I don't know anyone who says anything bad about Jerry. And Jerry's done a lot mm-hmm. to help people out and hook them up. And he's paid a lot of guys really good money for the shows he ran. And he took care of Jake for a long time. And Jake fucking burned him. And everyone should remember that. When you see Jake out there pretending like he's a changed man, pretending like somehow being clean has changed his personality, it didn't. It's his character. It's not his addiction. That's what everyone needs to pay attention to. Like I said, you could blame Grizzly Smith to a point. And at a certain point, you have to be a man and stand up on your own and take some fucking blame. And that's that's what I want to say about that. I'm sorry if uh, if any Jake Roberts fans were offended by that, but go fuck yourself. That's what I just said. Oh, God. So, here, here. Yeah, get well soon, Jerry. Because I know Jerry's listening. Jerry was going to be on the show today, and he, he wrote to me, and he said he, he physically could not do it. And Jerry has been on the uh. show when he's been really sick. And most people probably didn't realize just how sick it was because he has a good time when he's on this show. It's actually something he looks forward to doing. And he couldn't do it today. So that tells you how sick he is. So uh-huh. re- remember that, everyone. When you see Jake Roberts at an event, when you see that piss-drinking dirtbag, 
and an event. Just remember that. That's the guy who owes Jerry Gray money. So uh, anyone have any thoughts on this? So I went to the same appearance you did at LNS Comics. Well, it was like spring of 93, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could check with my cousin to see if I'm remembering this right. I'm fairly sure when we got back to the car, one of us said, was he on drugs? He was so fucked up. He couldn't even talk to people. He couldn't look up and his, he couldn't even sign his name. I have a couple of the autographs from that thing. He was smudging his own name as he signed it. I just took him. I was like, I'm not paying for this. I took him. And it looked like he wrote Joe the seal. Like it didn't even look like Jake the snake. It was just, (laughs) he completely gave up and was just doing that. And there's horror story after horror story. And again, some people like to say, well, he was fucked up then. People change. He hasn't changed. That's the point. And it wasn't the addiction. That's the point. It's him. He's a manipulative liar and someone who owes Jerry Gray money, not because of his past drug addiction, but because of who he is. And again, I know lots of people who have struggled with addiction. I know lots of people in recovery. I'm in the music industry. I know lots of people and I know really good people. It's not about the addiction with everyone. Sometimes it's just about who you are. And this is who Jake is. And this is who Jake's always going to be. And everyone should remember that when you go meet him. And when he, I heard from other people, he yelled at them to buy a t-shirt. He wouldn't talk to them. Uh, one listener said, I went to an autograph signing and he asked me to buy one of his overpriced t-shirts. And I said, no. So he insisted on sticking the middle finger up in the photo I took with him. You know, and it's like little things like that. Like, seriously, go fuck yourself. No one should buy your fucking t-shirts, dirtbag. <laughs> so that's what I have to say. Well, I, when you hear all those things together, you realize that. Drinking his own urine was one of the nicer things he did. <laughs> well, he did it for respect. He did it to show his oh, respect yeah. for Jerry. That's right. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't get why you're bundling in also, the urine drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just, you know, it pisses me off. It pisses me off that he's such a fucking phony. That, it, you know, that it, it, everything's a work. I remember when he was a born-again Christian. That was a complete fucking work. Oh, come on. He a named work. a snake Revelations. Clearly, it was legit. Yeah. Did he kill that snake? Oh, he killed the other so. snakes? Throwing them against the wall, pouring beer down their throats? Who knows what else he did to them? Sir, just a bad guy. Everyone needs to remember, just because someone does yoga doesn't mean all of a sudden they're a fucking repaired person. <laughs> and by the way, what a joke that documentary is. That's a fucking infomercial for DDP yoga. That's not a documentary. That's an infomercial. Hey, hey it's DDPY now. Yeah. Yes. All right. I'm going to create my own yoga system and it's going to be virtually the exact same as DDP yoga, except I'll change the names of everything and I'll give it away for free. And I'll actually have people hosting it who you could bear to watch. It's just, I'm so pissed about the whole thing. Seriously. Someone needs to step it. it up and hook Jerry up from the Jake Roberts camp. Before Hold it's on. too let, late. Let me, let me register the domain for you for TGBLY.com. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Here's what I have to say about that. It really saddens me, especially during the holidays or any time, to see what Jerry has been going through for all this time. And, you know, this is a topic for another day maybe, but there are certain wrestling charitable organizations out there that claim to do this and that for former workers and everything, and that's supposed to be their sole and main purpose. And I'm not here as a catalyst to get into that. We discussed it with Jerry and Brian and everything. People can fill in the blanks, but it just saddens me that, um, Jerry has to go through this period without assigning blame to anyone and not taking away blame from anyone because the organization I'm talking about, I was in on that and 
was a bunch of nothing. They could have done a lot more. And here they proclaim they do all this stuff for ex-workers. And I have a feeling the lid's going to be coming off this particular organization in the future. So maybe we're waiting on that. I certainly don't want to be the one to light the match. As far as Jake, a piece of shit from all whatever. But here's what I have to say. It's still officially the holidays. It's not even January 1st yet. Let us, please, all do something for Jerry. He's one of the few decent, good, all-around guys that I've met around this business. Florida boy, one of the good guys for sure, and it's a small list. So everybody, just do something for Jerry. You'll feel better. Give him a couple bucks. I wish there was more I could do for Jerry. So, I mean, my main thing is that I can at least get the word out wherever I am. So... That's my two cents. Jerry, we all love you and feel good. And yeah. uh, we wish you could be here today. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was just, it was right before we started recording that he said he couldn't do it. I was like, man, now I'm really pissed mm. off. He, he's really going through a rough time. And it's just, it's such bullshit. He did a lot for Jake. A lot. And he was, and him and Jake wow. were really, really tight. And, you know, that's, that's the story of Jake Roberts. I mean, it's, it's the story throughout his entire life. Just, it's a lifetime of, uh, it's a lifetime of, of, low degenerate behavior i mean <laughs> even uh uh making a <laughs> it's even extraordinary in the world of professional wrestling when when, when you take it all in um that's why i'm I, trying to chase Jer the, the debt that he owes jerry uh it, it's unlikely to uh to to work in his favor i hope that it does but on the other hand you probably have no idea how many other people he's screwed over and owes money to and, and so forth. So, well, well, let me stop you right there. Jake Roberts is never going to pay Jerry back because Jake Roberts right. isn't a fucking man. So Jake Roberts isn't going to pay him back. This isn't about that. I don't expect him to hear this or someone in his camp to hear this. And Jake all of a sudden go, you know what? I fucked up. I'm going to send Jerry the money I owe. I, it's, it ain't going to happen. Jake's not a man. Well, I mean, you know what? Okay, what I want to happen is that, I want though. people to be conscious of this going forward i want right, people right. to be aware of this going forward and if you have to think for a second should i go to this jake roberts appearance think about this if you have to think i'm gonna meet jake roberts what should i say to him think about this like seriously like, everyone should keep this in their mind who he is and what he does and they should remember because i've heard from a few people like oh he's cleaned up now it's different it's not different the horror stories are still coming in He's still an asshole to people. He's still a manipulator. He's still a liar. Shit, there are people in DDP yoga in that world who don't like him for the same reasons. So it's not like this is anything new. But, you know, he was a marketing prop for DDP yoga, so we're supposed to forget all that. But anyway. Well, I thought of something that crystallizes, though, what you've been saying in terms of that even if he's not using, he's still the same guy. The whole thing that went down with Harry Smith at WrestleCon this year. Yeah, well, what was the whole story with that? Harry Smith was upset that Jake had said things about his father, Davy Boy, on a podcast, and Harry confronted him on it, and Jake, was it that Jake wouldn't engage him, or that Jake was a dickhead right away to him? It wasn't a podcast, it was at the first WrestleCon uh, oh. in, in Jersey in 2013. Jake had, I, I won't say the exact comment, but he had made... He had made a comment to Harry about Davy's drug use that was quite fucked up. And wait, 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 he made the comment to Harry? Yes. Okay. And Harry was probably set on it being a confrontation, but my impression was that Jake was basically acting like he couldn't have said this 
And Harry's a man because Harry Smith is a man. Harry Smith dealt with it like a man. I heard what you said. What the fuck? And, and what did yes. you do? I'm sorry. Jake basically refused to even engage or be apologetic. And that's why Harry threw coffee on him. Seriously, no one should book this motherfucker. No one should book him. Tell him to go fuck himself. Tell him to go kill another snake. Bankrupt another woman. Ruin another person's life. Owe another person money. And then blame everything on his dad or, or whatever he blames everything on. Seriously. Go fuck yourself, Jake Rowe. Great promo. I really love your interviews. But what a douchebag. <laughs> but anyway, what other uh, lighthearted topics do we want to uh, bring up here? Lou, how you doing over there? <laughs> I'm I'm just chilling here, m- muted, uh, eating uh, potato chips. <laughs> I mean, well, th- thank you for muting yourself. Is, <laughs> oh, sure. This is a man. This is a, this has become a spectator sport. Am I wrong though? That would have been. Did I say anything that was wrong? Not in not you know not in my opinion. I think you know. First of all, I I've given whatever meager amount I could to to Jerry's GoFundMe, and I would exhort everybody else listening to do the same. Uh, no no amount is a you know too small in that regard. And number two, I you know Jake Roberts is somebody who. Uh, to use a vernacular, certainly needs to make amends. Isn't that one of the steps? Well, I think the thing is, is that he's not exactly a 12-stepper in how he looks at things. I mean, he's open about that. Yeah, but... Someone needs to smack him in the fucking mouth. That wouldn't even affect him. He beats himself up. That wouldn't even affect him. Well, I mean, think about this, this too. You know, the only thing that will affect him is him not getting fucking booked. That's the only thing that would fucking affect him. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. You can't shame him. The man has no shame. He drinks his own piss, ladies and gentlemen. He has no shame. The only thing you can do is not book him. And no one should book him. No one should book him. Especially, forget even about Jerry. And you shouldn't. Forget about Jerry. If he's still treating fans like shit, then tell him to go fuck himself. Especially when he's trying to market himself on the Rogan show as like, this guy who people are going to come talk to after shows to talk about their addiction or their family member's addiction. Who would want to talk? The idea of talking to him about someone's addiction is a fucking joke. I, you know, it's just what a joke. What a complete joke. It's, it's, a, it's an insult to people who battle addiction and people who are in recovery. For Jake Roberts to pretend like he's fucking Mackenzie Phillips or something. It's a fucking joke. And oh. <laughs> There's, oh, there's certain people I just want to fucking punch, and, and you can add Jake Roberts to the top of the fucking list, that fucking oh. sister. Well, you know what? Can you imagine how many terrible things Harry could have done to him, too? Yeah. And that there was strength, really, that throwing coffee at him showed. And you see Harry, what happens. Harry is a tough guy. Ha- Harry Smith would have fucked him up, but you saw what happens. Harry got in there, and then Jake turns into sissy mode. Like, oh, call the cops. Oh, oh. Like, he t- turns into... Exactly who he really is. You know, yeah, he immediately started throwing a fit about security and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No one should book Jake Roberts. Pay your debts, deadbeat. But uh, on that topic, let me see if there's anything yeah. to add to the call here. Well, it's, you know, well, you let's can see, do a lot of things in wrestling, but you can't free. throw coffee. <laughs> <laughs> there's the line oh. of the show. Wow. Because yeah. that's perfect. when shit gets real. Lou, Howard wasn't on the line earlier when you uh, answered the phone. I thought Lou was doing a Dominic Valente impression. Lou, do what you did. Oh, God. (laughs) 
you know, of course, prefacing this with, you know, noting my Don Morocco impression from the last Star Wars, <laughs> I, I am the absolute fucking worst at impressions. Let's try this one on. Oh, come on, that's me. <laughs> ha ha! No, um... <laughs> <laughs> that was an impression of Bix doing it, Waylon. That was amazing. And, and a very poor one at that. So, uh, point you. proven. I, I was picking but... up on Snidely Whiplash. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is dishonest, John. Yeah. Uh -huh. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, Howard, without any further ado. Right. How are you? <laughs> Dude, that was, that's one of my earlier ones. The Bobby Bittman. I believe I used that on yeah. my first appearance. I thought it was there Dominic. You go. I thought he was doing Dominic. I didn't realize he was doing Bittman. Oh, you gotta bring your a you gotta bring your a game on the six oh five, man. No does any, retreads. Does anyone have a skip oh. Bitman they could do? <laughs> How's it hanging? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta tell you, Rick Moranis may be the single most talented guy that like didn't do enough. You know, like everything. My favorite Rick Moranis. He well, he retired. Obviously, his wife got sick and everything. I got a lot of respect for him, and I know he's done a couple things recently. He was on a uh, what the Goldbergs. He played the character from Spaceballs, but yeah. he's just so talented. When you watch SCTV and you see him as Jerry Todd and you see him doing all these different things, he's so fucking talented. Like, it's amazing. And my favorite Rick Moranis role is still Morty King, the King of the Mimics in Brewster's Millions. It's like the shortest little role, but it's hysterical. For like a minute, he mimics everything Richard Pryor says, and then John Candy like gets rid of him. And it's one of the funniest roles he ever had. <laughs> Does anyone remember that? No. Okay. No. No. Oh, you, you know what's funny? Though? Uh, go oh, ahead. go ahead, man. Oh, no, oh, I was going to say, um, I have now a track from the Ed Whalen album. Oh, oh God. An album? Yes, a Frank Sinatra cover, cover song. I dream, I dream each night, you say you love me and you hold me so tight, but when I awake, you're out of sight, oh darn that dream, darn your lips, darn your eyes. Okay, enough of that. It's like a it's like wow. a Robert Mitchum B side. When did yeah. that come out? Hold on, let me. It escaped. It, it didn't come out. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. All I can say there was probably a lot of flooded, unfinished basements in Calgary around 1967 <laughs> when 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 that went out on the on the airwaves. Okay, <laughs> let me find the. Okay, here's an article from the Calgary Herald from October 27, 2002. Songs for Nomi, Ed is not forgotten. Preview. Songs for Nomi is on sale for $14.95 at Canada Safeway stores and at Calgary Flames home games. Proceeds go to the Alberta Adolescent Recovery Center. By Bob Bla Blakey of the Calgary Herald. Nomi Whalen will never forget that evening. It was 1968. She and her husband, Ed, then 41, were in their Calgary living room, and she was holding in her arms their two-month-old son, Tony. Quote, an unlikely and special gift to us. Ed Whalen put out an LP record on the turntable, 
for orchestral accompaniment, pressed the cassette deck's record button and began crooning. In the style of Frank Sinatra, he sang his wife a dozen love songs, including the sentimental <laughs> classics. So, you go to my head, fools rush in, I only have eyes for you, and our all-time favorite near you. The guy was an extraordinary romantic, Nomi recalls. Ed Whalen, blah, 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 uh, global television, died a year earlier with the first January of his anniversary of his death approaching. His wife was looking to keep money flowing into one of the many charities her husband volunteered for, especially causes for children. Then she thought of those love songs. Uh, she took the old cassette to Canada, disc and tape in Calgary, and their technicians remastered the recordings, creating a new compact disc with a painting of Ed on the cover. Copies are now on sale, and proceeds will go to the Ed Whalen Scholarship Fund at the Alberta Adolescent Recovery Center. The first time the collection has been made public. I played it when it was away on, when he was away on the road doing a game, Nomi says. I always said, if there was a fire, that's the thing I'd grab. I always had him with me. <laughs> it was just a precious thing between the two of us. My kids didn't even know it existed. Please, wow. please do not sell to Bad News Allen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing the one thing there wasn't uh, at the uh, Calgary Safeway was a stampede to buy that. <laughs> it's a pun, get it? <laughs> he is the worst. Anyone who says like Bill Mercer, and I, I actually get a kick out of Bill Mercer. Ed Whalen is clearly the worst of like that generation of comic. Obviously, now we've reached all new levels of ineptitude, but. For that generation, Ed Whalen's clearly the worst in my eyes. Yes. He's wacky. You know, at least his wife did He's something just plain nice. wacky. It's a weird gesture, though, to take, like, your your secret private love songs with each other, and that's your charity benefit? Your secret private <laughs> love songs. I mean, is there a better way to describe it? That was the original title. <laughs> <laughs> it's for fucking, you see? <laughs> Fix, <laughs> we need more of that dirty Ed Whalen. <laughs> Ed what Whalen do you want me to say? Blue. <laughs> Just get like a hustler forum or something, or penthouse forum and read that. Okay. <laughs> oh, Hold on, open an incognito window. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought this would happen to me, haha. <laughs> now you see, dynamite. I can't do See, I can't do it. Wait, penthouseletters.com is a site? <laughs> Not the first result. Oh, my God. He feigns ignorance. Oh God. Yeah. It's an yeah. Ed Whelan penthouse letter. Let's hear it. It's taking a long time to load. Yes, this one, is in, this, one is in, this one is entitled Malfunction at the Junction. <laughs> <laughs> it did get some negative reviews. I'm going to read one right here. It says... I wouldn't touch this CD with Stu's spatula. <laughs> uh. <laughs> that, uh, yeah. Big yes, is it what still it's coming the... up? No, it's not. Oh, also, okay, let me. Let's, okay, wait. There is it, a form with people using pen, reprinting penthouse letters. Okay. <laughs> I, it, it wouldn't shock me if this was a parody, but let's just go with it. Okay. Yeah. Penthouse letters. Uh, try to find one, find one that Russo wrote. Oh, God. <laughs> it had been a very boring party. I had drifted in and out of half a dozen conversations, discussing I had before and will have again. Then a tall redhead spoke the magic word, sex. Huh. 
my brain popped back into gear and I started to listen. The word sex had been preceded by the word safe. She was arguing that anyone with a little imagination can enjoy a casual encounter and remain safe. I must admit that I was attracted to the idea. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) I hadn't had any encounters, casual or otherwise, in entirely too long. I you hung around. Some of that in there. You're not doing the laugh or the the whatever that noise. I gotta, I got, I gotta use it sparingly. Okay, okay, good point. <laughs> I hung around and added my two cents to the topic. Soon, Tracy was hanging on my words. Would you like a refill? I asked, nodding at her drink. She would. Soon, Tracy and I were flirting away. I hoped that tonight would be our encounter. Toward the end of the night, her girlfriends came by and asked if she wanted to leave. Oh. Ed is going to take me home. You guys can go along, she said. It was an exciting way to let me know. <laughs> My dick responded immediately. <laughs> <laughs> now you see what I was saying? Good job, Vix. Good job. Okay. You, you were right. You were right. <laughs> On the way home, Tracy mentioned that she had something special in mind for me when we reached her place. When we got to her house, Tracy excused herself to the bedroom to change. I sat and waited. When she returned, she was wearing an hourglass black teddy. It looked fantastic against her fair skin and red hair. I have something for you to wear, she said. <laughs> Put these on, she quipped in a fairly demanding tone. Caught me by surprise. When I looked at what Tracy handed me, it appeared a pa- it appeared to be a pair of <laughs> it appeared to be a pair of panties. <laughs> And some fish in my lot. <laughs> this is your fault, by the way. It's, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> I looked at her quizzically, and she repeated, put them on. I figured I had nothing to lose. I went into the bathroom and looked at these foreign objects. <laughs> There were two fishnet nylon stockings and one red pair of panties with what appeared to be three leg holes. I put on the underwear first and my dick popped out of the center hole. (laughs) I guess there were crotchless panties. The nylons I put on next. I have a lot of hair on my legs and they just look stupid. (laughs) That was good. I, I felt like a total ass. I wasn't being humiliated so much as I had been disappointed. I was practically a limp. In the other room, Tracy said I looked <laughs> so pretty. <laughs> it did Please nothing go. for me, but I kept my mouth shut. Bix, how long is Tracy? this letter? How long is this letter? It's almost over. All right. I was going to say, maybe we could have Fred Schneider from the B-52s jump in and help out. But anyway, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. Where was um, uh, Tracy started to play with herself. I asked if she needed any help, and she said, Oh, no, we are keeping our hands to ourselves. Tracy laid down on the bed and exposed her sex to me. Exposed her sex? Yes. (laughs) What the fuck? While she was masturbating, she had me stand at the foot of the bed in my costume. Normally, I would consider watching a beautiful woman masturbate to be a very erotic moment. At this time, I was merely confused. Whenever I would, <laughs> oh boy, this is Ed Whalen saying this, <laughs> theoretically. Yeah. Whenever I would feel my penis getting hard, 
<laughs> I looked down at the poor fellow and seeing popping out from the red lacy underthings he did not belong in. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, Tracy appeared to have enough of me, and I certainly had enough of this. I gave her a peck on the cheek and left. She told me she would, quote, never forget me. I want to let penthouse letters know this woman is a total fruitcake. And then any readers <laughs> should just avoid her dumb sex game. Thanks in advance for publishing this morning. Signed. This doesn't rhyme, but fuck it. Not pretty in Calgary. Right. It was not pretty in New York City, but you got the oh. Thank you, Bob Gucci. Okay. I, and fuck you all. <laughs> Too bad the real, the real Ed Whalen. It's too bad the real Ed Whalen isn't around to cut that thing off and throw it off the air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, man. I mean, it looks so stupid in those panties, so I get what you're saying. He, he can't stop doing it now. He is the worst. He is the very worst. Like it's hard to watch wrestling with him. Bill Mercer isn't a good commentator, but he doesn't make it so I can't watch world class. It's hard to watch sometimes Stampede because of Ed Whalen. And his tone is harsh too. Bill Mercer has that Lance Russell familial thing where he's a warm voice to listen to, but he makes so many gaffes per minute that it's outrageous. Like, the sleep hold is always the only one that comes to mind. Yeah. But, I mean, like, every other sentence is something so ridiculous. Well, the thing with the sleep hold that's ridiculous is he was a commentator there for a long time. You would think at some point Fritz would go, don't say that anymore. We call it the sleep Yeah, right. Like, no one ever said that to him. He just kept doing it. That's like it. exposing her sex to me. Exposing her <laughs> sex to me. That's how we talked in the old days when we used to take lovers. <laughs> I've we used to take lovers and expose our sex. I hey, remember Brian. a penthouse letter I wrote once. It was when I first, like, I was like 13. Oh, wait, you wrote a first, penthouse like, letter? Wait, yeah, hold on. No, 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 that I read, that I read. Oh, you said wrote. You said wrote. <laughs> you said wrote. No, no, no. No, no, no. Sure. I'm not, I'm not claiming. Um, but, <laughs> and I, I remember that it was. Um, oh, so you're saying you never thought this would happen to you before. No, no, no. And one of the lines from it was, and I never forgot this from 12 years old was, and I stuck my cock in her fig. And then I spent the next 25 years trying to figure out exactly what part of a girl is a fig. And what am I going to do about it when I come upon it? Oh, my God. No <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I'm still not quite sure. That is funny. <laughs> still not quite sure what goes on down there. Signed, Mr. Newton. <laughs> stuck my oh, cock in her fig and here i am 12 like i'm like what then now this is something new to figure out like i barely knew what was going on to begin with now there's a fig now there's now there's <laughs> middle eastern fruit <laughs> to be considered oh <laughs> uh, well trying uh -huh. to add someone to the line everyone else right now seems to be busy so i'm stuck with you guys <laughs> and, uh, and so are the listeners. No, uh, all kidding aside, uh, let's change topics here. And uh, oh, Yes, please. Someone just put the lockers up, Scott. I just saw a lockers commercial was posted to the Mothership page. Uh, just hey, Brian. It. Yeah. Really? Is Kevin around? He was around earlier. I think he's in Thailand. I think he took a flight. I was hoping that, Ke that Kevin might be kind enough to read from Penthouse Letters. S send me some. Well, even the score. Can you can you Gosh. copy and paste it into a window instead of me having to uh, incognito it? Can you uh, send it to okay, me? Okay, let me go. Let me find. It'll it. be okay. hard. It's easy to do Kevin in short bursts. I don't know if I could do a whole thing. It'll. Well, you read his rant about the homosexuals, so 
that that went fine. Well, it was it just seems so natural as Kevin to do that. We'll, we'll see how this works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I heard that Dom Valenti did an audio book of uh, Penthouse Letters. Oh, I even have a little sample from it. Okay, let's hear Annette it. Fabre, first lady of the theater. She looked as good as she tasted. <laughs> okay, that was actually one of the other lines that I remembered from the fig time when I was 12. That was in the same batch of letters. It's like she tasted as good as I knew she would, something like that. That stuck with me forever. Today's celebrity birthdays, Vanessa Del Rio. Hey, you remember Show World? I remember Show World. Do you remember the Booth 3? Oh, Vanessa Del Rio. Also, Margot Kidder, Dr. J. <laughs> Ida Lupino. Looking for great, looking for great, great Ida Lupino. Patty Deutsch from the match game. Remember her? And Charles, speaking of the match game, Charles Nelson Riley belongs on an island, uh, not in Florida. <laughs> not in Florida. That's the funniest part. You have to specify. <laughs> With alligators and uh, crocodiles. Yeah. Fanny Flag. Meridian. You remember her? I I used to like her fanny. Yeah. Fanny yeah. Flag. I remember her and her special man friend on Tattletales. <laughs> She had a hot and heavy thing with Dick Sargent, the, the second Darren Stevens. Also, today's birthdays, Waylon Flowers and Madam. <laughs> they shouldn't have puppets like that. They should send them to some kind of island in the Pacific Northwest. Where... He has his hand up her ass the whole time. What kind of an act is that? <laughs> It's uh, filthy. Why do these guys? They yeah. have to play with puppets. That Jim Henson. <laughs> he's a, he's a he's not even a human being. They just sent him to the crocodiles. Okay, this was a penthouse forum <laughs> parody. Oh, oh no, letter. Oh. oh no, this was this was sending like sp- intentionally bad ones. Was the site that I pulled that one from? But I'll send you. I can send you another one of those because I don't know if, where we'll find real ones. These are probably better. Okay, so send me whatever you want. Okay, am I putting these? Am I just messaging you on Skype? Uh, okay. Message me either Skype, Facebook, or email to me, but don't send me okay. a link to the page. Is the point? Okay. Okay. Here's one. All right. I'll, I'll oh, here's a buddy cult one. <laughs> I saw her in the back of the auditorium <laughs> and was drawn to her humongous lady breasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm not going to go out any further on the buddy called Lynn. I am new to your ways. <laughs> it's like un- unfrozen caveman wrestler. <laughs> All right, hold okay, on. you might have to skip over part of it, but here well, we hold go. Hold on, me. Uh, I'm trying to open the chat window here. Where is this? Uh, oh, you put it in a separate one. Okay. All right. I, I, this is going to be tough. I've never. Re- this is long as fuck, Bix. Uh, let me try this. I'm. Okay, look, you can skip ahead if you want. I mean, you can. Well, let me start. Well, here it goes. I'm 25 years old with black hair, brown eyes, a dark complexion, and a five inch dick. I recently had a wild sexual experience that I'd like to share with you. Gosh, my girlfriend's friend was having a birthday party for her son. The friend knew that I owned a video camera. Are we talking about him a lawler here? And wanted to know if I would videotape the party. My girlfriend's friend, Lori is 35 years old 
and pretty good looking with a nice large ass on her. That ass always gets me hard. (laughs) (laughs) When my girlfriend was at work, I went to Lori's apartment to get paid. When I got there, she asked me to come into the bedroom so she can get the money for me. She sat on the edge of the bed and motioned for me to come closer. But that's when Lori told me she didn't have the money, but would be willing to compensate me in other ways. She let me murder eight kittens that day. No, no. I asked, in what other ways? Even though I already knew the answer. Gosh, Lori smiled and pulled my shorts down. My cock popped out right in her face. She put my dick in her mouth and caressed my balls with her hand. She sucked my dick. She took my clothes off while I removed my own. Wait, she, oh, okay, that's it. She took her clothes off while I removed my own. Sorry, I got that. Wait, all at the same time? I got jet lag from Thailand. I'm confused here. Lori pulled my dick out of her mouth and said, I want you to fuck my pussy from behind. I hate pussies. I kill them. No, uh, she got on all fours. I started pumping her pussy. Large asses like Lori's have always turned me on. And seeing my cock disappear into her, gosh, it was great. She then surprised me by saying Dave wanted to come in. Now, she wanted my dick up her ass. She... <laughs> I, asked if she... I asked if she had any lubricant, and she said, forget that shit. Just ram me with all you've got. <laughs> this is ridiculous, dicks. By the way, all these letters are fake. There's no way any of these penthouse. Well, I mean, was not fake. actually in a penthouse publication. I'll, let me just read the ending here. Uh, <laughs> I can't put this. I'm going to skip ahead. I don't even know what was in between. I'm just going to the last paragraph here. The suspense is killing me. I Go right sto- to the climax. I started, I started the puke out of my mouth and my nose. <laughs> what the fuck happened? Hold on. I guess Gosh. I got a meal delivered from Pizza Inn. Gosh, I started the puke out of my nose and mouth. <laughs> I can't read And then Tommy Rogers came in. <laughs> I started the puke out of my mouth and nose. It was mostly the Taco Bell tacos I'd eaten for lunch. I could feel I the hard clock I, right there. I could feel the hard shells up in my sinuses as the vomit floated to the waistband. Wow. <laughs> to, to make matters worse, there was a wrapper for preparation. Suppositories H wait, excuse me, I, I got that wrong. To make matters worse, there was a wrapper for preparation H suppositories in the basket. It's no wonder this chick didn't need a loop. Oh my god. <laughs> I wiped <laughs> I wiped off my face and dick and then left. Signed, Quick Getaway in Hadaway, New Jersey. Wow. Well, I'd like to resign as creator emeritus from uh, 605. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow, what a what a story here. Oh. See, they don't write erotica like that anymore. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> By the way, oh, yeah. aside to leave something to the imagination, it was poetic in those days. A sidebar, do you know how Kevin likes his women? How's that? Barefoot and pregnant. <laughs> uh... Wow. Bix, I gotta say, good job, fine. This this was the perfect one to skip ahead. I'm 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 reading through this now. This the word puke is in here over and over again. Why did that? Oh man! <laughs> because it's a parody, but it's still it's good. Uh, I don't. 
Right. Oh, it's a, okay. I didn't realize this was the parody one. Forgive me. As I was reading it, I was I was thinking it was real. Now it's it's taking a step down. In my it wasn't, eyes. Uh, wasn't much. Would of a Don, would would Don Morocco thinking. like to read any porn either? Um, no. I I'm into an alfresco one. I think we need some erotica from the distaff side. Hiccuping fabulous moolah. Take it away. Uh, that's very, I'm, I'm working on some new material for my people. I don't want to give anything away while I'm not fully uh, in the mode. Okay. But I predict some of the funniest stuff ever. I should unleash like my new one right now. It would be very appropriate, but I don't want to release it before it's ready. <laughs> <laughs> Neither did Kevin in that story. By the way, yeah, you, but... you brought up Moolah. Timothy Johnson, who's a guy who tweets out really cool historical stuff from mostly Baltimore all the time and and people should check out what he's doing uh, i don't have his address in front of me but timothy johnson's his name and he tweeted out a result the other day and it was the fabulous moolah beat darling dagmar and i'm like wait a minute wasn't she a midget so moolah apparently beat one of her midgets on the show she was wrestling the midgets which i never heard of before <laughs> Well, I mean, that's an everyday occurrence, wasn't it? <laughs> Unless it was just um, either before the midget came around or because Darlin' Dagmar was like a thing back then. Wasn't it like a movie or a cartoon or something? I'm not thinking of Dagwood, but there was some there was a real Darlin' Dagmar. You know how wrestling always takes from real life. So it might have been like depending on the year, it might have been before the midget one. You know what I'm saying? No, right. Well, that uh, killed. Uh, <laughs> no, but it depends on the year. I mean, I don't know. I can't really see her working a midget. I don't think Darlin Dagmar was any larger than the average midget, so I don't know how that would have worked. Howard, let me ask you a question. Uh, you'd be uniquely qualified to answer. Ooh. When did the fans in Florida? I shouldn't say. I shouldn't say it that way. I was going to say when did they get sick of Dusty, but that's probably the wrong way to put it. Well, it's like saying how long have you beaten your wife? Yeah, yeah. When did they? When did Dusty start losing steam in your eyes? You know, I can't say that any of us g gathered around to discuss the product or anything like that. Um, it wasn't like I had eight buddies I hung out with and we all said, hey, this is what's happening. See, this is the thing people don't realize that in hindsight, th it was like it's an ongoing thing. It's an institution. You're lucky to be there week in, week out. And nobody was like, oh, his work rate this week. And, oh, did you see he, that booking wasn't as sharp as it was three months ago when Dory had the book? Nobody knew about any of this that was going on. And it was just – it was already the established game, and that was wrestling. And so up till 84, they were still drawing three to 4,000 fans a week. And as far as discussing it among fans, I have no idea. I know that even when I was in Memphis in 84, there was a bunch of fans that were like tired of Lawler at that point. And it was like halfway through his career at that point. He was just getting warmed up. What do you mean they were tired so of Lawler? Good... What do you mean? Well, because no, it was just a little contingent of fans and I think probably girls who Lawler wouldn't have looked at twice. So they didn't have any use for him because he was on top there forever. But I'm thinking they're crazy. You know, 84, 85 Lawler was as good as any time Lawler. So I'm like, whatever. They're probably just overexposed to him or he wouldn't uh, give him any or whatever. But in Florida, just personally as a fan, what I will say is that from the time of his turn until definitely like through 76, maybe completely electrifying. 
77, 78, a lesser version of that. 79, 80, a lesser version of that. Then after that, it became like a transparent thing where you knew where Dusty was going to go, except it was going to go slower and more predictably. So that's what I would say as far as Dusty. He was lightning in a bottle in 75, 76, still great in 78, 77, and 79, 80 was great for Florida wrestling. And I think I saw it printed. Barry Rose and other luminaries will agree with me. 79, 80, right in there somewhere, was the last of the great Florida wrestling. And after that, you still had enough of the momentum, and you still had Gordon and Dusty and all this stuff. Um, and like Barry Windham became the new Steve Kern and all that stuff, and you still had Dusty on top. But, you know, strictly as a fan, 76 to 80 was prime Florida. And then after that, I think there was like a slow decline into 84, and then from 85 to the end was the really bad decline. Let me ask you this, because I've seen the Briscoe-Terry Funk title change many times, and what's always stuck out to me is that there are fans jumping for joy when Terry wins. Was that because they were happy there was a title change, or was there a heel, a, a group of heel fans in Miami? And typically, were there pockets of heel fans throughout Florida or when you went to Memphis? Well, we discussed the Terry Funk-Jack Briscoe title change before, and my answer then, as it is now, was I think um, that was probably due to the atmosphere of seeing an actual title change because that was such a big deal in those days. That was as big as it got. And you see the pop came from like ringside people who you know are invested in the product and they probably follow the sport and everything. And it's like, oh my God, I just witnessed a fucking title change, which was as rare as an eclipse back in those days. That's impossible for people to even comprehend now. But you look at a list of NWA title changes. I used to study them as a child from Orville Brown all the way through whatever. And I'm like, look at that. I used to marvel as a kid. Dory Funk, 69 through 74. That's five solid years. Then they trade a title like every other week in recent years and stuff, you know? So it it was an incredible strike of lightning for you to be able to witness a world title change. The NWA championship changing hands was incredible. So I will say now I was, I was nine years old at that time. So I didn't notice any pocket of heel fans and I didn't notice any when I got older. I don't think that was really much of a thing. Um, but I think it was definitely more of a pop for the title changing hands. Cause I remember on my first show, it was Jack Briscoe against Rocky Johnson and both were baby faces. But I remember people kind of rooting for Rocky and Jack working semi heel. Um, and I picked up on that as a kid. I'm like, well, he's the champion and he's usually the good guy, but Rocky Johnson's really the good guy. And I was nine and it was my first show, but I realized all this. And, um, the fans wanted to see the title change more than I want to see Jack lose. I want to see Terry win, et cetera. Hold on. Cause the title, it, the title match in itself in those days was an aura unto itself. I'm going to add someone to the call right now who has not been on star Wars or the super podcast in a while, but is a big part of the show. Uh, let me add him. Cause I want to ask him his opinion on this. We're dialing him now. Let's we'll see how noisy it is over there. I love when I drive a topic into the ground. You're good at it. Hello. Travis. What's up? Ladies and gentlemen, Travis Heckle has joined Holiday Star Wars. Travis, hey. on the line with you right now. My boy. 
Oh. Howard Baum, David Bixenspan, Lou Kippelman, Scott Cornish, and myself. How are you doing? My voice sounds as bad as fucking Mike Lano pitchers. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, real quick, let me ask you, because uh, Howard just brought it up, so that's what made me think of you. He was saying that when he went to Memphis in 84, there was at least a pocket of fans that were sick of Lawler. From your experience growing up and going to wrestling in Louisville, I mean, answer that if you remember there ever being a pocket that was sick of him when he was a babyface. But beyond that, were there usually areas of heel fans, or did you not see that much in Louisville growing up? No, uh, uh, in Louisville, there was, a, there was a bad guy section. It was on the east side at the Louisville Gardens. Um, there's like probably about a, a section, maybe two. That's why the bad guys and my uncle and aunt would never let me sit over there. So they said it was too rough because more fights started over there. So there was technically a bad guy section, but we would always go over and try to get pictures of like Dennis Condry and uh, Bobby Eaton and stuff because they would always like to hang out over there and stuff. But there really, but we there wasn't a lot of kickback to Lawler to like the '90s after the uh, the incident that Bix wrote about. But other than that, he didn't have a lot of kickback until probably '92 and '93. After I do that- have a story if you. Well, let me ask you there, because I've never asked you that. Was there noticeable, at the shows, did people react to the scandal around Lawler? Did did people yell it at the shows? I mean, how did people react to it in the area? Oh, yeah. There's a group that sat with us on the second row. Uh, There's a couple, and they had two friends. They would come, gosh, not shit, I'm sorry. But uh, they, one night after it happened, they rented, were bought some of those jailbird outfits like you were for Halloween and wore it to the show. And Lawler made them come backstage and threatened to never let them come back to the Louisville Gardens. Wow. And they threatened to see their promotion. <laughs> and they threatened to see the promotion if they didn't let him. They said they can free to wear whatever they want. So they were wear like stuff all the time. Like they used to wear like googly eyes at Robert Gibson, those little classes with the uh, walkie eyes and shit. So they were a little wild. <laughs> All right, so it's huh. not, so it's not like they're just against people who have scandals. They just want to make fun of everybody. Oh yeah, but they really hated Lawler after all that stuff. They really want to. They used to give him hell. Well, he couldn't have liked that. That is funny. Oh no, well he certainly. I mean, he actually brought him backstage and was threatening him. So I don't think he liked it too much. You know, this is an interesting topic for this time though, because earlier I was actually looking at newspapers dot com. There was a woman in Louisville who sued him saying that he spat at her while he was a babyface during the Idol and Rich Feud in 87. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. I like to... I like to... I bet... I, I mean, I've probably seen her all the time because I mean, I'm sure for, she probably said a ringside, so I probably knew who she was. I'd like to find out her name. Is it ever name in there? Give me Mrs. one second. Hold up again. <laughs> Mrs. I have the picture, too. She looks very angry. Hold on. <laughs> But uh, I have some audio of her right here. There you go. (laughs) You're a liar and a bastard. (laughs) We had a few. We had a Mrs. Spencer that was a building defense in Louisville Gardens. She used to hit kids. uh, They stood in front of her (laughs) walker. What? You fuck son of a bitch! You! I hope you die in the next thirty minutes! You motherfucking (laughs) bastard! You! Bixie, pulling up the article. Yeah, yes, I am right now. Okay, Sherry is slash was. Harris, Harris. Read the article. Read the article so you actually get the story on. Just read the whole thing? Okay. To the Mac. 
Spitting case lands wrestler in court, but the jury leaves plain tiff down for the count. <laughs> anyway, by Andrew Wolfson, staff writer. Uh, with his trademark skin-tight black jumpsuit and his costume-jeweled red velvet crown, professional wrestler Jerry Lawler normally wages war before noisy fans in arenas like Louisville Gardens. Blah, 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 found him fighting in a different venue, blah, 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 wrestling stuff. Okay. His antagonist is not one of his usual burly combatants, instead a flyweight 28-year-old Portland woman who claimed Lawler had spit in her face. Insisting she'd suffered great, quote, humiliation, revulsion, and suffering last June 2nd when Lawler bounded out of the ring and allegedly expectorated on her, Clara Ann Harris slapped the king with a $10,000 suit for assault and battery. I went home and I couldn't sleep, Harris recalled the incident. I couldn't believe this man had spit in my face. However, a jury yesterday took just 11 minutes to decide that Lawler had done no such thing. <laughs> and that Harris deserved not a penny in damages. Uh, celebrating the verdict, Lawler said his lawyer was lucky to have brought home the victory. I would have body slammed him if he had. Of course. Uh, yesterday's trial was definitely the main event of the blah, 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 stupid wrestling analogies. Let's go to the next page. Most of the 30 jurors called in to hear Lawler's... Uh, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Hey, Case. someone's phone line is really noisy. You can, if you look, you'll see where it's coming from because they'll be lit up. I'm in uh, the fucking car. It's probably me. Oh, okay. Okay. There you go. Well, I'm on anyway. my way home. Said they knew him by name, and it seemed about the only one in the courthouse unfamiliar with the king was Judge John Potter, before whom the case was tried. Even those who don't follow wrestling probably remember Lawler. He's the guy who slapped the late comedian Andy Kaufman out of his chair on the David Letterman show in 1983. Uh, blah, blah, blah. The King sent Kaufman in the hospital with head cuts, strained neck muscles, and other assorted impairments. I was doing comedy and he was doing real, the comedian explained. Testifying for 45 minutes yesterday, Harrison's alleged, yeah, alleged spitting incident was no laughing matter. I was embarrassed to death, she said. People behind me started laughing. For 10 years, on each and every Tuesday night, she said she attended uh, wrestling at Louisville Gardens. For the last six years, she had sat in the same ringside seat. That is where she said she was on June 2nd, when an unruly tag team match bidding Lawler and a partner, I think it was Dundee, against Tommy Rich and Austin, the international heartthrob, okay, idol, spilled out of the ring. Standing just a foot away, Lawler spat in her face, she testified, and then, to add insult to injury, directed an obscenity at her as he marched off to his dressing room. I think I was in shock, she recalled. I just couldn't believe it. Neither could three of her friends who backed up her account of what lawyer Greg Holmes described as, quote, the very unpleasant incident. The case seemed to be going her way until the lawyer for the king, Walter McGee, launched into a searing cross-examination. Responding to rapid-fire questions, Harris admitted that despite her trauma, she didn't report the alleged incident to police. Despite her trauma, she admitted to waiting around Louisville Gardens for some 30 minutes so she could wave at Austin Idol as he left. And despite her supposed <laughs> shock at Lawler's alleged obscenity, she admitted to doing a little cussing of her own at the fights. Do you shout insults at some of the wrestlers, McGee asked? Yes, sir, she answered. Do you curse at some of the wrestlers? Sometimes. One of those she admitted to cursing most was Lawler. In the minds of wrestling fans, she explained, wrestlers are divided into good guys and bad guys. Lawler, she said, is a bad guy because he is too predictable and uses illegal holds when the referee turns his back. Hmm. I just don't like the way Jerry Lawler wrestles, she acknowledged. 
Harris, who is a computer programmer for the Kentucky Athletic Commission. <laughs> wow, there's a little turn. Which regulates yeah. pro, wrestling, pro boxing and wrestling, admitted that even if the king had spatted her, she incurred no financial expenses as a result. She didn't miss any work, for one thing, and she didn't need the help of a psychiatrist. She also kept going to wrestling matches. However, Lawler testified that there was no spitting. Garb in a Christian Dior sweater, blue jeans and sneakers, the barrel-chested Lawler appeared mild-mannered, soft-spoken, yeah. and decidedly non-violent, as he calmly explained that he doesn't make it a practice to spit on any fans, and certainly not on Harris. Police officers and other fans supported his story. He said he believed Harris, quote, turned on him when he began fighting Idol, who's such a favorite of hers that she admitted on a case, excuse me, she admitted to occasionally picking him up at the airport. Oh. <laughs> Lawler said Harris's distaste for him grew so strong that she once kicked and cursed a six-year-old boy who had sought out his autograph. Wrestling up to five times a week in a, on a circuit that involved, in, includes Louisville, Evansville, and Memphis, Lawler said to earn in, in the neighborhood of $200,000 a year. While Harris's suit cost him nothing more than his lawyer's fee and expenses, he described it as, quote, as a very big pain in the neck, or a little lower. Although his career skyrocketed after his hassle with Tussle, excuse me, with Kaufman, he said he hardly welcomed pub the publicity from the spitting case. If I get the image of spitting in people's faces, he said, who's going to want to see me wrestle? The end. I totally could see that, like him getting on the stand and just being mild-mannered, Jerry Lawler show Jerry Lawler. Like, That's his know. act every time he's in court. Every time. He's a beautiful liar. As a that said, Exactly. That's it. In this case, I'm guessing he was telling the truth. Yeah. Oh, by the way, well, you guys want to hear something hilarious? I, I got these friends, and they're like 25, and his cousin's even younger, like 19. They were over the house, and um, I'm like, I was telling some story, and I'm like, and you know... I gave him I gave him the Jerry Lawler um the Jerry Lawler uh, smirk. They're like, "What?" I go check this out. So I show him the um the Kaufman incident on Letterman. I'm like, "Check this out. Look how he looks at him after Kaufman is like, I could have sued you, but I'm not that kind of guy." And that look that Lawler gives that we all know that moment where he's like, "What kind of a guy are you?" Like right before he says that, it's the patented Lawler smirk. I told him if you ever want to get over in a bar, you do that behind some guy's back, some guy that's making a complete usual mail out of himself, using a pickup line or whatever, and then all you got to do is stand behind him and do the Jerry Lawler smirk, the girl is yours, because now she saw that. So anyway, they couldn't believe it. They did the Jerry Lawler smirk for the rest of the weekend. They're like, the Jerry Lawler smirk. They thought it was the coolest thing I ever showed him. Hey, Travis... Hey, Travis, jump in, jump in here because I'm going to need you to mute yourself soon because they're getting a ton of noise from your end. All right, I'm Gary Park. What's up? <laughs> I was going to say, do you have any comments about all this Lawler shenanigans? Oh, if that girl was from Portland, I'm surprised she didn't cut him, actually. Oh. <laughs> but <laughs> it's kind of like a rough end of town. But what she say? She was from the Kentucky Athletic Commission? Yeah, a computer programmer for the Kentucky Athletic Commission. I wonder if she was, who's that guy Cornette always talks about and hated him, or Cornette hated it. It was from the athletic I wonder if she was like a, <laughs> yeah, you're going to be a little more She specific. was a plant. That tried. Oh, that's it. Oh, your theory is maybe she was a plant. Oh, to get him suspended? Something, because remember, they always have trouble with the athletic commission. Remember, it was like with Terry Font at that time and Jonathan Boyd and everything with the state athletic commission. Who knows? She could have just been a plant to sue the promotion, get them in trouble, some kind of payback. Yeah, maybe. 
she's driving idle around, so who knows? Um, but yeah, I'm sure he likes that known. <laughs> let me uh, let me add uh, someone to the call here who has. I don't know if he's ever been on a Star Wars, but this could be interesting and fun. Let me add him now, and he should be picking up momentarily. Yo, 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 what's up, what's up, what's up? Roy Lusher, welcome to New Year's Star Wars here on the Super Podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely glad to be on the show. Well, thank you. That's the attitude I want people to have. Uh, unlike everyone else who's on the line so far, I'm glad when people have that sort of attitude to be here. Uh, Roy, on the line with you right now, a, a what a roster here. The superstars of the Super Podcast, certainly. Howard Baum, Scott Cornish, Lou Kippelman, David Bixenspan, Travis Heckle, and me. Am I forgetting anyone else? I guess that's it. Wow, that's a hell of a lineup. Hey, guys. Hey, welcome everyone there. <laughs> Hi, Roy. Hey, What's up, uh, Roy? Brian, look, look, look what I changed my profile picture to. Uh, what is that? Uh, it's a small picture. So I'm, I got to highlight it or try to make it big. You actually have two profile pictures on here. One's you with, I'm going to guess, Samoa Joe. Uh-huh. And the other one is you with a man with a mu- Is it Rick Ratchet? That's Budokan. Oh, get out of here. It's, it's so small, I can't <laughs> tell who it is. I thought it was Rick Ratchet. Uh, wow. Get out. Where's that, from Cauliflower Alley? Yep. Which, oh. by the way, me and, me and uh, Howard Baum will be attending next year. Ah, if Jace Nakarado allows it. That is. <laughs> That's what I've been hearing. Hey, uh, Roy, what have you been going through lately? What tapes? What footage? What's really uh, sparked your interest lately? Uh, let's see. The latest batch that I got. Well, by the way, um, I'm not sure how many have been following my Twitter, but the guy who ran the uh, Real Hero Archive, uh, Eric Cholminski, he sent me every single All Japan TV show from 1987 to 1990. And also some like random TV shows from 78 to 81. So I'm going to be uploading those uh, beginning of next year. Uh, just a whole bunch of random stuff. I mean, I, I literally have enough to upload until the end of 2020, you know, right now. It's, it, it's crazy. But uh, right now I'm going through old magazines and just finding like rare photos and uploading them on Twitter, Facebook and stuff like that. I saw that you really popped John Arezzi. He didn't even see that Weekend the Champions video that you put out. I don't think I'd ever seen. I know it was around back in the day, but I never traded for it because I had always... The only match I really wanted to see was Conan Sabu, which at that time was really built up. I didn't really see Conan wrestle yet, so I didn't realize that he was really terrible as a wrestler, and everyone Aww. wanted to see Sabu. And it was a low ceiling, so Sabu couldn't do much from what I remember, right? And then did you see that um, Arezzi said apparently the opening match was like Bubba Ray Dudley really early in his career. Yeah, Mongo Vile when he had long Mongo Vile, yeah. Yeah, and the same demeanor that he has today, uh, apparently, from what I saw on that videotape. Bix, how's your your cousin Akeem doing? You've been going through the archive of shows, haven't you? I'm on episode 79 right now. (laughs) He went back to the beginning and went through every single episode, which, you know, I always love when people tell me they do that. But Roy's been like keeping in touch with me and saying it. And what do you think? You happy with the show? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Loving even my wife and I will go on a random drive somewhere. I think when we drove out to TLC in San Jose and we were just listening to like, you know, 
probably around episode 67 68 around that time you know just great times great stuff you know i i grew up uh you know unfortunately the the stuff in my area growing up was like ccw we didn't get a lot of indies or stuff like that in the 80s other than you know what was on tv in the la area so when i finally got into tape trading i was into japan and mexico so now i'm really thanks to the 605 starting to learn about memphis you know and uh mid-south and these are promotions i didn't see for years so it, it's it's been a blast and i have a you to thank for it i mean we're digging boogie you know dream machine tojo that whole stuff is just great what are you up to in 81 what what uh what are you up to? April. Uh Dream just turned face. That's what, what we saw last. Okay. When did he, uh, so, April. So you haven't even April. gotten to those great brawls yet with uh what was it, Honky Tonk and Sullivan and Lawler and, and it just that great stuff that was all over the Louisville Gardens. No, I haven't got to see any of that. Yeah, I, I did see the original uh Tupelo brawl. It was what Lawler and Dundee against Latham and Ferris. Technically it's the second Tupelo brawl, but it's the first one that's the brawl itself is on video, so everyone thinks it's the first one. The first one, I think, Bix, you may know. Was it Robert Gibson and Lawler versus Oh, and I forget who they were against even actually. I always forget, but it was it was for the it was in two blow, it was for the B show. But I don't know if it was that they didn't think to try to shoot it or the actual brawl was just spur of the moment. But they end up cutting away because they can't get the camera down there. <laughs> And we didn't know this existed until uh, Rick Crane got the tape of it from Jeff Osborne and had all that converted. I had only seen it just, I don't know, within the last year. I'd, and I asked Cornette, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like Everyone literally forgot about that match because they didn't show the I, role. I want to hit up Jimmy Hart when I see him at Cauliflower Alley. And, you know, isn't there rumors that he's got a ton of Memphis like hiding? Well, the belief now is that his ex-wife and kids have it. Oh, yeah <laughs> so might be a source of oh okay what was that, that was the greatest day of his life <laughs> oh man you just beat me to it by a millisecond you <laughs> son of a bitch what was that pics what happened if, if the belief is that jimmy hart's wife and or ex-wife and or kids have all of his tapes and films because um some of the films that were sold on eBay that appear to have originated from him were sold by someone who was using the username Jimmy Hart Jr. That's right. I remember ah. that. Yeah. You know what's sad? Whenever I think of Jimmy Hart, the first thing I think of now is, it's Resolicious! That's the first <laughs> thing that pops into my head. <laughs> hey, Roy. You know how you're talking about you listening with your wife? Yes. I don't I think I told Brian this. Uh, me and Kristen... She of course doesn't listen, and he, she. I hate driving, so but I took over driving. We were going to Chicago to a friend's wedding. Yeah. She's you can listen to that podcast if you want. So she's <laughs> asleep, and then she woke up. She goes, "Was there some old man keep singing going to wrestling?" <laughs> <laughs> I said, "That's oh. him." I think that so was my wife's introduction to the sick. I think that was my wife's introduction to the 605 was I, I came to bed one night and I just started playing Glenn Goza over and over again. She's like, where in the hell did you hear that from? And I, that's I started playing 605 for her, you know? Oh. <laughs> These poor women. 
Stay single. No, don't. There's great women out there. Have fun. Yeah. Find a good yeah. one. Chill out. Gr- great, patient, tolerant women. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Saintly, almost in demeanor. <laughs> Is she in the room right now, Lou? Is that what you're trying to say? No, she's uh, she's uh, trying to. She's suffering through a cold. Ooh, everyone so. It's hitting everyone. That's why Kurt Brown's not on the show today. Him and his wife are just both of them just got knocked out today with the cold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, get better, Vandal. Roy, I sent you a message. Look at your message. Travis, I'm still getting some noise from your line. Is muting a possibility? Yeah, hold, yeah go ahead. All right. No, I'm saying... I'm, I'm doing the show art. Oh, okay. No, I'm saying, can you mute me? I'm actually mute? doing the show Not art me. right now, so you can mute me. No, I can't mute you. I'm saying, can you mute yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on one second. Yeah. This is a little bit of the inner workings of the Super Podcast here on this unprofessional Star Wars edition. <laughs> Well, Skype is not designed to be a broadcasting tool in any form. No, right. yet I've somehow turned it into that. But uh, what were you going to say, uh, Scott? Oh, yeah, you did it first before anyone else. <laughs> Just tell, tell him, Travis, put down the crayons and mute yourself. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Travis's arc gets better and better and better uh, each time. Yeah. And now I'm getting feedback. What the fuck? What's going on here? <laughs> Uh, well, like any good uh, New Year's Eve, it's amateur night here. Yeah, and we still have one more person to add, which will just make this even more chaotic. Only one person has dropped off the line, and that's only because he was in a country far, far away where it was past midnight. But uh, hold on, this person's not available yet? Okay, here we go. Yeah, Roy, so how much of that Arezzi footage do you have from the conventions? um 91 92 93 i do got that auction that he did with wow. the the fez the flare the moolah stuff where cornet is auctioning off the uh ring gear and all that and nobody bids on the moolah stuff and the flare <laughs> no no one bids on fez's trunks either and he goes well fez is tight for christ's sake yeah <laughs> do you have the one that, that was happened- eddie hosted do you have the one that eddie uh did the auction uh you know what i if it's 91 92 93 i got that's 92. it i yeah um i have to watch it over i i know i have it i just i've watched the 91 one but not the 92 so i i will be getting that up in january for sure man i wish i could go. i only went to 93 and i only went for one day i didn't attend all the festivities plus so many of those fans seem so weird i didn't want to be there too long uh well, and <laughs> i uh you know i remember it being really cool and you really appreciate what John did when you look now and you just see like these conventions are all just run of the mill. Like it's just, you know, Hey, we're going to do a thing and everyone gets a vendor table and everyone will be here and everyone will be standing in lines and everyone will be packed into this room. Like a Sardi. It's just, it ain't cool anymore. It's just, everyone's just doing the same thing. And I wouldn't want to be a part of any of those. But when John did it, he was not only the first guy doing it, but he did cool shit. Like if you look at 92, he reunited Bruno and Zabisco, and then he brought Jushin Liger in from Japan. Yeah. That was a big fucking deal at the time to bring Liger in. You know, yep. in 90, 93, he had the original Sheik, his only autograph appearance ever in the United States. It was the original Sheik, Medusa, Kevin Sullivan and Nancy, Sensational Sherry, Terry Funk, Chris Candido and Tammy had a booth. Ox Baker obviously had a booth. Uh, Conan was in the autograph. Conan room. was in. That's right. Cause I talked to, I was one of the only people that talked to Conan. No one knew who he was really yet. Even though Rezzy had been building him up on the show. Spicoli. I had a long talk with Spicoli there. He had a booth and he was so cool. 
I remember that. That's the one thing I always thought about when Luis Piccoli died was I don't know how messed up he got or what happened, but he was so nice when he was like just a young guy breaking in, excited to be there. And, uh, you know, I still have the autographed photo I got from him there, but it was really, it was just such a cool experience. And now, I mean, everyone's doing them and it's the same vendors at everything. It's the same people selling the same videos at everything. It's lost anything that makes it special. When John did it first, it truly was special. And like John deserves so much credit because he lost money on those and he kept doing it. Like he, yep. he, he didn't think of things like a businessman. He'll be the first to tell you. He thought of like, how can I do things? that fans like me would enjoy and you know a lot of fans like me and and bix you know who grew up around that we really appreciate it It was really it really was a special time and further we get away from it the more apparent that is right what do you think bix oh absolutely um although i will say the second one in 91 the lines to get in on the first day were massive just to get into the main room um that was the only year though but even then uh rip rogers was very resourceful and was in his gear offering to sell pictures to people with him. On the line? While they were in the long line, yes, to get into the main room. <laughs> was it Scott Cornish that won the free tickets to see Flair, and it was like three hours to get the tickets and then three hours to see Flair, so it was like six hours blown? No, no, it wasn't quite quite as bad as that. Um, it just happened that quickly, uh, and that uh, the, the day of the thing, it was – Certainly the tickets to see him and have the whole experience were like a hundred dollars. So there's, there's no way I was going to pay really anything. Not that he's not worth it. Uh, I just wasn't going to, but they had a trivia question on Facebook. I answered it correctly and got two free tickets and, and went right over. It was a bit of a long wait to, to finally get up there and meet him. But the whole thing was uh, as well run as any of the, as things could possibly be and he was in a particularly good mood and you know took a lot of pictures took a lot of time with everybody yeah it was overall a a good experience um i wouldn't pay that (laughs) like i said it's just that's just me that's not a reflection i think anybody that did pay it got their money's worth out of it it was a good it was a good experience it wasn't uh it wasn't uh as long as all that it just happened very quickly I won a pair of tickets, and then a, an hour later, I was standing in line meeting him. <laughs> no offense to anyone who does it, but I just don't get spending these amounts of money that you have to pay now for these yeah, autograph things and stuff. Like, I mean, I know part of it was the gimmick, but still, it was also probably what they had to charge to make sure they make money. Right. Austin and New Orleans this year at WrestleCon was $316. Yeah. So take her look. Taker locally is like $300 at Frank and Sons. Uh, I, if, I think it already happened or maybe next month or something, but I heard he charged 30 grand for an appearance. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Hey, let's, let's do this. This could be fun. What is the worst experience you had at an autograph signing for a wrestler? Obviously, we talked about it earlier. When I saw Jake Roberts in 93, that was a complete disaster. Bix, what about you? Jake Roberts in 1993 at LNS. <laughs> Yeah, that was so other than that, no, it could be that, or if you have something else, uh, I mean, that would probably be it. Let me think. I mean, in that era at the conventions or anything, I don't know if there's anyone else that stands out as bad. I mean, Boss Hog Calhoun was delightful when I was buying magazines, somehow. <laughs> but that's ooh. different, though. That's not an autograph, that's not like actually meeting a wrestler and getting an autograph, that's meeting someone who pretends to be a wrestler and buying magazines. I mean, I didn't buy anything, but Virgil shot rubber bands at me for not buying anything. Does that? <laughs> huh. 
He was very angry about that. Um, as far as otherwise bad, I mean, it would probably be that Jake one. I mean, I didn't try to get an autograph from Carrie at the 92 convention, so probably Jake. Uh, let's go, Lou. What about you? Well, I'm, you know, I, I, I might have to give a, a you know, not applicable uh, sign here. I've, I only stood in line for one encounter with a wrestling figure. That was uh, the WrestleMania, the WrestleMania weekend uh, in San Jose. Uh, Santa Clara. I think that was 31. Uh, and I went and I got VIP tickets to uh, ringside with Jim Ross. And oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> it, was, it was okay. And I was, you know, it was fine. I just had my uh, few seconds there to shake his hand and uh, get a photo op with him. And it was, you know, I it, it wasn't negative. It, you know, it was what it was. Howard, what about you? I've had good times. Hold on, hold on. Is someone throwing ice into a glass? What is that? (laughs) Not me. All right. Not me. Anyway, Howard. I've had nothing but good times. I had a minor spot, a spat with um, Missy Hyatt at the 98 50th reunion, CAC, NWA 50th. I was there. Minor spat. Well, I know you're trying to stay in her good graces, um, but. My closing line to her was uh, an imitation of what Paulie said to her in an interview. And I said, this is something to the effect of, leave me alone, you stupid prostitute. May or may not have said something like that as she walked away. What happened was I was selling my photos and everything. And I I have nothing but love for Missy. But I just heard that line in an interview, thought it was hilarious. And then she forced me to spew it. Because I was selling photos and videos, just whatever videos, but I was also selling photos of the people that were there at the NWA 50th, and Missy was one of them. So here she comes, huffing and puffing up to my table. Handsome John Mastandrea was right by my side, thank goodness, so I felt secure. And she's like, what is this? Nobody asked me. I'm like, where was I going to ask you? I don't have your phone number. I brought photos of the people that were going to be here. She's like, well, you can ask me. She huffs and puffs, and she started a whole big scene. And John, as always, is like trying to pull me back into the car as I'm like getting out to either kill or be killed. He's like, just forget about it. Just be nice, which always makes me ten times as mad when someone tells me to back off. And I'm like, that's right, you stupid prostitute. And she walked away. I don't really endorse that story. It was just a funny line to say at the time. She came and harassed me. I always liked Missy, and I have nothing but good memories. But other than that, I I have a good time at the signings. I mean, nobody, I can't think of anything bad that ever happened. I remember Kevin Sullivan and Nancy went after Eric Sims in the early days of ECW because he was selling photos of them, and they flipped out, and they went after him, like in the arena. Well, are you supposed to call the guy and say, hey, I'm going to be at this convention, and I'm a photographer. Like, is that cool? Like, what what was I supposed to do? Wait for her, yes. Wait for her, okay, to sell photos that I own. If she asked you to take him off the table, or if, or if anyone asked you, said, "Hey," I would have. I okay. actually would have, but she didn't. I mean, that she she even said to me, which is why I thought she was stupid. Which was why I thought the whole thing was just. <laughs> she's like, "I would have told you, okay." I'm like, "Well, okay, tell me now." Like, I don't have your number, you know. Were you trying to get her number? It's just, it's just wrestling. You and were then trying to get her number. Who witnessed it? 
Well, then somebody who witnessed it said, oh, now you see what Eddie had to go through or something like that. I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not privy to any of that kind of gossip. But And I don't want to talk Howard, bad about Missy. I'm a, I'm a big Missy fan. Howard got her back, though. When she turned around and walked away, he gave her the Lawler smirk. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Speaking of the Lawler smirk, let me add a smirking guy right now. I like this topic, though. And this will Wait, be were you trying person. to hit on Missy because she's a member of the tribe? She wasn't a member. <laughs> I didn't even know that. She wasn't a member. Oh, yet. this was before. Okay. Yeah. Yellow again, everybody. There oh, he is. Converted. That doesn't count. The man with the longer smirk himself, Scott Bowden. Welcome to Holiday Star Wars. You're <laughs> on the line with more guests than we've ever had before. Roy Lusher. Me. Wow. Bix. I'm, I'm trying to read through the list here. Luke Kippelman, Scott Cornish, Howard Baum, Travis Heckle. And I think that's it. And Alan Blackstock went to bed. How are you? Uh, uh, You mean terrible Travis Heckle is actually on the line? He's actually on the line. Oh, my gosh. Shouldn't you be working on some illustrations, man? I think he is. (laughs) (laughs) We got a catalog to run here. You all want to hear the story of the first thing Scott ever said to me? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He didn't go to Louisville much. He didn't come to Louisville much, and I was telling him about we found a quote unquote bad guy side back then. And uh, he talk, hey, hey Travis, talk I, a little bit more into the phone. It's hard to hear you. Uh, Rookie. Uh, hold on. <laughs> Are you there? I'm here. I'm here. All right, <laughs> right Travis- I'm doing the start. I'm on speaker now. There All right, I've go. got off speaker. Okay. Um, <laughs> You know, he came to the little Houston mansion, Doug and Eddie, I mean, uh, Doug and Tommy. And so all of our friends were all sitting in the row. We're giving that bow thing to him. He goes, so you mean to tell me I drove all this way to have a bunch of you retards bowing at me or something? I'm like, so Scott has a bad habit of calling people retards. Now, wait a minute. I, I, honestly, think, Dave I think I probably said something along the lines of you stinking rednecks. I, I no, really retards. Well, <laughs> we, got, we got a kick out of it. <laughs> so don't let him fool you with this Dave Brown stuff. He has a habit of it. Hey, Travis. Um, I shouldn't say Travis. Hey, Scott, uh, whose name is also Travis. But hey, Scott, uh, we're going to go to you in a second with what's been a topic right now. But first, let me go to Roy Lucier. Roy, uh, I, I see you're on mute. Take yourself off mute. And let me ask you, out of all the autograph signings you've been to, all the wrestlers you've been around at various events, what's the worst experience you had? And he's still on mute. Let me see. <laughs> Actually, I just tried to take him off mute. I can't take him off mute from my end. No, I muted myself on the 605. Roy, I'm going to hang up on you. and di- Oh, he's off mute. Roy, you there. Yeah, can you hear me? Now I can hear you. What's the worst experience oh. you've had? Brutus Beefcake. Oh. How, far, how long ago? Well, last you, year well you were quick with that was it really bad oh it, it was fucking awful okay so um basically i at the time was facebook friends with beefcake and he earlier in the week Ooh. he had shown up august of last year <laughs> at an event when sacramento with gail kemp beefcake comes to the event and earlier in the week he had posted something on facebook like please pray for my son he was involved in a car accident it's not looking too good something along those lines so when i see him at the event you know i buy my ticket and all that stuff from the main guy i go over and introduce myself and i say by the way i just want to let you know i hope your son feels better and he's all what are you talking about i don't have a son and i'm like dude i'm facebook (laughs) friends with you 
you, you you said that your son was involved in a car accident. He's all, oh, that was Misty's son. That ain't my son. You know, it's, I'm wait, a step wait. Oh, my but, God. But, but, wow. my, 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 my question here is, why are you getting Brutus Beefcake's autograph? Ah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's that's the real issue here. No, 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 no. He was getting uh, Dizzy Ed Boulder's autograph. Ah, uh, now it's a Zodiac. For uh, completest purposes, you understand. Yeah, the wrestler with no it. name. I wonder if he'll do that if you ask him to sign Dizzy Ed, if he'll sign it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I, I've met hundreds of wrestlers, probably thousands in my life. Beefcake's the only one who really fucking rubbed me the wrong way. I mean, you know, I, I was trying to actually be nice to the dude, and I even paid for a pick in an auto, and it's like, I'm actually wishing you well and stuff like that. You want to go hey, off? Hey, wait a you. minute. That was uh, Lano speak there for a minute. I was in line for a pick in an auto. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I was in line with BB. <laughs> hey, Roy, you're friends with That's that. Enough. Roy, you're friends with Harry Smith, right? Harry Smith. Oh, very well. Yes, yes. Do me a favor. Next time you talk to him, tell him we got a lot of respect for him for the way he tried to stand up. Not even stand up, but the way he confronted Jake about Jake's bullshit. Just, we talked about it earlier in the show. When people listen back, when you listen back, you'll hear it. Let him know that we got a lot of respect. At least I do. A lot of respect for, for him for the way he uh, conducted himself there. Oh yeah. Okay. I'll say so. I, yeah, I'm very familiar with that whole situation. Uh, that was crazy because, um, all that shit went down and you know, what really pissed me off too was the way that Ryan sat and handled it. God, that guy was like, Oh, that's why I hate the guy with the passion. But uh, apparently like, you know, he, he, I guess Jake did some promo or something where he was talking shit on, you know, Harry's dad. So he went to confront him or something like that. Like told him like, uh, keep my dad's name out of your mouth or something like that. And I guess the two had history and uh, that's when he threw the coffee at him. And I guess after it happened, Jake went to go complain to Brett Hart of all people about it. And it's like, <laughs> that's, that's his uncle. Really? So Brett went into the bathroom and started texting Harry he goes like, you know, this piece of shit is telling me like all this, whatever. And I, I, I know they're a little cooler with each other and you know, because they're obviously going to run into each other and, you know, cooler heads prevailed, but you know, it's like, yeah, and he, he was pretty pissed off at that time. And Oh God. Yeah, but I'll pass that along to him. I talk to him weekly. Yeah, please, please let him know. Please let him know. A lot of respect for him for doing that. But uh, Bowden, you just heard what we're doing here. Obviously, you're, you've been in the business since the early 90s, so it's a little different. I don't know if you would have an example, but what's the worst experience you've ever had at an autograph signing or anything with a wrestler making a personal appearance? Oh, gosh. Um, I, w- I would say... Uh, well, I went up to, I went up to uh, Jimmy Valiant and this is at the Charlotte fan fest and he had, you know, he was selling his merch and we were doing the Memphis round table with Lance Russell and Dave Brown and Jerry Jarrett. And I was, you know, I had organized the whole thing and, uh, I could see him, you know, paying attention to it when he wasn't signing autographs and I went over to him and he's like, yeah, I remember you brother. You, we worked together in Memphis. Yeah. And he hugged me and he's like, Oh, you want to buy a picture? And I, and I just it was it wasn't like the worst thing that ever happened but but I I I felt it was incredibly sad in a in a way uh and I was like uh yeah sure I'll take one he's like and uh I'll throw in a copy of my book for like thirty dollars more uh, <laughs> I was like Jesus that was the gauntlet I was that was the gauntlet to walk through if you could make it by Jimmy Valiant and then Mike Jackson consider yourself a lucky man 
Well, you know what? And right. I, I, I had to buy Valiant's book because it's like 500 pages. And I was just like going, what the hell? It, I mean, it, how, what kind of content it, is, does he have in here? I mean, you know, how big is the type? I was like absurdly curious. And, uh, of course, it, it just uh, – yeah, it, it was it was all over the place. I don't know if any of you guys have read that book. Oh yeah, but chapter yeah. seven, funky little Jew. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and man, and he's like one of those too that like you know every night was a sellout and the whole kind of thing. Uh, and I also happened to just casually be walk, walking past Virgil at the San Diego <laughs> Comic Con. Did he have rubber bands? I, <laughs> uh, should should he have? Well, the stories. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, no, I'd rather not know about that. Uh, and I just kind of said, I uh, said, oh, hey, man, what's up? And I've been there signing with, uh, I've been, you know, the Kentucky Fire Wrestling column originally launched on Kevin Smith's website. And we had the little booth there. And I guarantee you, I signed more autographs than he did that day. And and I go, oh, hey, man, what's up? Well, we're both Memphis Wrestling and alum, alumni. And he's like, really? And I said, yeah, yeah, I worked there in 94, 95. And I actually, uh, I remember you coming through in 87, a soul train. He goes, yeah, 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 man. Come on, man, let's get a Polaroid, 20 bucks. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. and again, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just sort of sad. But I got to give Valiant, though, a free pass because uh, my mom approached him. And this is at the height of Hanson Jimmy's popularity and coolness factor in Memphis in 1978. And she ran, in, ran into him at the Memphis airport. And went up to him and said, uh, excuse me, I hate to bother you. Um, uh, can I get your autograph? And he's like, sure, mama, sure. And he's like, well, it's it's for my son. And he looks her up and down. He goes, right on, mama, right on. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Oh, God, it was great. Uh, and, I think it was, and I think it was on a TGI Friday's napkin. So it was, it was just, uh, that was like the coolest autograph that I had for some time. And I, but, and as, but I also had an interesting, it was like the, the very first time some punk kid came up and asked me for an autograph. I was at the, like at the Mid South Fair and this guy came and this kid came up and he's like, he's like, ah, oh, Scott Bad, they're all wrong about you. You don't suck. Can I have your autograph? And I'm like, yeah. So I signed something and then he walked in. Oh, he walked off and he goes, "Hey, you do suck!" And he ripped it to pieces and cackled and ran off. <laughs> That's right. little, hey, Bob, are you holding the microphone in your hand? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Naked station. Well, you know what the fucking problem is? It's it's like I'm so dying to like talk to to people who are not related to my wife's immediate family that uh, I, I just because I've had family here for like over two weeks. They're still here. And hopefully they're not listening to this. Um, See, this is a little bit and- of behind the scenes of Kentucky Fried Wrestling here. Scott Bowden has a mic set up similar to mine where the mic is on his desk and he has headphones and he talks into it. But sometimes he gets so fired up that he just, I guess, grabs it and starts like, you know, just, like he's on Memphis TV. He's like holding the That's microphone right. in front of his mouth, like right now. That's exactly, That's exactly what I'm doing right now. Because you know what? Because everything is so fucking displaced around here. It's like I, I can't find any of my fucking phone chargers. Uh, everything is just, it's it's crazy. And I can't find the, the, the microphone stand. So I could put it in this wine glass. If it'll stay stationary. <laughs> oh man, the, the, seriously, yeah. this is like this has been like a twenty-six fall Texas death match holiday season with uh, her family and my family being in town. But there's light at the end of the tunnel, my friends. Hey, you would know as well as anyone. You think there's any chance that that entire match exists on tape? 
the 26 fall Texas death match. Oh, shit. Um, for those who don't maybe. know what we're talking about, we're talking about 1986, Bill Dundee and Buddy Landell versus Dutch Mantel and Jerry Lawler in Memphis. One of the great matches of all time from the course. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I think, I think there's about 10 minutes that exist. Uh, you know what? I'll ask Ken Parnell uh, next time I talk to him. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't know if you guys had had a chance to listen to that interview with. Uh, here's a little cheap plug for the podcast, but that was really cool. Uh, you know, just to get his perspective, and I, you know, I had no idea that he was a fan. I guess everybody pretty much, if you lived in the city of Memphis, you pretty much were a fan before you started working there, uh, and it's kind of cool that he was able to give us that perspective from being a WMC TV employee as well as a uh, an employee of Jarrett's. So it's kind of cool. And he just recovered. From, he, just got, he just recovered from heart surgery. He, he like went in and they were like, we need to like operate immediately. Uh, so it's good wow. to see him back on speed. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I'm going to mute you for a second while you figure out your mic situation. All right. Uh, hold on. Muting you. And Bowden's on mute. Scott Cornish. Yes. Did we go to you yet about your nightmare experience with the rest? <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming you have one. Everyone else does. I haven't been to too many of those things. I, I went to this. Wrestle reunion, one of the first wrestle reunions in Tampa, where they had just a ridiculous amount of wrestlers there, and most of most everybody was okay. There were a few people that were just sort of you know arrogant and quiet, like Nash and, and Dusty. Although that was the that was the one where Dusty uh, pointed out the two photos on the uh, magazine cover <laughs> to his partner. But there was somebody there, and I experienced just sort of a just sort of a a weird attitude from that guy, not terribly angry, but just like he couldn't be bothered. And that was Ted DiBiase. So it was a disappointment. Oh, yeah. really? He was sitting, he was sitting at the table that he sits at when he's signing and all along the line to the left, to the right, all the way around in a giant square, everybody's sitting there and signing and people are standing in line to go up. So he's actually sitting with Virgil. <laughs> And I go up, and he looks up, and he says, oh, "I'm, uh, I'm not really signing." You know, it was just sort of, <laughs> and a, okay, you know, we'll catch you some other time. And then he just sort of grabs. I had a WWF magazine. He sort of grabs the magazine and signs it anyway. So thanks for telling me you're doing me a special favor by sitting at an autograph table, but you're not signing autographs, but you're gonna <laughs> sign the autograph anyway. And then I saw him a couple of years later at uh, the pro wrestling hall of fame and didn't have anything for him to sign and didn't care and still picked up that same sort of arrogant vibe from him. Um, and that's all. I've probably caught him on two separate bad days. And I caught him on the other bad ones. Cause he's there been like go. that every time I've seen him throughout the years. Really? I'm yeah. so sure. I'm so shocked by this. I never heard this about DiBiase. Well, that's just my experience with him <laughs> and Howard's. Yeah, he's always like that. He's always like that. I witnessed something interesting with him a couple weeks ago. I didn't try to get an autograph from him or anything, but he was doing a signing and stuff at the House of Glory show in Queens. And they just had him do a little promo just to dress the crowd in the middle of the show. You know, talking about, you know, nostalgia and stuff. And it was nice. And then he's he's trying to kind of like build up a pop by talking about, his great memories of wrestling in New York City, including being the Madison Square Garden debut opponent for Hulk Hogan. Mm. The problem is that House of Glory's roster 
And because it is a wrestling school-centric promotion, thus a lot of the fans, and also where they run to, um, it is a more heavily black and Puerto Rican crowd than a lot of indie shows. So this was met with overwhelming boos. Oh, you mean they haven't forgiven Hulk Hogan and yes. forgotten all the things that he said that he thinks everyone's going to forgive and forget him for? Yes. Right. Did, did they start throwing batteries at him? No. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. Sponges. Love sponges. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Bowden? Yeah, Scott Cornish. Just wanted to ask you, when you signed that autograph for that kid that wrapped up, ripped up your autograph, mm-hmm. did you give him the authentication check mark? Um, I did. I did. Uh, you know, and actually, you know, that that's actually another uh, painful story. Uh, you know, as they were wheeling Mill Mascaris into the ambulance uh, to take him to uh, Baptist East Hospital after the stretcher job, I was trying to get his autograph, and he reached out to me, but but his hands, it, it, he just he, he collapsed right there. But I, I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up, Scott. Did everyone give their experience, their bad experience? I think we went through everyone. Travis Heckle? <laughs> Travis, wake up. <laughs> well, he's on mute. That's what it is. Yeah. He's uh, doing stuff. His worst experience was yeah. meeting the master of sex, D'Lo Brown. Yeah, that was his only bad experience. That was a good experience. Though. It worked out well for him. That no, was, that was good. Oh, yeah. You know what? You know what? I just remember something else too. Like that same that same uh, roundtable discussion before the day before. I was talking to Lance Russell, and he goes, "You know, you ought to get Jimmy Hart involved in this." And I went, "Yeah, you know, maybe." And he goes, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, you know how Jimmy's always kind of on, and I I kind of want this to be a, like a really straight discussion." He goes, "No, no, no. You should ask him." And I went. Uh, all right, Lance, for you, I'll, I'll ask him. So I went up to him and he did the same damn thing where he tried. I went up and approached him. I said, Hey, I used to, you know, work for Lawler and Jared for a few years. Uh, Eddie Gilbert turned me heel and I managed, I ended up actually managing Lawler for a while. And we're doing this round table. Uh, you think you can maybe spare like 20 minutes just to join us for a bit? And he goes, Oh, I can't right now, baby. Hey, would you like to post for a picture? And I went, come on, man, turn it off. Just turn it off for five minutes and have a just a regular conversation. Some guys, yeah. some guys are permanently in work mode, and some guys, oh, yeah. some guys, even if they're nice, see every fan as a mark, and, and that's just the way it is. I guess so. I've got to tell you guys something. Um, like years ago at the NWA 50th, I said something to Cornette like um, about Memphis and everything, and I'm like, how'd you get along with Jimmy Hart? He's like, that guy has no gimmick. That is Jimmy Hart. And I used to, Jimmy Hart gave me his phone number when I first started going to Memphis, like 84, 85. And um, one of the greatest teases of all times was uh, Pete Letterberg and I are there, probably 84. He's like, oh, man, we have all this new stuff. I'm going to bring you some stuff, man. We got, we got school. We hate school T-shirts. <laughs> I'm going to give you some 8 by 10 some record albums and everything, man. So we get to the building, and he's like, man, I just got to, I just got to, um, and I'll see you at the building and everything. All right, man. I'm like, oh, man, this is tremendous. He's going to load us up with all this stuff. We're going to have souvenirs. We get to the building. We see Jimmy Hart. He's like, oh, man, we're running late. I had to go pick Bobby up. And then Coco was running late and everything. And we never got the record albums. I had them in my car. We switched cars and everything. <laughs> so this is like years, years go by. And I was actually there at the cusp of when he left Memphis Wrestling. I was there that week. I think it was in December when Eddie Gilbert had his um, match with Jerry Lawler for Loser Leave Town, except it became Jimmy Hart Leaves Town 
who already did leave town, so they had to have a match about it. Well, there, was so, a, there, was, there, there was a lookalike there now. I'm so I was in town. One of the big perks was like Pete and I used to get to eat with Lance and Lawler. We'd just hang out and everything. And But we never got to sit down and eat with Jimmy Hart. So me and Pete would always say, like, oh, this is going to be the year. Let's invite him. Like, we know he's on the outs with Memphis, but he's still in Memphis. So I called him up, and it was his last week, but he wasn't on TV. So he was gone, and he didn't debut in WWF yet. And I'm like, hey, listen, we know that you're persona non grata and everything, but we want to take you out for lunch or something. And he's like – and this is when the news was really, really fresh. And he goes, man, I don't begrudge the Jerry Lawlers and the Jerry Jarrett's and the – and the um, Ed and Marlins and everybody and the Joe Coffees, you know, but Joe I'm not Coffey. a spring chicken. Yeah, I'm not a spring Joe chicken Coffey. anymore. And uh, I've got a, I'm like, I can't play. Because he was like 42 at the time when he yeah. went up to WWF, you know. Everyone thinks he's a young, skinny guy, that he's this youngster. He was like 42 at the time. You can't begrudge him. And I'm, that's what I said to him. I'm like, certainly, certainly. Then when we saw Lawler at our functions, Lawler would go like, yeah, Hart was too good to be at TV this week. Disgusting, isn't it? He'd, he'd be like working us into hating Jimmy Hart. <laughs> you know, like disgusting, Is it, isn't it? it? And I'm like, well, I'm pleased that he wants our input, but like, you know, he's clearly trying to besmirch Jimmy. Okay, so now fast forward from 1984 until last year at the CAC. When Jimmy Hart, in the interim, when Jimmy Hart was in WWF, I always wanted to bump into him, but he was the last guy that ever would be at the bar. So 20 years went by, and I never saw him. And I used to have his phone number, and I'd call him up after he was dumb enough to give it to me. And I, you know, I'm a, I'm a lot more um, reserved now. Like, I wouldn't go bugging people, but in those days, I'm like, my God, I have his phone number. I'm going to call him. So he's like, hey, what are you up to, man? I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be in a math final now, but I was going to flunk it anyway, so I'm home watching Jerry Springer or whatever. He goes, sounds like a winner, man. And that became like a big catchphrase for years. He's like, sounds like a winner, man. So he was really nice to me. So that's 1984-85. Fast forward to last year at the CAC, I go up to him, and he's at the special WWF table, WWE table, which means, you know, no contact with the outside world. If if they're not one of your WWE people, you don't exist. So I'm like, Jimmy, hey, I don't know if you remember, um, I did that fan thing years ago. We did a big angle with Rich and Gilbert. We used to correspond when I was going to Gainesville and all this stuff. And he goes, hey, I love you, man. I love you. You still live in Memphis? Meanwhile, he didn't even look at me. He didn't even look at me during this entire time. He was like a chihuahua. With like a bear on his ass, he's like, "Yeah, man," and I'm like, "I'm like, I waited 30 years for him to like tell me he loves me in the most insincere way imaginable." <laughs> and he's like, "I love you, man. I love you. You still live in Memphis, having no clue, not listening to anything I said to him." But so he became. I my theory is he became a caricature of himself, even in real life when he left Memphis, because he was yeah yeah he was yeah. himself. I mean, he was the way that he was on Memphis TV in real life um, until he left Memphis, and then he became like W. I think the Hogan hookup really was what put the nail in the coffin. When he started hanging out with Hogan and wearing yeah. like the Hogan outfits, the airbrushed outfits that look so classy <laughs> at, at the finest um, from the finest county fair. It's, it's, and that's it's like, when he became totally commercial, Jimmy Hart. You know, yeah, it's like it's like his it, his head went up Hulk's ass and never came out. 
Mm-hmm. Basically, I mean, it's, and it's 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 a shame. It's almost like two completely different wrestling personalities. Totally. If you, if you, I mean, if you watch the the Memphis Jimmy Hart, I mean, it's basically just a, a one man show. Just uh, probably, you know, if you go on that on that run alone, it's probably the best managerial work of anyone in history. Totally. I mean, and then just to just fuck and just to sleepwalk and and just become this. Yeah. This overblown, uh, like I said, a, a character of himself, which is just... He really uh, did. Yeah, and just everything was just topped up in energy. And I, I, I know they were somewhat limited, but even when he was on primetime, I think they tried him a few times where he might have some more leeway to do his own stuff. And he was, he just never he just never mm-hmm. captured that magic again. I, I remember he's always they... been in fear. I think whether it's an insecurity of being able to find employment or a fear of losing... His job, but I've always taken it that Jimmy wasn't going to do anything to rattle anything. He was, right. whatever whatever was going on for him, he was going to make sure nothing he did fucked that up. And you know, it extends to Hogan. It extends to you know, he wouldn't he wouldn't do a podcast or anything. Where he could- well, he wrote he wrote a book, and I'm like, somebody asked me, "Are you going to pick that up?" And I went, "Why? Why? I mean, it's uh, I mean, it, everything would just be a fucking hand job about everybody he ever met in the business." And you know what? It was because I used yeah. to buy wrestling books were a lot rarer back then, so I would buy them as they came out. Now there's like 18 million. I'm never going to catch up. But in those days, somebody with a name put a book out. I would get it, and, um, and Jimmy Hart's was one of the worst. Yeah. I, yeah, I hope I hope I never bump into him again when he puts two and two together. Like he gives a shit, but uh, he'll just say, "Hey, are you still in Memphis? I love you." All right, I still love I, you. I still love you, Jimmy. What can I tell you? And I uh, do. But you know what Travis was saying, what Scott was saying. You go by Scott in real life, right? Uh, it's a long story, man. Man, we've got a good moratorium <laughs> between Travis Reigns, Travis Bowden. Got Cornish. There's got to be. We got to conglomerate you guys into either one lump, or you guys got to pick a new name or something. What do you mean Don't one lump? I got Bowdrin to go on the <laughs> Travis Scott Bowdrin, Def, Jeffrey Bowdrin. <laughs> like it's, it's such a mishmash of the same eight words. Got to do something about that. Yeah, let me work on it. Let me work on it. Hal. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry, man. I'm really no, no, no. Really but sorry. Uh, Travis and Scott, um, I don't know if you guys will remember this, but it's one of my favorite things. It's like I think it was when Lawler came back, and Jimmy Hart was out there with his army, and I think it was when Lawler came back from the, uh, broken, the leg. broken leg. So Jimmy Hart is out there looking all sheepish, and Lawler's making his big comeback speech, and he's like, "And I'm going to tell you something." I'm going to kick your ass if I see you now or later or in the parking lot, and I'm going to start right now. And he attacks Jimmy Hart, and he punches him, and he flies over the desk, and it's like the biggest brawl I've ever seen in Memphis yeah. history. Yeah, like uh, I think but it's like the gang war summer, you know, uh, like Bugsy McGraw, uh, Steve yeah, Kerr, yeah. Stan Lane. Well, hold on, guys. Hold on. Roy Lusher, take yourself off mute because uh, this is what you're up to right now. Uh, he's been watching 81 Memphis. He's not up to the gang war stuff in the summer with Bugsy and everything. But Roy, talk a little bit about what you're up to. You, what have you seen so far with Jimmy Hart? Uh, for family stuff, he just brought in uh, Dutch Mantel. Uh, he, you know, Dream Machine turned face, so he brought in Mantel. Uh, oh, he brought Terry Funk in. He just did a quick promo. Uh, nothing in the studio yet. Uh, uh, that's about it so far. Um, well, are, you, oh, are you are you watching the Louisville feed or are you watching the Memphis? Uh, uh, whoever whoever did a playlist on YouTube that's got it's like forty Louisville. videos from eighty one. It's I think it's a sixty minute video. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I know. I know a lot of McAdams stuff is up there, and that's that's some good quality stuff there. But unfortunately, I mean, it, there's just a, there was such a huge difference between the 90 minute wrestling show and and the 60 minute bicycle tape. I mean, it's 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 a shame that a lot of people, if if that's their first exposure to Memphis wrestling, that that that's what they see. You know, that cut that cut up 60 minute uh, show that that. Uh, where all the interviews are done, you know, behind a or in front of a black curtain. Uh, right. And, well, yeah, I can't yeah. guarantee anything, but I hear there might, even if just a little bit, be more old WMC shows showing up. So. <laughs> uh, uh, and where, where, where'd you hear that from? <laughs> Come on, Bix. <laughs> I have sources. <laughs> uh, Can we get Eddie well, out here? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, somebody wake him up in the back. Hey, Bix, I got a question for you. Yes. Do you still have the sound clip of um, when Brian says, I can do Sue the Shooter all day long? (laughs) You know, I just thought about that recently because I went back and I listened to the anniversary show, The Easter Eggs, and I was just (laughs) laughing my ass off. And there's it was a throwback to that. And I didn't realize until I listened back where I said I was trying to do Sue the Shooter and Lou's on there and Howard's on there and I couldn't do the voice. And I said. Oh, I can't do this. I haven't done Sue the Shooter in such a long time. Fix, <laughs> 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 do you have it? So far, I'm not finding it. You should have it somewhere. I'm I don't have sure. it. I, that's actually He's never. I don't okay, never Brian played. has never played that sound clip once since he became the I have, sole but, host. But it's also because it would be awkward for me to play a clip of myself in that way. When Bix plays it, it works. But for me to play it, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> By the way, I actually talked to someone recently who was met, who met uh, Sue, Sue, Sue Sue Shooter, the real Sue Shooter at a uh, at uh, indie show in Australia. Hi, He's still we're talking about active in that sense. Oh. And this is a Budokan solution for the homeless people. Yeah, I need more Budokan. How did you think that Budokan was Rick Ratchet? Rick's not. Him. Look at the little picture that Roy has there, and. I, it didn't look like an African-American from where I was sitting. It looked like someone with a deep tan. And Rick Ratchet's a very tan man, from what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> we got to find a way to get love struck up for everyone in the group to see. Uh, yeah, I, what, what, about good, what about good autograph stories? Does anybody have any, like, where you were, like, pleasantly surprised? Or, like, I had a really cool hmm. one with Flair. You're holding well, the microphone said. again, aren't you? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just trying to get ready because I've, I've actually got to drive to Sherman Oaks in, in a bit to, uh, to to have dinner. You just brought it up. Scott actually had a, a fairly good Flair story before where, you know, there was a long line and everything, but Flair was on his best behavior. What about you? Um, my fraternity had some shirts. We were like, uh, the you know, the cocky assholes on campus. And uh, I mean, that, you know, so basically I was just – the same way I was on TV, I was on campus, uh, which just really endeared, endeared me to my professors. But uh, we had these shirts printed up with uh, F- when after Flair jumped to WWF, and on the back it had you know Flair and the robe and everything and the belt, and it had uh, our Pike letters, uh, Pike Kappa Alpha, and it said the real world champion of attorneys. And uh, as buddy of mine, we both had ours on, and we met him afterward at a at uh, at a Memphis show, and he came up. He goes, "Oh my God." those are fantastic. He's like, can I get one? And I said, Oh man, we don't have any extra. I said, <laughs> so I said, I'll tell you what, I'll, 
I, I so I literally gave shirt. I, I literally gave Flair the shirt off my back. You gave him shirt. Uh, took it, hey, I gave him shirt. No, you gave I Flair gave shirt. Him, I gave him the shirt off my back, <laughs> and it was fun, and it was freezing. He goes, "Oh, brother, don't, no, 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 you'll you'll freeze." I'm like, "No, Rick, you're the man. You're the man." And then he's like, "Okay, turn around." I went, "Okay." And then he autographed my back with a sharpie. <laughs> what are you supposed to do with and, that? And let me tell you, hey, I, I, I got laid that night. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh god! Well, wow. You know what they say: no hair, no flair. Missy's <laughs> the one who said that. Has anyone else ever said that? Like oh, there are definitely other people who said that. Oh, he certainly oh, says it. What about flares? Uh, Flair doesn't want to be with a woman if she's bare. He wants a woman to be hairy, or at least have, uh, you know, a um a pool rack filled with afro hair or whatever it is that he's looking for, like like a, a cave woman. Yes, yeah. He likes that seventies style. <laughs> I guess that's what it is. <laughs> I guess. Well, he's a 70s style, 70s style worker, so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, seventy yeah. <laughs> style worker, seventy style snatch. I wonder if there is an actual example of like him going up to a room with a girl and she takes off her clothes and he's like, "Woo, no, sorry, no hair, no flair." And he just turns around and walks. <laughs> I mean, there are stories of him getting in trouble and stuff at like restaurants and on planes because he would pull on the waitress or her flight attendant's skirt and look up and say, "Just checking, you know what they say, no hair, no flair." Well, you, wow. you gotta have hair for flair. <laughs> Uh, you know what? Who, who else is pretty cool? Uh, Scott Steiner. I met him coming out. He was coming out of a limo in Santa Monica as I was getting off work. I guess he was ma- making some personal appearance, and who thought that was a good idea? I have no idea. But uh, And I used that same Memphis alumni line, and he stopped. I could not believe it. He stopped and talked to me for about 20 minutes about work in Memphis and was like mm-hmm. the ni- coolest, nicest guy uh, that I've ever met, you know, uh, besides – you know, like Mick Foley. I had a great, I mean, I had despite a, his rep, you everything I've heard about Steiner fan interactions has been good. Yeah, me too. Me too. I mean, other my favorite Steiner story still though is the one where he threatened Hogan or whatever, and then at the Hall of Fame they had pictures of him up. Like, do not let this man in. Like, they wouldn't yes. let Scott Steiner anywhere near. That to me was pretty funny. Hey, hey Brian, I told you the story about Paul Orndorff, didn't I? Uh, that <laughs> there's a John Lanigan reports that I used to get. You know, he was a tape trader. I know who and John Lanigan is. Yeah, I used, to, I used to get stuff from him. But what was the Orndorff story? He, he, was, he said he was hanging around uh, backstage. And this is right when Orndorff turned babyface. <laughs> and this kid came up to him and said, hey, can I have your autograph, Mr. Wonderful? And he goes, hey, I'll autograph this. And he grabbed his crotch. And then you can take it to your mama. <laughs> <laughs> Which is oh, just the ultimate babyface thing to do, really. Uh <laughs> Uh, I can see it. That's what makes it so funny. I know, totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is really funny. Oh, Jesus. Which is what I should have told that stinking brat at the Mid South Fair. Yeah. Uh, you know, I rang his neck. You should have said he that tried to, to run Virgil. <laughs> he, tried, he tried to run away, but uh, I did catch up with him and I let him have it. So. All right. Well, you said you have to go, and uh, you're banging the microphone all over the place. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, see you guys. Hey, uh, it's the, the New Year's show. Any final words for this year, for 2018, to the listeners? You talking to me? I'm talking to you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I vow you could take this to the bank. We are going to do 
consecutive episodes of Kentucky Fried Wrestling. At some point in 2019, you can bank on it. Who's we, white man? <laughs> consecutive episodes. No, not just yeah, episode. no, we're definitely, and actually coming up soon on KFR, we're going to have Ron Fuller on to talk ex- uh, extensively about the stuff he did in Memphis and also his family's involvement in Memphis. So that should be pretty cool. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Just let, let me know. When, let, let me know when that's going to happen. <laughs> All right, man. Listen, happy new year to you and uh, your many, many, many in-laws that are over there visiting you right now. And uh, we'll be. Oh, I, I love I love them to death, man. But I swear to God, I, if I cut my finger right now, uh, I, I bleed gravy. Because my my mother in law insists on cooking uh, British dishes every single night, I so I think I could get one more shepherd's pie in me. So we'll see. Wait a second. So you did marry Uptown Karen? <laughs> no, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> well, after that, that, man, after that, after that touching poem she wrote me, Trailer Park Pillow Talk, I just uh, yes. I just melted. <laughs> <laughs> the last line of that uh, of that uh, poem is is one of the funniest jokes I've ever heard. <laughs> well, uh, I'm ready to visit. Wait a minute. Uh, I was born in Scotland, my hometown. I'll always treasure, but I'd rather visit Scotsland, the home of money and pleasure. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's, it's it's the line with, with um uh, that that would be one of my wishes. Oh oh oh, oh uh, if I. Uh, Talk about her husband. If he'd only take a bath, that's one of my wishes. But he can't get in the tub because it's full of dirty dishes. <laughs> and with that, I will, and Dave, and Dave Brown, Dave Brown, I swear to God, like he bit his, he was about to crack up <laughs> on that line. Great. <laughs> who, wrote, who wrote the poem? I did. Uh, that was oh, that was I mean, that was the cool thing about about Memphis. Like, and I and I talked to Randy Hales about it, and Lawler wasn't going to be at TV, so he goes. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. How does uh, how does the poem work? Kind of went. How does the poem work? You don't wear glasses. And I go. I go. Uh, well, I'll take care of that. He goes. Well, uh, if you can write one and you and you read it to Lawler and you get his okay, then 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 we can do the poem. And I said, I said okay. <laughs> so I read it. I read. I read the first stanza to Lawler, and he was dying laughing. He goes, Yeah, do it. Do it. Do it. I don't give. I, I don't care. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. All right. Well, happy new year. Yes. Happy new year, guys. Happy new year, you retards. Take Later. care, man. <laughs> happy hey. new year. Take it easy, Bowden. In good old Germantown. Yes, where the sun always shines. Yes. And he has left the call. And just like that, he, he does. He gets so excited. He grabs the mic. And often I'll say, like, I'll stop the recording, but you got to put the mic down. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I got I'm like, just put the mic down. <laughs> well, today's the greatest day of his life. Today's the greatest day of his life. But uh, uh, we should start <laughs> wrapping things up soon. We are over three hours and 45 minutes. Another Star Wars. I thought we were dead in the water like two hours in. And boy, did things really pick up. Uh, but <laughs> let's see. Is there anything else pressing that we should talk about before we wrap things up? Seemingly uh, not. I don't know. <laughs> What do you want me to do? Talk about pride or something? Talk about pride or something, yeah. Hey, Bix, uh, real quick, <laughs> off topic. Is there going to be any, you think, permanent uh, negative blowback to the UFC and the John Jones situation and screwing all those fans in Vegas? Or is it going to be you something... mean screwing all of their most loyal fans? <laughs> or is it going to be something just people move on and forget about in two minutes? What do you think? I think for the people who fly to the cards, it's definitely going to dissuade them from doing that as often, if nothing else. Like, I think that's the obvious one, because they really didn't need to do that in any way, shape, or form. 
Yeah, I, I've lost it for the UFC. Not even just this. I just lost interest. Like, I don't know if it was around the time of the sale, you know, from the Fertitas, but it's just, it, it, it's completely, it's just, I have no interest in it at all anymore. I, like, I enjoyed seeing the Amanda Nunez, um, the Amanda Nunez, excuse me, uh, knockout of Cyborg. I thought that was, that great. was fantastic. That was a great moment, but I have no interest in anything else or any other fighters they have right now. I just don't care. I'd like to see someone knock Brock out. Um, but what, what's his deal? When is he supposed to fight? He can't fight until when did he get back in the testing pool? I don't know. This is what it's I not at least for. it's not at least until like early. I mean, in the next month or two, he's eligible. But also, he has to pay. I mean, I'm sure he or UFC would do it. He still has to pay his fine to Nevada, which he never did. Until then, he's still suspended on the commission level. Well, when did they announce he was coming back after the Cormier fight? Right. Well, they had him. Well, it was, it was Cormier Stipe. They had him come in the cage, right? Yeah. Oh well. Like I said, I just have no interest in this shit anymore. It seems like. But anyway, Roy, what do you have to say? Uh, this episode of uh, New Year's was brought to you by W Real Lano at AOL dot com. <laughs> How often do you run into him? How often do you actually see him? Uh, about three, four times a year, you know, definitely cauliflower alley, anything APW has going on. Uh, he's there for the most part for any of those shows. And, uh, uh, usually a few emails back and forth throughout the year. If I go to a show and he didn't go, uh, he'll usually email me to ask for results of the show. What does he do with those? Res- does he still do his column? Hold on. Let me see. There was a column he was doing for a while. Mike Leno canvas cavity. Let's see if he's still doing it. Hey, by the way, at the Cow Palace for the New Japan show, we were talking for a while because, you know, I just got braces. So he was asking about it. I say, hey, Lena, let's get a photo together. He was just about to do it. And he's like, oh, wait a minute. Every time I get a photo with you, it blows up and I have to defend myself. No way. <laughs> he, is, he is so bizarre. He is so. Here's an interview. This Hannibal guy has a 20 minute interview with Leno. What? Oh when did Kevin Nicholson? Yeah. Who, by the way. I can't watch his interviews because he sounds so fucking creepy. But yeah, twenty minute interview with Mike Lano right here. Hannibal TV. Oh, wrestling. Oh, this is from May. I don't remember him putting this up. Wrestling yeah. interview. Wrestling photographer Dr. Mike Lano interview. For those does he of talk you, about when? Does he talk about when he used to photograph Dory Funk Senior on the ranch? <laughs> no, he's clean. Oh, after Buzz TV interviewed him at the Cauliflower Alley Club a few years. That ago. I saw. Hold on, I'll play this mm. real quick. Uh, for those of you who have heard us talk about Mike Leno and have heard us say that despite all the crazy stories, he sounds like a very normal guy. Here's I thought the- we went with Lano and not Leno. It could be anything we want. I like Lano still. That's one of my favorites, the Bob Barnett version. But here he <clears> is <throat> being interviewed by Little Egypt at the Cauliflower Alley Club. Let me play this. Uh, she was obviously hiding from Howard Baum at this moment, but hold on. Here we go. That old holiday chestnut. <laughs> yeah, little, here we go. Checking in, and this time we have with us Mike Lano. I'm so excited to introduce you to him because hey, he brings with him a well of information. Tell us about what your thoughts are here at the CAC. You come every year, and you're not just a supporter of wrestling, but you also write about wrestling and chronologically explain wrestling to people who aren't really familiar with this. Tell us a little bit about that, Mike. True. Well, actually, I worked with Art Abrams. I've been coming since 1986 and was the associate club photographer since 87 and haven't missed a CAC. Uh, We're celebrating our 50th this year. But I, uh, I used to run fan clubs in the early, early 60s when I was a kid for the Sheik, Freddie... Hold on. The early, early 60s? No fucking way. 
Come when on. Did, when was he actually born? I, I don't know, 1950-something? He was doing... <laughs> he's such an enigma. He's just... He, why would he even lie about that? He was doing fan clubs in the early and mid-70s, you can say. He had the Golden Greek fan club, which, you know... And then he worked with a Rezzy for a while before he screwed a Rezzy over on the Blassie fan club. But here, early 60s. Early, early 60s. But hold on, let me continue. Oh Blassie God. and the Tolis Brothers. In 1966, I started working for the Weston Bill After magazines. And I've written and shot for every newsstand magazine around the world, including now 10 years at uh, DirecTV's magazine scene where i cover your industry hollywood and always say what? going on wait hold on first of all direct tv is a magazine i guess they have a thing they send to subscribers like and he's their hollywood reporter oh i just wait he has a linkedin that says he's an associate producer with oh this is a different mike lano i'm sorry this is there is a different mike lano because it said cbs interactive and was like wait is he still saying he works for cbs I was like, no, it's a different planet. Well, hold on. Let's go back to this uh, scintillating interview. But uh, I have to say Maria Menounos and her partner were just so gracious and lovely to everybody at WrestleMania Hall of Fame just a couple of weeks ago in Silicon Valley. and uh, Silicon Valley? That's the Leno move right there, mm-hmm. is you start putting people over for no reason. He just starts mm-hmm. putting people up. But anyway, um, she does so well. I mean, uh, she's got to be a Stern show regular, Howard Stern show regular. But seeing uh, the glow women who are such a part of the family of wrestling, it's been. And I think you put that together. You and maybe Cheryl and Hollywood. Uh, you are part of us and part of our family. And it's it's so great having the women of wrestling of here. Us. The original us. <laughs> Everything's we us. and us. Yeah. We Divas accept. Is, we accept. <laughs> Cheryl wisely pointed out, uh, and it's another sellout turnout for Cauliflower Alley, and uh, just an amazing array of people here. And it's not even really, uh, you know, the big day—the bologna blowout or the uh, banquet. Right. Well, I'm excited to be here, and then we're going to have—it's a three-day event. The Cauliflower Alley is a nonprofit organization. Uh, in addition to working collectively with the real estate com- uh, with the wrestling community. We also have what we call a benevolent fund. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, Cauliflower Alley has helped innumerable wrestlers. By the way, she's interviewing him, and every time she goes to interview him, he grabs the microphone from her. So he has two, he has two hands on the microphone. He's two-handing the microphone so she can't hold it. <laughs> Usually, you know, quiet, uh, quietly, which is the proper way to do it. So many wrestlers have benefited and people down on their luck or needing health care or just a, a little bit of help because they didn't have insurance or Kios or Iris, things you talked about so well a couple of years Iris? ago in your outstanding presentation on, on life after wrestling and marketing oneself, which people today know, but uh, our brothers and, and sisters in the 40s, 50s, 60s never got that help. And... Uh, CAC is really, to my mind, the only organization in the world that helps others, and that's its core mission statement, and they've been doing it now 50 years. Well, it's our 50 year. So excited that you're here. This is Little Egypt again signing out for another awesome interview here at the Gold Coast Hotel, Las Vegas, Nevada. Um, this is Little Egypt, and I'm going to buzz you later. And he bowed. It ends with a Mike Lano bow there at the end. So excited that you're here. We and our, our brothers and sisters in the 40s and 50s. What is he talking about? <laughs> well, <laughs> he's, he's been a manager. Yeah, well, that's true. That's, right. Right. that's Technically, that's true. If anyone ever says, you don't know anything about wrestling, you've never been in the ring. Actually, I was in two battle royals. So, <laughs> huh. <laughs> so Lano can do the same thing. He managed the original Sheik. So... <laughs>
But uh, I'll tell you what. And that's a giant, by the way, that's a big pet peeve of mine, the original Sheik. Well, that's the, the Sheik. Pe- people have moved even on Even the Iron now. Sheik, no one even calls him. It's not even a competition thing. It's like all of a sudden you got to call the original guy the original when just his name. I mean, do you call somebody the original Cher? Well, people had to, though, because everyone started confusing him with Iron Sheet. That's such bullshit. She gets such a short shrift that anybody would confuse him with anybody that, I mean, I'm not good enough for you. I'm the, oh, you're confusing me with somebody else? I'm The Sheik isn't good enough for you? You know, like, come on. That's the Sheik. Iron Sheik is somebody completely different. After like, why do they that do that? After he had that exploding ring death match in Japan, they started calling him the ex- extra crispy Sheik. Hey Brian, is there Brian to your knowledge? Is there footage? Brian, is to your knowledge, is there footage of that press conference at the Smoky Mountain Fan Week with what was it, Ron Head and yeah, Tom Pritchard? Absolutely. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. And actually, hold on. We'll do this as we go. And Roy, after this, you're gonna be the first one to jump off as we start wrapping up because we have just crossed the four hour barrier. But uh hold on, I think I know exactly where it is. Uh <laughs> Jim- By the way, Roy, you got to put more Champ Forums videos on YouTube. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love Champ Forums. I've got boxes of them off TV. I got for my 94, 95, 96, that era, I've got like original right off TV. I was getting them from Japan and uh, I got I got. Have you converted them. them to DVD yet or are they still on VHS? They're still in mint condition on VHS. Wow. Damn. <laughs> the bidding starts right now. Uh, let's <laughs> see. Uh, this isn't it. This isn't it. It was on YouTube, and now I'm having a difficult time finding it. Uh, I should have looked in with the Cornet Q&A for 93. Yes, yes, and that's what I'm having a tough time finding. Uh, Fan Week, 1993. Yeah, it's not coming up. 94 is here, 95 is here. I'm not seeing 93. Rod Head revisited that in 94. If you look up that Wind Cities Collide uh complete show that i put up on youtube ron head in doing the intro says if you get caught copywriting and 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 sent selling this tape or whatever not only will we prosecute you but you'll have to spend seven whole days with roy lucher <laughs> <laughs> oh i can't find it god damn it it would have been really funny to play right now i don't see it anywhere i'm scrolling through stuff and yeah it's not it's not here shit no it's it's really really funny and uh the room just comes apart when they bring up. Well, Meltzer is the one you hear laughing when they bring up the Leno thing. So that's pretty funny because that's when they had that big well, falling out. What was the stiff? Like hypodermic HIV needles where loser has to um, no, here's spend what it a was. week with. No rope electrified over a bed of infected hypodermic needles. And the loser has to spend 48 hours with Dr. Mike Leno. And oh! yeah, the way they played it in the room was no one reacted to the hypodermic needles or anything. And then the later <laughs> thing. The be- my favorite thing about that, I've always said this, and I'll say it again. My favorite, maybe my favorite Scott Cornish line of all time. This is from the summer of 93. This is when Luger turned babyface. And then once he turned babyface, they made a big deal about the steel plate in his arm. You know, but right before he's going to wrestle Yokozuna, he had the steel plate in his arm. And they're doing the press conference. And out of nowhere, Scott goes, Dr. Pritchard, Dr. Pritchard. And the whole room goes silent. <laughs> he goes, Dr. Pritchard. <laughs> What about the commission ruling that you're going to have to wear a protective pad over the steel plate in your head? <laughs> just It was such a yeah. funny line in that moment. And even Pritchard didn't know how to react. Like, I'm not going to wait. He didn't know what to say. But one of my favorite <laughs> lines ever. But Roy, with that, 
We actually are going to start shutting things down. You're going to be the first one to jump off. Anything you want to say to the listeners before you get off the show? May 2019 be the year that we discover the identity of Yo Mamba, the Jungle Savage. Yo Mamba, the Jungle Savage. You Do we even care anymore? Dog. I care still. I, I gotta it's, actually. It's, but it's, pe- not, it's not been Keep Peacock. Do we really care? Was it, Roy, was it you that told me you heard it may have been a white guy? Uh, yeah, I did hear it supposedly may have been a white guy doing the gimmick. I got Ben Peacock's phone number, but it's constantly busy, which makes me think I got the wrong phone number. But I'm I'm going to try to contact, as you and I have discussed, uh, T. Joe Khan to try to find out maybe if he knows. Yeah, by the way, he's another guy on the run. <laughs> we can't get him yeah. but we'll, we'll keep trying. But Roy. Yeah. Thank you for being a part of this. And, and more than anything else, thank you for being such a big supporter of the show and taking pictures with the T-shirt and spreading the word about the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for being a part of this today. No, I, I thank you. Thank Bix. Thank Scott. Thank Lou. Thank everyone. Uh, Travis, for, uh, you know, your, your communication and your friendship. And uh, here's to a great 2019, everyone. Absolutely. All right. Take care, man. Happy New Year, Roy. Happy New Year to you and your wife and your whole family. And I believe he's already gone. Okay. Well, there he is. Uh, We have crossed over the four-hour mark. I thought this would be a shorter Star Wars, but that didn't work out. Uh, As we begin to slowly wrap things up, any New Year's messages anyone wants to send out there to the listeners? (laughs) You see that? That, It's that relationship with the listeners that has propelled the super. (laughs) All right. Well, we will close things up because I hear Swami barking, and that's kind of. Oh, I have a New Year's message for the listeners. I mean, maybe it's an outdated one, but you're all terrible and need to stop making parody Twitter accounts. Well, there you go. There's Bix's message for all the people on Twitter. (laughs) You're all terrible. You're all terrible. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, listen, as we wrap things up, I want to thank everyone for being a part of this show today, of course. Howard, you have been just tremendous on the show. I can't wait to see where we're going next. We're going to do more top tens in 2019 and i'm really looking forward to some of the things we have going on with that and of course scott such a major part of everything i'm doing right now thank you so much for being a part of this bix co-created the super podcast even though you may not want to admit that after this performance here today and of course (laughs) lou you have joined the team and you've become a major part of the team and i'm very appreciative of that travis heckle's still on the line i think he's on mute but travis if you can unmute yourself for a second (laughs) you're never on the air so here on the air let me thank you for all the amazing artwork you have come here You've done such amazing stuff for this show from the very beginning. Thank you. Thank you for everything you do for the show, for Arcadian Vanguard, and I really appreciate it, man. You're, you're like the fuck. Oh, man. I love it. Good. I'll give you more work. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as we wrap things up, I want to thank the listeners of the Super Podcast for continuing to support this show. This has been the biggest year in show history. We've had exceptional growth even with less shows than the year before. So that really says something about the audience, about the word of mouth, about how many new people jump on the show and how many old people spread the word about it. Thank you all so much. We got some pretty cool things planned for 2019 and 2020. I'm already looking ahead to 2020. So stay tuned for that. But as we wrap things up, you guys know how it works. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the show on Twitter at 605pod. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at SuperPodcast. The Facebook page facebook.com slash super podcast the mothership group if you say hey how come i haven't been approved and you don't already like the facebook page that may be the reason or you could just be an asshole you never know it could be one of two things or it could be a clearly fake account and then we just don't let you in but the mothership group facebook.com slash groups slash super pod talk 
So check that out. If you want any SuperPod merchandise, you can go to tinyurl.com slash store. We have some pretty cool things coming up in 2019. So stay tuned to that. And if you don't have a 605 shirt, get one now because we're about to sell out of the current stock. You're going to have to restock them as well as the Mothership shirts, which have become a bestseller very quickly. So if you want any of those, I'm going to have to restock soon in early January. Now's a good time to jump on that. Uh, the Amazon link, tinyurl.com slash superpod. Amazon. So check that out also if you want to support the show and uh, use our Amazon link and give it to everyone you know and tell them to use it as well. And I think that's about it. Patreon. If you want to donate money, you can go to PayPal or Patreon. You guys know how to get there. So uh, we're going to go. For everyone who's been a part of this show today, thank you so much. And for all the listeners, thank you for your ongoing support. The best is yet to come. But until then, tally ho!